Hey, hey, this is Soma79 with a special announcement. My new Mega Mix is up. My MSD Mega Mix Oxidation Doomsday is now available. Go to www.soma79.com slash doom to check it out. It's a 30-minute mix that I did of MF Doom raps over my own beats. I really enjoy it. I hope you really enjoy it. So check it out. Tell a friend. Peace. Hey, 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 thank you so much for joining me on episode 52 of the Articulate Ox podcast. That means that we made the entire year one episode per week this year. So um, that was one of my resolutions for 2023, and we hit it. And um, I couldn't have had a better guest than um, my friend Katie Newton, who's an upcycle fashion designer and an art therapist. Uh, this episode's actually sort of a Frankenstein of a couple episodes. We recorded a 79 questions episode a few months back where she asked me a bunch of questions and I asked her a bunch of random questions, but we never actually ended up releasing it. Um, and now we're going to release that as well as this short about 30 minute episode where that was taped uh, more recently, I think a week or two ago, where we talk about this fashion show that Katie is working on now. That's you're definitely going to want to check out if you're in the Indianapolis area. She's a really amazing, warm-hearted, smart, funny, really cool person who, um, I don't know, I'm lucky to have got to know her. And if you do know her, you already know what I'm talking about. If, if, if you don't know her, then watch the episode and I'm sure you'll love her as much as everybody else does. So thank you so much, Katie. Thank you for everybody for being a part of the first year of the Articulate Ox podcast. It really means a lot to me, all the feedback that I've gotten. And um, I have some exciting guests coming up for next year. Um, I actually had someone someone pretty random reach out to me today, someone I've been a fan of for a very long time. Um, their manager reached out to me and asked the, if I want to interview them. So I'm working on that now. You know, who knows? These things sometimes fall apart, so I don't want to say who it is. But um, if it happens, then I don't know. It's a, it's a feather in my hat that I'm glad to have there. So thank you, everybody. I hope you had a great 2023. Um, you know, strap on for 2024. I think it's going to be a wild one. And um, I don't know, I just would encourage everybody to take this time to reflect on, you know, what went well this year and what didn't and what we can do all do next year to be a little more kinder, a little more, a little more kind and more understanding and, and try to have a little more empathy for each other. Um, that's going to be one of my goals for next year. And I hope um, some of you feel the same way. So thank you so much again. Um, enjoy the Katie Newton interview, both of them, the Katie Tootin interviews. Um, so, yeah. Have a good one. Peace. Meet Anne with wings clips, quick to flip manuscripts. Cause her man went from damaged kid to damn he's rich. But she still can't stand the way he manages to never put nickels in the can for the cancer kids. Plus he cheats at cornhole and rags that he won. So she lost interest like porno after she comes. My DM started jingling baby as it was done. Two seconds later I can hear the snapping of her gums. She calls me half Dodge Challenger, half Lip Gallagher. Hey, hey, welcome to the 52nd episode of the Articulate Ox podcast. That is correct. One episode for every week this year. We have done it. My guest today is who better but Katie Newton, art therapist, upcycle artist, uh, mental health uh, therapist, um, lots of other stuff. 
Fashion icon What's of up? the making. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? Did you notice we have on matching outfits today? We do. I'm all you're all run DMC and I'm all beastie That's boys. Right. That's right. And didn't even plan that. So today we're doing this from my new art studio. There's some awesome stuff. I have some buds back here. Are you guys back there? We have some oh. fashion stuff over here. All my clothes. There's some mannequins in the background back there. So I'm excited to be in this space. It's a really neat space. It's not exactly like zoned for people. So there's no yeah. toilet. But you know what? We're artists, so we improvise and adapt. Yes. So what what's cool about. about this space is that it was actually one of the um, first and only uh, AIDS hospice hospitals or clinics in Indiana. Wow. And so there's this really neat group of drag queens in Indianapolis called the Bag Ladies. And they have full beards and they kind of dress like little old ladies you'd see on the bus. But they come here and they do like a tribute show in this space every year to honor this space as one of the as one of the like pioneering AIDS clinics for end of life phase. So that's what I'm really excited to be in this space. There's really creative people in here. There's some graffiti artists. There's some, there's a taxidermy artist in here, which is wow. that's a wild process to witness. You know? I bet, yeah. um, but the other animals die by peaceful means, but so, yeah, no, it's, it's really cool to be in here. I'm happy to be broadcasting here. So it's awesome. It looks okay. super cool. How long have you been in there for? Since October. Very nice. Yeah, since October. The other space I was in was like a charter school um, that lost its charter. And so I was in the basement. Every time you could hear the toilet flush, it just like water streaming. It just was like bad vibes all around. So this place is just kind of like. Oh, no, that um, problem there. There's no toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> That's true. You have a good point, but I'd rather have to go pee outside or poop in a bucket than have to be in that building with all that bad juju. It's like, it was like all of these relics of like education and like um, personal enrichment that once existed and now they're just like there, kind of like covered in cobwebs and stuff. So I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Make the sacrifice. That's awesome. Um, so what are you working on now? You said you have, is there, um, we just talked about it a little bit before we started. Why don't you uh, why don't you uh, talk a little bit sure, about I'd it? Sure, I'd love to. So, so I am I am a person that has been making stuff out of essentially out of trash and like discarded clothing since 2014. That started at the Idol Drug Museum, which is a, a Native American arts museum in Indianapolis, and I started doing the Day of the Dead show there. Um, and just started as a model. And then I started working more of a production role and a directorial role and started making all of the outfits and collecting materials. And from there we got, I got my own show, my own fashion show called Lealta Moda. And it's a, uh, it was done uh, given by a grant in an underserved neighborhood where essentially we created a fashion show and everything was made out of trash or, or um, discarded clothing, upcycled clothing. And so each one of the people in the fashion show was given a character. So it's not just a fashion show, like you see, like models just walking wearing stuff they're each are given a character like you're the sorceress from like the 23rd parallel or you're the witch doctor or you're or, you know i had in the first iteration of this we had fidel castro and frida Kahlo dancing like the tango down down the runway and stuff so there's this really storyline piece to it and that's how i create the the fashion is everybody gets a a character and then the outfit is based around that. So we're working on the fourth iteration of that show now. We've done it every year since then. And um, we got a grant from the Indianapolis Neighborhood Coalition and I'm really excited to be doing this show again. Um, it's gonna be again in another underserved neighborhood over by the Speedway in Indianapolis, Indy 500. Um, and that's what we're getting ready to work on now. So I'm excited to be here. Wow, so um, how much work goes into goes in preparing for something like that? So I'd say we have 20 looks. And so I have quite a big collection of things now, so I can kind of piece together some things. But given that we are given a grant this time, I think the expectation is to make new things. I've got 
free time and I have a new space. So I'm feeling really inspired and I'm on a trajectory to make some new stuff. So I'd say it's probably going to take me like six weeks, something like that. So when, so with the grant, what was the process like in securing that? So, so what you do essentially there's in the, what we talked about in our last interview was that uh, Indianapolis was given a $43 million endowment from Eli Lilly for the arts. So there's this, they just, there's so many art opportunities in Indianapolis. And so there's all of these grant opportunities out there. And essentially you just submit what your idea is. Um, and then they, then after that, you kind of go through this training where you meet with people from the organization that tell you um, how to successfully um, execute an idea. Um, like we met on Zoom and we did these different different talks and stuff like that. And, um, but we'd already been through that process. So that was kind of, information was kind of a refresher for me. But um, you essentially just tell them what your idea is, what the population served is gonna be, how this will impact the community, how you plan to spend the money. Um, and then they approve the grant or they don't approve it and they approved our grant. And so I'm really glad for that. I think our shows have been such a success and such a unique thing that we bring to the city. Um, so it was, uh, they kind of encouraged us to apply again because they're like, we'd love for you guys to do another one, apply for this grant. And so we did. Well, cool. I mean, so does this give you inspiration to think even bigger for next time now that like, you know, you know that this has happened? Does it sort of make you think about what else is possible? Yeah, absolutely. It does. It's good. It's good to get to kind of create a buzz and get people excited about it because people know this show is coming. They've anticipated it over the years. And the cool thing about it is kind of like it keeps on it since it's an annual thing. It pops up in people's stories it, and then everybody remembers that and they're posting pictures from the last year's event. And it just kind of creates a buzz. And so they know that it's coming and they're anticipating that. And so um, then you get the models involved and word of mouth spreads and then people get really excited about it. And it's kind of this organic growth through social media and through all of the participants and such a such a large show. And there's so many different models and makeup artists and photographers involved. There's just a lot of people that are out there uh, talking about Lee Ultimotive. Any particular themes for this year? I don't know. What do you guys think? Themes? I I don't know. So the last show I did was for the Indy 500. I think I did that after we talked. And so we did a fashion show and we had uh, in Indiana, there's lots of corn. And so instead of uh, Marie Antoinette, we had Merle Antoinette. And Libby, can you bring that Jiffy mix over here? So Merle Antoinette, she had on this uh, paper wig that I made out of a baseball a baseball, a cycling helmet, and but all my notes from graduate school. So she carried this instead. And this is a box of Jiffy corn mix instead oh of cake. God. And then she okay, wore so, right, so I'm not so as somebody who may not be as familiar with Jiffy corn mix, that looks like something that's existed since my grandparents were born. What I'm is saying, Jiffy corn mix? Because I I'm that hasn't made it out to wherever I'm living. Wherever I'm living, I don't know where I'm living. No, he's from, where are you from? I'm, I'm, from Boston, I'm, right? I'm from Massachusetts. I'm in Western Mass. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, you're missing out. Jiffy Cormix is a staple from the South up all the way up until Chicago. I mean, it, Jiffy Cormix is essentially cornbread muffins. And so okay. that's something that uh, in Indiana, we pride ourselves on corn. We are a big corn producing state here. There's more than corn. Yes, Lonnie, thank you. There's more than corn in Indiana. But corn is like what, what our farmers thrive on out here. And so it's just kind of become this beloved ongoing i live am, i live amongst them um, tobacco farms actually it's corn and tobacco and asparagus is what they grow up because i live in a farm town and it's like asparagus that's like, yeah asparagus hadley mass is big for on asparagus that's where i am that's so. a fancy vegetable you know that sounds that's like sick. fancy people bougie like you, might you know get that the entire town's piss smells terrible though <laughs> you can smell it from space right that's true i know but that is unique about asparagus it is the only vegetable that makes your piece smell weird i know 
I don't know. It's crazy. I don't know. That's I don't awesome. know what that is. That's fancy. That's fancy people. Pee yeah, but we have corn. Like... We have corn, tobacco, and asparagus. What we grow. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you were saying about the, the the jiffy hat. That's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that so that sort of thing. So something that one consider like consider the audience. Who like who's going to be in the audience? What would they find exciting? And then also sometimes it depends on. Well, I went into this trying to make a mermaid, and I made a huge mistake, and now it's a. Uh, it's like a fairy goddess or something like that, you know? So it just kind of also depends on the course of how the materials take. Um, but some of the coolest things I've made have always been like something I went into with one plan and made a massive mistake and then a, oh, yeah. a purse turned into a hat or something like that. So what a lot of artists don't understand is how much like when we, like, especially, a, a, you know, in this country, failure isn't celebrated as being a part of success as much as it really should. But if you're an artist, like you have to get so used to failing. It's like, it's like being a skateboarder. You're going to fall down a million times. But in those failures, you find so much of this stuff as I knock my water bottle down. That's my failure for the day. <laughs> right. No, you're exactly right. And that's that's part of what I really like about it is like experimenting with materials. And what's unique about what I do is since I'm using it out of uh, found objects or trash is like I don't exactly know how like the warped Tupperware lids are going to fit with zip ties. So you just have to start experimenting with them. If I worked with the same material every time, it would take that kind of curiosity experimental right. piece out of it. And that's what I really like about what I do because I learn something new every time because I'm always working with new materials. Yeah, it certainly increases the whimsy factor, which I think for something like that is like pretty important. It's like, that's what right. I think a lot of people are kind of looking for out of something like that. You know, right. they, and, if it's going to be something out of, the, out, 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 out of the normal, you might as well go all the way, you know? Right, right. And so what's neat about it is that when I do fashion shows, I like to have, I like to also have models that are also artists and they like to talk about arts. And what a fun thing about it is going up to the people in the crowd after the show, or depending on the event, it might be an event where they're mingling with people and they get to talk about what the outfit's made out of. Like this is actually made out of inner tubes, or this is actually made out of um, placemats, that sort of thing. And so people like to hear that sort of thing because it, um, it's kind of like really exciting to think that you could take these things and transform them into something beautiful and wearable. Right. Right. Is, so is that the overall message you'd say of the show? Is that like, um, if you wanted somebody to walk, if there was like a kind of a, an overarching heady, like, you know, message to send people home with, what, what do you think it really is from these shows? What I, what I think it is from these shows is that um, is that you don't really need money to be fabulous. I feel like the fashion industry is really wasteful. I feel like it seems elitist. It seems like it seems non-inclusive, you know, in many ways, um, that it has to be like this big fancy thing. And that essentially that reducing like waste, you can find things that uh, value in things that other people have discarded, or even if it's just, if it's trash or found objects, that you can make something really neat from it. So I think the main takeaway is that I'd want people to be resourceful and that I want them to be unique because the more unique the material is, the more unique the item's going to be. And so it ends up being something that nobody else on this planet could have. I always like to like lean into like being different. And uh, I think that that when you source your materials in a, a unusual way that you get you get exactly that. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. It's funny you talk about the um how the expense and stuff like that. Literally, when I was buying said non-alcoholic Heineken that I'm drinking now, in case anyone's wondering, this is about two hours ago. The guy at the store would not believe that my jacket didn't cost $600. I was wearing this like puffy Nike jacket that I remember specifically getting on sale five years ago for $75. And the guy, I think, thought I was trying to lie about how cheap it was because like, anyway, I didn't bring this up. He did. <laughs> because like, I didn't want to get raw. It was, it was 
was a very odd encounter. But um, I was like, no, what, I, what I'm interested in is I like that blend of finding the the um, the best bargain and um, like in the coolest way to flip something. Like I, I'm not into like I mean, creativity can be done by anybody. It's like thrift store, mm-hmm. make your own. Like there's right. so many like if there's no need to keep filling these giants um holes of fashion that exist like these giant like you know piles of ups of like um of just clothes that fast fashion clothes that don't even need to exist it's crazy mm-hmm. yeah there. exactly right and the thing about fast fashion is they're made from materials that don't biodegrade so like somewhere out there there's a landfill filled yeah. with forever 21 tops that mm-hmm. they they're, they're made of like polyester material or kind of like weird fiber materials and so they don't biodegrade so that's stuff that i'll use a lot in my things because it kind of even though it's cheaply made the quality like the t- the craftsmanship is cheaply made the material is kind of indestructible because it's this like weird rayon type of plastic mix or whatever yeah. so but it's interesting you say that so i always thought that bragging about getting a bargain was a midwestern thing because anytime somebody will come up to you and say i love that outfit and you say i got it on sale for five dollars at kohl's and so that's a really big midwestern thing so i'm glad to know that's more universal or oh, at least, no. uh, I'm, I'm all about that it's like because yeah. i for me it's not about just the right item it's about the right price it's because i don't know it, that's part of the fun of, of like finding the right outfits and stuff like that right know. exactly and that's part of the philosophy of our show the right price is that it's free so try to source all every every material that we use in the show it was a donated material a found material or like a reclaimed material from a dumpster or something so that's the thing is to absolutely reduce cost so all of the money that we get from the grant can then be paid to the models and to the other people that are in the show so yeah so we don't have to wait we don't have to use any of the money of the grant to be able to buy anything because everything is going to there's enough materials in this world for a a million fashion shows you know that's such a great message in its own right that you're like okay Mm -hmm. we're putting on this show you're going to see things that you haven't seen before but everybody who's but all the money is going towards the individuals and not like the production because even if you go see like like you too so much of the money you're spending is going towards the production even though that is obviously people jobs but like Mm -hmm. the um that is a really great message as well that it's like it all is going to support the artist because yeah these days even when you try to support an artist by doing something and they're only getting like three percent of what you're supporting them like buying a record or something it's so disheartening you're like oh support right. an artist buy their record they're gonna get like a fraction of ten percent you know right exactly yeah so so that that's the thing the materials can be a big piece of of um of what artists, any artist has to do is to invest in materials. And so there's enough materials out there. You can just source them on your own. And plus so, you can find really cool stuff. Yeah. So I was going to ask about that. So what, how does the process say, so you're starting off with this next one. You said it probably takes about six weeks to do. Do you start off with maybe stuff that you have, they've been gathering over the year that you had sort of an idea for? Do you start mm-hmm. off with an idea of what you want to look for? Like how, what's that process like? So let me show you something I've got going on right now. So somebody gave me a donation of like, probably a thousand of these bandanas oh, that's really cool looking i like that yeah, pattern so, does that say so something no yeah. Right. yeah it says it says 2022 oh, and then it says something kind of like psychedelic so what so what i got inspired to do with this is i looked at what i had and so i had with that matches our outfits i have this that i've had this since high school this is this is a pink corset and so what i'm doing is i'm sewing all the bandanas together i'm going to cover the corset with the bandanas, like sew it on there. And then I'm making a pair of bell bottoms to go with it. And I have blue cording that I'm gonna put on it. So what inspired me for that specific thing was one item I already had 
and then the materials that somebody donated to me. And then I just kind of can visualize, I have like a knack for visualizing silhouettes or piecing garments together in my mind and then bringing it together in that way. And then I'll have like a big fur in the headpiece or something. And so all of the models, they also usually have a headpiece. They also have massive hair or some sort of wig, um, fantasy makeup, you know, so it's just like a whole product. The worst person is like a walking production, the whole thing. And they're given a storyline and then they get to act out on the runway. So it's kind of like performance art in a really like gritty type of way, you know, because it's not like theater. It's more edgy. It's edgier than that. You know, it's not as refined. Um, Quick sidebar. What led to you buying a pink corset in high school? <laughs> well, actually, I spray painted it pink. Um, because when I bought it, it was brown, but that wasn't edgy enough. But Tim, if you knew me in high school, oh my goodness, we'd be having a totally different conversation. I think we right got into now. a little so, bit of that in the first. If you want to hear those stories, go back to your first appearance. I think go, we got a little to bit the into first it. Interview, yes, I went to Booker T. Washington Alternative High School for bad girls. So <laughs> I mean, of course, it was not it was not as risque as it got. It got it was it was intense. So yeah, mm -hmm. well, that's cool. But so you pieces, I, yeah, go ahead. Have you already hired the um the models, or have you already do you have people in mind, or? I have some in mind. I'd like to bring on some new folks, though. I would like to bring in some sort of wild card, like somebody that's going to come get really insane backstage. That just because that's a big part of it for the models is the backstage experience because they all kind of help each other. Like we'll have a makeup artist or two, you know, but they kind of help each other. But their backstage experience, when you see their photos that they post from their backstage experience, it's just like the wildest stuff that happens. So I'd like to bring in somebody new. Maybe somebody that we don't know that well. Maybe somebody that has like a rep of being unstable. Oh come on! Just <laughs> Why just invite just invite me right here? You're you're yes. obviously hinting at me. I'll come down. I'll drink a six pack of non-alcoholic beers, raise some hell, and we'll have a good time. Yes, that's right. And be like the funny thing that guy's not even drunk. That's non-alcoholic beer. So yeah, there's something like that. So I would like to bring in some new people. I like to have drag performers because they are very confident on the runway. Yeah. They can do tricks. They can do flips. Their makeup skills are off the hook. They just have a lot of confidence because they already are performing to begin with um but i'm also open to having other people with other designs this time i think there's been people that have expressed interest in participating in Ultimate four that are up and coming designers um and that part then the my only parameters for that is create a category for yourself like this is like bohemian chic or this is you know i don't know dead animal realness or whatever something dead animal some sort realness of, yeah gives the taxidermy realness gives that, some sound, sort of that sounds like a beat that somebody the name of a beat somebody would send me on like a list of like 20 like beats of like where they made dead animal realness if you want yeah, dead animal realness right i'm thinking that because this the studio space right across from me that i'm like looking at is the taxidermy guy or whatever and so there's some really strange hybrid uh baby doll slash dead raccoon slash owl object over there. Yeah. <laughs> so this this isn't like this isn't like your average taxidermist who who I know for a fact are also a strange breed. Like yes. it's like you know this is not this is, so Tim do you follow Crank Maggot on Instagram? Crank Magnet is, is not something I follow sorry no, no, crank crank maggot is his name. Oh, okay. So, so there's an artist an artist in New Hampshire, his name's Crank Maggot, and he, um, I got connected to him through a tattoo artist through fashion that is in New Hampshire, and he makes these amazing kind of like, um, he uses epoxy, and he uses like resin and plaster, and then he'll take like a mannequin and then mix it with like an animal head, but it's kind of a strange form of taxidermy, but these things are, they're so seamless in this way, but he is a big inspiration for this artist that's in here right now, but yeah, there's some there's some strange baby doll animal hybrid art over there and um, I'm just staring, staring into the abyss right now. Is that, so I'm one of those people who like, um, 
I can be very sensitive to imagery and, and stuff like that. And so mm -hmm. for me, it's like, I can look at that and go, if somebody really put a lot of thought into that or whatever, like, you know, and it is impressive, but for me, I see something like that once welcome to my nightmares for the next 10 years. Can yeah, you, it's, can it's you, angry disturbance. do you, do you understand the appeal of that in a way like, like could, does, is somebody going to make a lamp out of one of those things and have in their living room every day of their life? Or am I just missing out on a swath of, of society? I think what I, you know, I don't know. Um, I've never met anybody that's a collector of things like that necessarily, but you I gonna see them um, walking into that shop all the time. So you're about yeah, to. <laughs> right. This is true. So I think that, um, I think sometimes when that people that have like a darker edge, you know, might be drawn yeah. to that sort of thing. Now, what I can say about the animals here in this, in this art is that none of them were like killed or anything like that. They were all like sourced. It was another thing like that. Some people are really, they were all, like, organ, they were all organ donors. And it has on willed all their themselves to die for art is what we say. They willed themselves to die. I mean, the reason I asked that question is because it's not, I hope it didn't sound like condescending anyway, but I have this way that like, if I see something, this has happened in rap a lot with like mumble rap where I go, I don't, mm -hmm. I can't, this is super popular, but I can't wrap my ears around it into what the other people are hearing. So I attempt to go out of my way to find some sort of context, like watch doc documentary and when he starts when i start when I, I watch this like little peep documentary and it showed actually what the shows and the performing and the context it all made sense so in that way i i form an understanding of what these people are like in a way and i sort of it helps me my day-to-day -day life so whenever there's art that i really don't understand i need some way to put it into context so i can like ground it you know so you're saying by understanding the artist you can understand the art is that what you mean well, by, by understanding the like the environment where the art feels most appropriate i guess that it's like right. like taking it no longer out of just something that i plucked out of the ether of the internet and, and grasped in my hand and saying okay what is this actually what world does this belong in and then you start understanding at least for me i understand it a little bit better yes you know? i'd say this space we're in right now it absolutely belongs here with no toilet and with all the other stuff if you were to see all the other things here um it, it really it really fits in this space but um i know the person the person that creates it uh personally and it it definitely just fits their their like vibe you know their whole their whole thing um That's really so cool. Of edgy edgy people up in here so yeah um so are you are you planning to be a model in this um in your upcoming show no because in the show what i do is i have a co-host his name's melt face my my alter ego in these shows is ultra 5000 that's the name that i go by and so i i'm the person that uh reads the storyline for the model i'm the person that says what types of material i'm essentially an mc for my own like show MC, and yeah. I, yeah. That's my favorite thing. If I could have any job in the world, it would be like a talk show host or an MC. I really like to be an MC. And so myself and my co-host, we kind of bounce jokes off of each other because there's a huge camp element to what we do. It's like it doesn't the first show I took very seriously because it was kind of um the whole storyline kind of represent we're all characters from my own personal life, just kind of going from destruction to like rebirth into the mm -hmm. arts and things. And so I took it really seriously, but I found our niche and really what it is 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 really this type of campy thing that actually has really cool craftsmanship and all the things, but it's essentially like kind of like drag in that way that there's a, a sense of humor to it. So I write out the scripts and the jokes and the descriptions of the outfits and things like that. And so I will be an MC for that. So, so when you're talking about, do you say about 20 different looks that you're saying for this, mm -hmm. for this? So are you kind of designing all of that? Are you giving, because obviously, I mean, are you designing, you're not designing 20 outfits yourself, are you? Yeah. I mean, that's normal. That's what I've, that's what oh, I've so, done. Every okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but like I said before that we, there are some people that express interest in ones that are like up and coming designers and I would totally give them a space to do that. Actually taxidermy guy is going to have some of his dead animal fashion in the Sweet. show. So, yeah. Um. So that's going to be, that's going to be a thing. So, but the thing is, is I have such a large collection of things and that I'm proficient at making these outfits that I can do it pretty quickly without having to really 
do a whole lot, but I do want to make some new pieces and I have been really busy lately. So, um, but now I've got my time freed up again. So I'm going to start dedicating more time to this. So I can do it pretty quick. And it's not like I'm making like fine tailored things right. that are, you know, I'm essentially working with trash so I can just kind of like rip well, and tear. They're them. unpredictable. They're, they're, it's like, because they're not regular cloth, the way they may react is unpredictable to some degree. Exactly. You know? exactly. So. But I think that the ability in my artistry is to be able to like adapt and improvise. And so when it goes left, I just keep following it left and then let it turn into something else. So yeah, that's, a good, that's mm -hmm. a good move. Yeah. I, that's, 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 that's part of just accepting that um, knowing how to, it's, one of the things about that artist taught me is like, you know, always find a reason, find a way to turn something around. It's like nothing is, is totally lost. And it's like, as long as you can roll the punches, you're going to get something pretty cool. And as long as you stick with it. So it goes with the whole thing, because when people throw something away, they just feel like it's totally lost. It's just of no value anymore. But it's like, you know, when you have that visualization piece. You can be like, no, I can see how this would be useful. So it just goes with the whole the whole like style in which I make things is that um, being able to just roll with something that other people would find, you know, not valuable or useful. Yeah. You mentioned before um, that, you know, drag performers tend to have a lot of confidence and that it just occurred to me that that seems to be maybe, is that where, is that where you think a lot of drag performers gain their confidence? Is it through that ability to go up there on stage? Is that really, because for me, it's like, I didn't have my confidence until I decided to actually put myself out there in that way. Is that a key component to it where it's, I think so. I think, you know, I think it probably does have a lot to do with it. And I think also finding a community that is supportive in that way. Mm -hmm. I remember in our last iteration of Leal Tomoda, there was a, a young lady who was, I think, 12 years old, and she was just absolutely terrified. Um, to, you know, she was really excited about the show, but when the rehearsal came, the day of show came, she cried and got overwhelmed when it's her time to go on the runway. And my friend, French Accent, he's, um, he's a, a man, he's from France. Is his name French Accent? He's French Accent, That's yeah. That's a great name. <laughs> French accent, yeah. So French accent. So he's this, he looks like Sean Connery, but he wears high, high, high stripper heels every day. Okay. <laughs> so he's like Sean Connery, like on the top and he's dressed in a suit, but then he's wearing these high heels. He came out and he took this young woman by the hand, guided her out to the runway, showed her how to walk. Everybody clapped, everybody cheered for oh. her and like gave her overwhelming support. And it was just precious That's because beautiful. she was, she was so scared. And he like came out and just like guided her and showed her how to walk. And it's like, <laughs> and it's just, so that sort of thing. And then when it came day of the show, she was totally confident. She was ready to go. And that kind of set her up for the rest of the year. Her family's like, she feels so good about herself. She shows all of her friends, all these things. And that one moment that she had where she got to be a star. And I think she was, Lonnie, do you remember uh, the, the young lady that did that? We gave her like a beauty sash and a crown. And she was kind of like this, like, Oh yeah, that that is that is true. Remember her, yeah. yeah and so she kind of got, yeah, she got to be like a. She was the like pageant queen character of the runway, um, and it was just this. It was so neat, and so that whole thing gave her a lot of confidence in just that one experience. And so her, when her family talked to me later on, they were just talking about how she had, um, oh, you know gotten more friends and she's on TikTok and she has all this stuff, you know, I guess she's in that TikTok age or whatever, but it was neat to see that young person gain confidence through our show, essentially. And I think the same thing going back to drag performers, when you are potentially a part of a marginalized group and then you find the community that embraces you, not only do they embrace you, they bring out your best self and your maybe even your most wildest creative self. And that's where I feel like my group of friends and the, just the art community in general in Indianapolis does that. Um, 
And when I first did my very first fashion show, that's when I really found people that were doing healthy things with their time. They were exchanging creative ideas freely. Um, I didn't meet them in a bar. I didn't meet them at a party. I met them when we all had a shared common interest, which was this first fashion show. And those people end up to be my forever friends. And it helped really helped me develop identity, finding that group of people. And that was through the arts, you know. I really, I haven't heard that term doing healthy things with their time, which it sounds such like, it's such a beautiful way to put like the way I try to live my life. And it's like, I'm definitely be using that again. Cause it definitely, you, you, it speaks to a certain type of person. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, it's not really, as it's not really judgmental, but it's sort of being like, look, you have to be an adult, like a mature adult. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And which is not too much to ask for at this point in our lives. It's like, oh, we're it's not, not like, we're not, we're not old, but we're not kids. It's like. Exactly. That's why I thought I was was so impressed because I was like, not only were they doing like healthy things, but they were like doing personally enriching things like it was that fashion show was such a big production because it was Day of the Dead at the museum. So they were building altars because they have the altars for Day of the Dead. They were making flowers for, you know, like arcs. They were making props. They were uh, making outfits. They were writing poetry. So it was this whole kind of like cauldron of different types of things for this one big production and everybody was volunteering their time there and everybody had you know some some artistic ability or they were just interested and they wanted to be a support person and that's what I was at the time and so seeing these people doing really cool stuff with their time I was like wow this is really really neat and I felt just so privileged to be there I took it very seriously and uh, and that just set the trajectory for the rest of my art stuff from that that 2014 fashion show. It, it sort of takes me back to when I was a kid and I grew up in a, in a very small area, didn't really have cable, didn't have any of this stuff. And like, I remember seeing a digital underground video for like no nose job. And I remember seeing Humpty Hump and being like, this guy is different than anybody else I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, if this guy can do this, I can do, I can do whatever. And for me, it's like, that was the thing that broke through. And I, you know, we live in a society now that wants to get rid of drag story hour or all that shit. But it's like, there's somebody like, if I hadn't seen that Humpty Hump video, my life would have been so much differently and it's like if somebody you to, to try to rob people of these experiences they may really be eye-opening it's like what you described a minute ago the 12 year old girl is not indoctrination that is allowing somebody to to be who they they need to be and, and, and get there quicker than i was allowed to you know absolutely yeah and uh, you're absolutely right about that and people i think when you are given the opportunity to um, be embraced and express yourself at a young age i mean who knows how your life would turn out you know who knows if i would have been exposed to things like this when I was younger who knows what what could have been in store for me I mean I like where things are at for me today but you know I was grateful for that young woman to have that opportunity and um the the drag people the drag performers that I have in my shows are some of the most creative interesting people I can give them a concept like here you're going to be the witch doctor but then they take it to the next level they take it beyond what I could have even imagined I consider myself to be a visionary creative person but they are the ones that can take it above and beyond. And I just, I just love that so much. And yeah, robbing people from that type of experience um, is is tragic, you know, it would be tragic. That's interesting too, that I remember. So when when I was younger and other people I know or artists younger, it was all about what you could do yourself. It's like, oh, I don't want your help. I can do this. We don't need to, it's like, and then as you get older and start to appreciate others more, you realize it really is all about the collaboration because that's where that joy really comes. You can only, it can only be so exciting if you're just in a room by yourself. But when you're working to something together with somebody, it sounds so corny when I'm saying it now, but it's really what I live for at this point. You know, it's, it's so much more fulfilling. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's amazing. I've been so impressed by watching your show. I mean, every week, every week you have come out with something. You have the neatest people on there. And I think it really it's such a neat thing how curious you are to learn about other people, how much you absorb from other people and promote other people. You've had some of the like Tony Coda, the guy that was on your show. That is that was his name. Is Tony. he the one that does is it Tony Coda? Was that his name? That doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> I'm sorry. Who's the who's the artist that makes things with dollar bills? Oh, Abtil. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking, it's okay. I'm Happy 30th birthday, Abtil. You just turned 30 last week. He's in America Abtil, right now. Birthday, Abtil. Abtil, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. That's right. Lonnie's he just did a digital underground bill for me, actually. I haven't shown it online yet, but he did one He did one for me because I had just obviously what I just oh, said. Yeah. It was that same album. All of your art is so cool. I mean, like Thank I you. found you years ago when I was in grad, when I was like oh, in yeah. preparing to get into graduate school, I found you on the internet through your art on, on Instagram. And then remember I asked you to help me with a zine yeah. and, and now, and we've been friends ever since then. And then I, I got know. to talk to you in real life. Right. I know just, I would, the stuff that you're doing, I really wish I'd love to get out there at some point to like check some of this stuff out too. Cause it is, it sounds so amazing. And it's like, I mean, I live in a in a pretty like liberally area of North Northampton, Massachusetts. It's sort of like right up the alley and stuff you're doing. And it's just like I feel like I'm no one's doing stuff as cool as what you're doing. It's I'm so I mean there but the city's doing cool stuff. Like that like I'm it, it's it, Indianapolis is a racing city, but it's also an art city. It really is. It's uh it, well, there's yeah. just so there's so much going on out here. There's so many opportunities for artists of all levels, and it's just an exciting place to be. But I mean, you'd fit right in. People would just be like, "Bring it in, bring bring it in, come in here," you know. So, well, let me ask you this: So, in my with Indiana, you know, I don't know a whole lot about the state in general. But the things I think of are Woody Boyd, um, Larry Bird, mm -hmm. um, Notre Dame, mm -hmm. Mike Pence. And the Jackson but, family, and like maybe David Letterman on a good day. Yeah, we're not right. fans. So of like, it's for for me, Indiana, and this is me trying to obviously I'm speaking stereotypes. It always it seemed to me of a very like you know uptight, maybe like kind of uptight, uptight, maybe like very Christianly type state. Am I do I have that wrong or am I like? You're right, but guess what? We live in Indianapolis. Indianapolis is the enclave of the liberal artists. But that's you know what I'm right? curious about is like, because you know, what is what is is there? Does it feel like is there a big separation between Indianapolis and the rest of Indiana, and how does that impact the arts there? Yes, there is, and there there is there is a big there is a big difference there. I think that if you were a person, it's easy to come from because I came from Terre Haute, Indiana. My friends here, Lonnie, born and bred Indianapolis. Yeah, Libby's from a small town, and and so I think if you were to, um, you can come from the small towns, Indian and Indianapolis, and find your thing. Even if you're not a liberal arty type, you know, you'll mm -hmm. find a thing here. But going from Indianapolis outward would be difficult, right? If you were born and bred here and you're in this culture here. Um, it would be difficult to go to a smaller town from here because it is very conservative. Mike Pence is from here. You know, he's there's this is a red state. There's um, limited abortion access here. There's yeah. um, there's really conservative viewpoints here. And, you know, that's 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 fine, whatever. But um, that's not really the vibe of Indianapolis at all. So it would be difficult um, to go outward from here and try to uh, have the same type of lifestyle or find the same type of uh, support system in some of the other parts of Indiana. Well, I remember I had a I had a close friend who went to Notre Dame. This is 20 something years ago. And I was told it was very difficult to go off campus because most of the students were scared to. And I'm just <laughs> like, and then the rules of being on campus, I don't know, I'm not gonna get into the whole thing now, but mm -hmm. like, it's just, um, I'm trying to expand my my understanding of what the, because I haven't spent much time in the Midwest. I've been to Chicago once or twice, but that's just Chicago. It's not like, you mm -hmm. know, it's not, it's not Illinois, you know. Chicago's cool. Yeah. I mean, Chicago, Chicago's a really neat space, but yeah, Indianapolis, come out here anytime, anytime you want to come out here. Great.
So what, um, so this is, like I mentioned before at the very beginning, this is the last episode of the year. My goal this year was this podcast started, the first episode was the first week of this year. My goal is to do an episode every week and this will be the last one. So barring, you know, any major Zoom outages, I met that goal. Um, I'm pretty big on New Year's resolutions. Usually every year I make five, six, seven, and then I usually achieve most of them or the other ones that I don't usually ends up being some reason, but like, um, so I'm working on setting mine for next year. How about you? Is there are you big on resolutions or um is this just another day for you? You know what? This I, I like the concept of a resolution. I don't think I've ever stuck to one, but I have um last time we talked, my goal was to be able to do a pull-up. Oh yeah, how's that going? I'm working on well, I'm still working on it. I've actually lost 50 pounds since last time you talked to me. So 50. that's the thing. 50 pounds. Yeah, I lost 50 pounds since last time we talked. So I started doing like a boot camp type of thing at a local gym. There's a some people it's called uh west indy barbell and it's like a power lifter gym where like there's like biking people in there doing stuff and so me my husband went in there and learned from these big muscle people how to work out and stuff and how to eat right and so i'm still working on that but the second goal is to learn how to sea walk and then i want to be able to uh document both of those things on the internet so me doing a pull-up and then immediately bust into sea walk after that because i just did a pull-up and so I mean, you are, I don't want to point out the fact that you are dressed um, like a blood right now talking about sea walking. Right. It's, so true. is that like an attempt at unity feel, or what are we doing here? I feel conflicted, but yeah, it's a sign of unity. It's, it's a sign of wanting to bring, bring them together. So, you know, but that's what, that's what I want to do. But, you know, I want to, I've achieved a lot of goals. Um, I feel really good at where I'm at in my life right now. Not completing this fashion show and doing it well, making the grant people proud will be a good goal. But I think uh, just continuing to focus on health and uh, getting back into arts. I just completed a, I just led a 200 hour yoga teacher training as a leader where I taught other people to be yoga teachers. Took up a lot of my time, very personally enriching experience watching these young women go from, you know, yoga students to yoga teachers and then getting to evaluate them and guide them and, lead them through those principles was was pretty cool but it was time consuming so i didn't get to do much art so uh doing more art doing a pull-up and sea walk so watch out for those things 2024 hey you know it's you, you got 12 months i believe in you i think you can do it thank you i appreciate that yeah i think for me because i'm 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 a little ocd and when i when i put like a date on a calendar it really helps me to be able to say okay mm-hmm. it's going to start now and it's going to go for then it's like that for me that always really benefits me in general so i think that's one of the reasons why for me resolutions have always really paid off because it's just i'm excited i get excited for it you know? yeah. even if it's something that like it's like i have this stupid thing where at work when i'm on slack i all sort of level of real punctuation and capitalization is totally out the window it's like i'll start a sentence with a lowercase i i'll capitalize and i'm just like i'm like it looks like something that like a serial killer would do and I'm like, this has to end next year. I'm like, that's it. This is, I'm going to actually, because it's like, when you don't see anybody in person ever, because you work remotely, it's like, this is all I'm being judged by. I need to fix it. So that's, that's one of my I mean, goals. That's, that's, that's a good point. This is the guy with the lowercase, the lowercase guy. I, like we expected you, expected you to be like this, drinking the non-alcoholic beer at the party. Wearing, wearing the Ryman and Steel and sweatshirt. I know it's like as this is like, it's a very OCD thing for somebody who's OCD to be OCD mm-hmm. about, but what are you going to do? 
you know. That's interesting. Meet Anne with wings clips, quick to flip manuscripts. Cause her man went from damaged kid to damn he's rich. But she still can't stand the way he manages to never put nickels in the can for the cancer kids. Plus he cheats at corn holding rags that he won. So she lost interest like porno after she comes. My DM started jingling, baby, as it was done. Two seconds later, I can hear the snapping of her gums. She calls me half Dodge Challenger, half Lip Gallagher. I'm happy that I luckily sat next to her in algebra. I try to hold her down, but I just couldn't balance her between the million meetings that I keep in my calendar. Plus, odds aren't too sloppy that I know why my cell is blowing up, probably, but I should check just as well. Call the cops, see if I can get a hold and tell if that's copyrights, yell, raising hell inside the holding cell. to the articulate ox podcast i am your host soma 79 what's going on today i have my guest katie newton with us i can't every time i kick these off my words get all mumbled at the beginning i have my guest no, <laughs> no one says that katie yeah. newton return guest how you doing today i'm good i'm glad feels good to be back man yes it's awesome you actually you had one of our i think the most popular episodes so far was when you did 79 questions so today we're I doing love- it again except you're gonna yeah. it's gonna be half questions for you and half questions for me so I love that. I have I have so many questions asked. That's great. I know. I I have been watching the views to see how many views I have. Which um yeah, that maybe that's kind of sad, but still I'm no, like, I, oh, I have too. <laughs> there's another view on my episode, so I'm interested. So I did have some people reach out to me after the first episode. They're like, I listened to the whole thing. It was great. You know, I all that sort of thing. But then there's got to obviously be people out there that watched it that uh, did not reach out to me afterwards and say anything so yeah i have like a couple of like diehard fans of my work and stuff that would that first thing they're like i'm listening to the whole thing i want to know all of it so That's but awesome. i did find out this that what constitutes a view on youtube is if they watch 30 seconds of it yeah it's not much it's, no. it's <laughs> yeah i know you're right so they could have been accidental they could have said 30 seconds i don't like this anymore or they could have watched the whole thing and those that did they got a lot out of it so but the plus side is 30 seconds is actually longer than people give it credit for because it's like Mm -hmm. you can be annoyed in like two seconds 
Like, True. No. Yes. Like, I mean, right. the amount of I'm one of those people who I kind of don't watch a lot of videos because if you show me, I'd much rather read something, an article than watch a video, because once I know how much time it's going to take up, whether it's a half a second or an hour, I'm out. I'm like, I always <laughs> convince myself, oh, I can read faster than whatever it is. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I feel like I can tell I can usually tell right away. It's like, all right, uh, like, not like the cut of this person's jib or whatever, the way the package is being presented and I can just cut it off. Yeah. My jib's not for everybody. I've, I've no, that. the jib is not, nor is mine. And I've, yeah. I've come to realize that that's something you have to, uh, you really have to um, work with, you know, especially if you do social work or if you're just a sensitive person, not everybody likes the cut of your jib. It's not yeah. you, it's them. You're just not for them, so. Yeah, well, I always, I always use the example of, like, you have a band like U2 that's like the most popular band in the world, probably. I could totally do without U2. It's like, even if you're the most popular band in the world, the most popular ever in the world, there's gonna be tons of people who either don't like you or just don't even care that you exist. Right, least, you know, exactly. You it's know, not bothering Bono, it's not gonna bother me. I know, Bono's, Bono is doing just fine without us. You know, I'm not a huge YouTube fan, a YouTube fan either, but I heard this, I was listening to like a TED talk trying to like make sense of um, hyper-focusing on the negative things. Like if I have, say I have like an art therapy group, nine out of 10 people love it. The one person's like, meh, I don't like it. And I will like obsess over that. So it's like, there was a YouTube person that put out this like sort of like um, evolve evolutionary type of gene where like cavemen had to always be vigilant of threats all of the time. So in this evolutionary sense where um, we are vigilant of threats and that's why we hyper-focus on that because if there's a threat out there, we have to like adapt and adjust to be able to overcome that or or face that or whatever. And so there's some sort of like pre-programming that makes you... Um, uh, fixate on those things but it's how long how much attention you give it so it's kind of moved into dialectical behavioral type of thing of how much attention do you give this thought you just let the thought come in and out of the consciousness and then let it go the other thing too is in that example that person who gave the negative review could have seen you as a threat in some way shape or form even mm -hmm. if it isn't subconscious so they could be responding to something about just because sometimes it's like if you're confident in your life some people do feel a little threatened by that because it, it, it impacts like their ability to feel comfortable in their own world. If, if they see somebody mm -hmm. who feels more comfortable in their own skin, it can sometimes feel, feel threat, threatening, you know? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And I see, I see that a lot. I try to, you know, I try to meet people where they're, especially my clients is, is where they are. I have really good luck with that outside in the world and like the art world, that sort of thing. That's where you see a little bit more competitive stuff. People feel threatened and things like that. So I've just tried really hard to like kind of create my absolute own niche. So there's really nothing to compare it to. So you don't, I won't really hold up to scrutiny because there's nothing to compare it to anyways, right? So right. people don't feel threatened by what I do and I don't feel judged by others. So just, and if it starts to become a commonplace thing, then just change it again to where I don't have to be in that predicament of like feeling competitive against other artists or feeling like, People are copying what I'm doing and I have to compete with them. Right. And it's also, we haven't even mentioned what you do. I mean, I'm, I'm, we should mention that you are an art therapist. Yeah. You um, do upcycle fashion design. Um, what else am I missing? Um, and I'm a yoga teacher. Yes, yoga teacher. That's the other thing. Yoga yeah. teacher. Yeah. So what I do in the arts is I use fashion shows as like programming. For example, since last time we met, I did an Indy 500 fashion show at one of the big galleries downtown. And what's the cool thing about this gallery is that it is right in the middle of a neighborhood. It is like a, it's like a community okay. center. It's the, it has several different galleries, all kinds of different mediums. Um, and the Indy 500 puts on this porch party event in Indianapolis where they have people in all these neighborhoods um, and the neighborhood's really diverse. They all come and decorate their porches with checkerboard stuff. And the president of the Indy 500 comes out and he gives a big kickoff and 
they have all these things. And so we had like a 500 themed fashion show, um, wearable art fashion show. Everything was made from upcycled stuff or art materials. And we had a big fashion show there. Um, and that was that was great because the thing was they paid me for that. This is how I make money through fashion. They paid me for programming. And the program is a fashion show. So I do the commentary, which is a mix between like comedy, uh, you know, describing what the outfit's made out of, and then also like pumping up the person who's wearing it. Like this is like Jody, and she can do like a hundred crunches because she's a Pilates teacher or something, you know, like that sort of thing. So it's like everybody, everybody wins, but it's just like a community programming thing and that's kind of like there's nobody else doing that right now like people are put on fashion shows to sell their clothes right but it's like i don't i don't want to sell any of this stuff nor would you even really want to buy right. it actually yeah. it's but, about the experience yeah it's about the experience but you get to come and watch it i'm going to put on a show for you and using that's fashion cool. so nobody else is doing that right now and i'm glad for that um because now then i just have to like change my thing to something else wow that's a really cool idea that's I hadn't really considered that. Yeah, because it just takes like an existing model that we all know, the fashion show, and, and puts it into a different place, and it allows for different different like yeah, you know, creative. Like when you think of like how how exciting it is for people to look at pictures of like the Met Gala, like all of us from right. the, uh, the plebes out here that enjoy looking at excitable fashion, people love that sort of thing. Right. So you turn it into a form of entertainment, then make it funny as well, and then also it gives the. It's also like friendship building like the people that have participated in these fashion shows including myself when I was a model in an art fashion show years ago it created an opportunity for me to really make friends because of the backstage right. experience we all got to work as a team got to help each other with the lashes and the the jerry rigging of the outfits and all this stuff like that and and everybody gets to make new friends and everybody kind of gets to be like a star for like the five minutes on the runway yeah yeah that's a cool idea and it's interesting too because you think that a lot of people who watch you know regular fashion shows anyway they're going to watch them on tv or reality show they're not really there to buy anyway like if you look at like the numerical people watching it the majority of them are there just to enjoy the experience because how many people end up really buying you know the things they see on these so it's like you're right. sort of just you know cutting out that part of it that was like didn't really matter to most of the audience anyway right most the person who like is the most serious fashion person is a man named uh, bernie martin who owns he's a developer of in a uh, midwest fashion week which is actually like a global thing but even though it's titled midwest fashion week he told me that the, the stuff you see on the runway is really never for purchase it is what is the eye-catching thing to get people then to come to your boutique and then they buy like a t-shirt or they buy a belt right. or a perk or something like that um but also I just think of the fashion shows like the high high caliber fashion shows to where people are really trying to get their designs out there they're really expensive like even to buy right. a ticket to those shows so these these are the events I do are free and they're paid for by community grants and that's kind of how I tapped into that niche of getting community grant money for stuff um, and then making it accessible because that's the whole idea of a community grant is to provide free programming to better improve neighborhoods. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So that's yeah, um, right? that's so cool. And you, you, this is something you've just started. So we last talked maybe uh, it was in April, I think it was probably about three, yeah. two, three months ago. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. And and this has already been something new you've worked on since then. Yeah, this was this was the first Friday in May. So first Friday is a big thing in Indianapolis with the arts. They always have the first Friday celebration. So uh, the Indy 500 president came out there and he was pretty sharp and he kind of looked, he had like page boy glasses, real tailored suit and stuff. His name is, his name is Bowles, B-O-L-E-S. I, I can't remember the first name exactly, um, but he came out and did his kickoff and then saw our show and, and supported us and stuff. And that was on the first Friday in May. Cool. Excellent. Mm -hmm. 
All right, we've done. We we might as well jump into these questions because we have a bunch of them. Um, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Yeah, I'll go first because I want to know what does what is the significance of soma and what's of seventy nine. Oh, okay. All right, and um, just to recap, we're doing. Oh, I said at the beginning that we're doing. Yeah, I already said that. It's it's already been a long day. Um, yeah. all right. So seventy nine is the year I was born. Okay, I, was born. I thought I thought so. Right. Okay. Yep. So um, so what happened was. When I first went to college in 1997, I got my computer, I got my AOL Instant Messenger, and I was trying to find a name that wasn't already taken. And I had what was my favorite album at the time, Siamese Dream by Smashing Pumpkins, out. And I was going through and taking the song titles and putting the year I was born at the end of it. And I tried like five or six. And the first one that it took was Soma 79. So so he named the song, I find out later, Billy Corgan named the song later, because he, he talks about this process of just having this stream of consciousness where one word leads to an next, and that's a song title. But I guess it goes back to the Aldous Huxley book, Brave New World, which the drug in that is called Soma. So that's where I think most mm -hmm. people associate the word from. So it isn't mm -hmm. from there, but it's from a lineage that comes from there. And then at a certain point when I, I use it as my rap name, I, I didn't like the idea of having it named after a drug because I got put on somas when I was in college. My jaw had fallen out of its mm -hmm. socket um, mm -hmm. for reasons we won't talk about. And um, they put me on somas and it really, really fucked me up. I was just like, these are dangerous. And then so a few years later, I was sitting around in Florida. I was, I was working a job down at the Ritz in Florida, working like a sign-in booth in Orlando. And the guy next to me was doing a crossword puzzle. And he was like, what's a seven-letter word that means wisdom from within that starts with S-O-M-A? And I'm like, I don't know, man. But when you find out, let me know. Because that's going to be my new rap name. And it was, awesome. um, it was somatic. So that's what I went by for a long time was mm -hmm. somatic. And um, which I don't, it's funny because I've looked it up before and I've never really seen that definition attached to it again, but that's no, what yeah. I haven't. Somatic. So. Yeah. When I think of somatic, I think of like, um, well, somatic symptom disorder, just like having to do with the body. Yes, of of when the you body, have the yep. disorder of where you think you have, it's kind of like being a hypochondriac is what yeah. they call it. Like psychosomatic, somatic. you know? So, yeah, psychosomatic. Yes. Yeah. Psychosomatic addict insane. Who sang that psychosomatic song? Psychosomatic addict's prodigy. Yes. You got yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. See, that just, that just rolled right into my second question naturally no i'm kidding that wasn't actually my second question yeah. but that so was that good. was yeah so that was um that was with the name so much and the reason i kept it for years is because it kind of it doesn't mean much like i don't like these i'm not really into these names where i'm trying to sound tough because of who i my mm -hmm. name is or whatever i like it because it doesn't really mean a whole lot of anything mm -hmm. it just mm -hmm. sort of is what it is you know so. I like it. There's also a song by the Strokes called Soma. Have you yes. heard that song? Every mm -hmm. time I look up one of my own songs, that that's one of the ones that comes up. <laughs> you know, you get to know the things. You get to know the things that are almost like you know you, and it's like right. tons of things that from India comes up when I start typing in Soma. I get a lot of like emails from people in India that are looking for like the Gmail version of my email address, the Indian version of my Gmail address. So it's like you know, I get emails from people about someone in india has been using my email address for years and i get and i every time they have like a problem like they're heating i get like an email about it i'm like ha ah, that's hilarious yeah so. all right so do you want me to should i go next or we're gonna yeah, go, go, yeah, go ahead go. Right. um what is the best thing that's happened to you today the best thing that's happened to me well i taught yoga class today i teach uh i teach at 9 a.m on sundays and that was good. There was, I'm leading their like yoga teacher training program where I get to teach other people to be yoga instructors. Um, and so somebody said they wanted to do it. They liked my class, but it was just a really good class. Sometimes I walk away from those experiences and I'm like, man, that was like, I wasn't really feeling it, but like everything flowed really well. The music went really well. Um, 
I have this really kooky guy named Lonnie, Lonnie Booker the third. I know he's out there. He'll probably see this. He comes to my class. Um, he was uh, well-behaved in class. So that was good. You know what I mean? He did, he did all the, all the things and stuff. And it, that, that was the best thing so far. Oh, but then watching that documentary today, the one called the curious case of Natalia Grace. Yeah. Wild. I'll, that was I'll good. be watching. I'll be watching that too. I cannot wait to have a discussion about that yeah. because it is bonkers and it's in Indiana, just right, right up the that? street. So. It's always nice to know crazy stuff has happened right near where you live. I, right. Exactly. It makes yeah. me kind of, it makes me feel not such a, like such a big weirdo. Yeah. There's an unsolved, right, there's an unsolved, um, unsolved mysteries episode about, e about UFO activity, not far from where I live now. And I'm like, yeah, we're the hub of it. Yeah. That was surprised me. I've always heard of UFOs and stuff up in New Hampshire and places like that. Yeah. So interesting. All right. So um, what is your favorite rhetorical question between, between these three? Okay. How dare you? What gives you the right? And who do you think you are? I remember who do you think you are was something that in my family, my my mother would always say to my dog whenever he misbehaved. And she'd be like, who do you think you are? And she'd say it just like that. And I'm like, I'm like, who do you think he is? Because he doesn't understand what you're saying. And so that right. always makes me laugh when I think of it. Because she would, she'd always go to that. And she'd always say it in that same rhythm of way. Who do you think you? And she's practically saying it. Right <laughs> and I'm just like, who is cute. this for? And how is it being interpreted? But that's what, so that's where my favorite. I like, um, I like how dare you. And I'm always looking for an opportunity to use it. I don't ever get, I don't get to use it very often, but like, how dare you is like my favorite one, but I just don't have enough drama in my life to be able to like use it and really mean it, you know? Yeah. So um, I guess I could, I have four dogs. I could start using it with my dogs because they do crazy stuff all the time, but to really use it in like a conversation, I'm still waiting for that perfect, perfect timing to just put in a how dare you? You, you know, know what I don't like is when somebody calls something unacceptable. Like, oh, that's unacceptable. Yeah. It's sort of like there's this air of like, how how could I accept that? Yes, it's like, right. I don't like that about it. It's like, even no. if I agree with you, for some reason, I, I don't like it when people say that. It's a very Karen thing to say. It's also a very like authoritative thing to say. Like, that's something that my boss says to me when I fuck up some clinical like detail. They're like, this is unacceptable. Let me know what the obstacles were. Are you meeting this goal? And I'd be like, you know, just I, that's exactly what that language is. Is unacceptable. Yeah, it's. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So, all right. Um, what do you think animals observe about humans objectively? And I, this is something I thought about the other day when I was probably a little high and like looking at my cat. Like, what do you think <laughs> it is that like cats or like whatever animals like? What do you what do you think they know about humans that that they just learn by looking at us objectively? I think subjectively or objectively. Objectively, because obviously they I, don't have the, you know, the context. Right. I think that animals can tell when a person is a threat more so than maybe even a human can, you know? Mm -hmm. I think there are things that can like the dull human's instincts. I actually even was reading, I was reading some literature from the Nation of Islam. Not that I am part of that community, nor would I ever, they would ever accept me if I wanted to be. But I'm really interested in their viewpoint and they don't believe that humans have instincts. They believe that humans only have free will. And so uh, they they said that animals only have instinct. And I was just kind of thinking about that. I'm just really interested in that, that point of view. It's kind of fascinating. But I think animals have the instinct to be able to pick up on danger, um, to if to pick up on like a bad vibe, if you will, you know, that sort of thing. And then also uh, animals can tell when you're stinky better than humans can because they can smell and they <laughs> objectively, they know um, they can pick up on your scent. And I think that they can uh, maybe even have a better um, ability to identify when you're in the proximity because they can smell you before they see you. 
Makes sense. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Who is your favorite serial killer? I don't have to be favorite, oh. but like who is like the most um, interesting serial killer to you? Oh, man, that's a good question. It's so mm -hmm. easy to jump to Dahmer because, and I, I have, um, not, it's not really my Dahmer story, but I know somebody, a friend of a friend had a Dahmer story uh -huh. where they grew up in Wisconsin. And this was somebody who, I want to speak as vaguely as possible, went on to be an actor and was, according to, to People Magazine, was a um, uh, a very sexy person at some point. Not some, but this person isn't like super famous. Um, <laughs> I can tell you off air who it is. Uh -huh. But like they were in a bar and a creepy person hit on them. And then that, that creepy person was on the news not long after. And it was Dahmer. And it was Dahmer who did the it? The person grew up in Wisconsin and they would have been, I believe, they've probably even been underage at the time. Um, so that memory to me, it always, that, that, whenever I think of Dahmer, that always makes me think of it as just, it makes you think of just how close you sort of come to like, okay. like sometimes I think about like, who's the most famous person that I've been really close to and not known. Like when you're driving by like a tour bus on the, on like the, 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 um, the, the, the highway and you're like that could be right. like Wayne Newton or something for all you know or Wayne like, Newton, I don't know yes. <laughs> so sometimes I think about that but then I think about like what's the closest I've ever been to extreme danger without knowing it you know right yeah no that's interesting that's just a few degrees of separation I um I don't I'm not a fan of Dahmer I don't like because he it was just it goes it goes beyond like fascinating personality stuff to just kind of disgusting to me but I Ted Bundy is probably my favorite one yeah um just because he it was such a like manipulator. I've watched all of the all the Bundy things, but um, I started. I thought Zach Efron was really great playing Ted Bundy. He was like the perfect choice. Oh yes, that was so good, and that was like tastefully done because it did it wasn't really too gross. So the, the next one is who? What is the hottest president's wife that is in existence to you? Hottest president's wife. Oh man, yeah. Martha Washington. <laughs> hmm. I mean, I, I, it's got to be Jackie O. I don't know that like I really, you know, just timeless beauty, um, just the outfits, everything. Right. I don't care Ron DeSantis's wife, you're no Jackie O. I don't care what no. how you try to yourself up. No, she she is no Jackie O. Jackie O has got to be it, yeah, for sure. For me too. Yeah. I mean, I, in all honesty, I don't know that many presidents' wives, uh, what they look like. Um but I think she definitely, well, Michelle Obama's quite lovely too. She you know? is. She is quite, I, I would say she's obviously, she's up there too as well. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess maybe Jackie O is more my type than Michelle Obama. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Definitely. I think, you know, if you believe the rumors about Nancy Reagan. Um, what what are the rumors about Nancy Reagan? Was she hot back in the day? Um, God, I don't, I'm trying to think how I can say this, that it's not going to sound, um, she was the rumors are that she had particularly good skills with an area of her body. Are you serious? No and, way. Yeah, That's and there's weird. um I forget the stories behind it, but if you Google it, you won't have to search very far to find articles. Okay. All right. I would I would I'm definitely going to do that. It's really funny how there's like lore that comes out of uh presidents and stuff. Have you ever heard no. the thing that came out about Rick DeSant or Rick uh, Santorum? Oh, the 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 thing that if you yeah, the thing that <laughs> Dan Savage did, basically. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So like, I, I think about that. It's impossible for me to hear that guy's name without thinking about that, which is exactly yeah. what he was like trying to do. It's like, well played, Dan. Well played. Yes, I know. That was great. Yeah. It, when you Google Rick Santorum and did like Urban Dictionary term comes up for Rick Santorum or whatever, like, and he tried to fight against Google to get the take the index down or whatever, but he, he couldn't. So this was actually, I want to give Dan Savage prop for one other thing that I think this happened. If it didn't, uh, f- forgive me. But I seem uh-huh. to remember that right after September 11th, I was reading Savage Love, his his um his column, and I think that he was taking he was responding to letters of people who sent their their emails in that were time stamped like September 11th, like 11 in the afternoon, and he was responding uh-huh. to them like. How could you be thinking about this at this time? And I almost I, I hope this actually happened because I don't maybe I'm making it up, but I think his whole column after was all was basically shaming the people who were writing in for relationship advice as the world was burning. Mm, interesting. So, yeah. What was the what's the name of the person? You said Dan Savage. Dan Savage. Yeah. He was the yeah. guy and he wrote Savage Love. He's a famous columnist for years. He's done a lot in media. And I think he was the one who popularized the Santorum thing. I do, I do know who Dan Savage was also a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race when they had yeah. to, um, they all had to pretend to run for office. Like there was like four queens left. And then he went and he talked to each one of them about like political uh, positions and like, how, how would you campaign if you were a drag queen that was going to be president? How do you campaign? And I remember it was... Um, uh, Sharon Needles was the one that won that, won that thing. But it, it was just such a good, it was such a fun thing to watch them do to to combine running for political race on like drag queen values is like yay we you know he's a sharp guy yeah um all right so it's my my turn my turn to ask you um which muppet would make the best doubles tennis partner doubles tennis partner well i know who wouldn't do you know who janice is like with the long blonde oh, hair the, the, of the eyes? band yeah i don't know if yeah. anyone in the band is really i mean yeah. animal's probably your best bet but he's gonna animal, be yeah. he's gonna come on strong some points but a liability a lot of the other time so who i think it would be a uh, janice is the coolest one to me because she's just like yeah man you know yeah. i like the one that looks like bob dylan <laughs> the blue one the blue one in the band I like, um, I think, so, you know, there's Beaker and Bunsen, right? Yeah. So which one, I think Beaker, like the little orange-headed one or whatever, because he's already like a partner. He's used to partnering, yeah, right? Yeah, He's used to, used to partnering with Beaker, so, or with Bunsen. So Beaker would be a good partner in like anything. And he's used to like falling back. You know, he's like, I'm, I'm the support person. So, you know, if I was on a doubles tennis team, I would want to be the star um, and we would actually assume that I have more talent. So he'd be the support person. And that's funny because I'd go the opposite way where I'd, I, I'm, I'd pick Mix Piggy because she always rises to the occasion and has that rage in her. And I think she's not going to accept losing. And I want her to sort of take charge. Like maybe I'll keep things going a lot of the time. But in the big moments, I want her to uh-huh. really slam it home. No, that's, an, that's actually a great point because she does have that rage. She would go ham. She's got the drive to get what she wants. She doesn't yeah. take no for an answer. She's almost like Pepe Le Pew, but of pigs because she's so like uh, aggressive with her affection. And yes. she could just translate that into anything she does, whether it be doubles tennis or, you know, taking over the world. So in the comments, I want people to, to say whether they think myself and Miss Piggy would beat katie and beaker in a doubles tennis match and i want okay, your, i want i want to know who you think will win and why i think if we pitted beaker against miss piggy there'd be no doubt that miss piggy would win i mean like beaker beaker is a little bit um he's a little bit meek but he is consistent and he shows up and he's probably always on time mrs piggy would probably be like i gotta do my hair 
my nails. She might be too high maintenance to really be a reliable partner. You know, I'll even go actually one step forward. There will be a Soma 79 prize pack to whoever has the best answer of who would win. Yes, I want to see the pro I want the prize pack. I want the All prize right. pack. You I know, can probably, I, I can send you some stuff. I got a bunch of stuff around. I'm, I'm I'm actively trying to, as you can see, I have a lot of stuff and there's a lot of stuff you don't see. Uh -huh. So I'm trying to sort of uh, clean out some of, and a lot of it is like stickers that I made. It's, it's not just like, I'm not going to just send people like, oh, these are the paper clips that I overbought. But yeah. be <laughs> that sounds like my type of prize pack like from the people at group home we play a uh, bingo on the weekends and stuff and so i just like open up my junk drawer and i'm like oh there's like there's like a lock here and there's a a, a vape with two puffs left and a thing of lotion like here's your bingo prizes so I think that's a pretty funny. pretty dang one i um it's funny you bring that you bring up that lock <laughs> uh-huh oh you got a lock there yeah it's like the exact same one yeah, it has a key and stuff, right? Okay, so I have I, I'm gonna ditch my neck my my next question because I want to add a question. All right, so if Soma seventy nine created a cereal. What would the flavor and the shape be? What would it be called? And what would the prize on the inside be? I think people could be, be very disappointed by this because for me, I'm like I I'm a very healthy eater, or at least like that's what I aspire to be. Like I I eat very healthy most of the time, so it would be something completely boring. Cause I don't, I don't like sugary cereals and I'm not really a breakfast person anyway, cause I'm allergic to eggs and I don't eat meat. So it's like, if you're like that, your, your options are very, so it would be probably like Cheerios, but without all the added sugar, like that would be sort of like my ideal cereal, cereal, okay. um, or to be called Soma-O's something like yeah. that, like really basic, like mine would be like, um, it would be super basic, maybe even designed like this, where it's like mostly a white box with like a few like retro stripes <laughs> or something. Right. Um, that's like the design. I like the prize inside. I'm always a fan of the temporary tattoos. So it would oh, probably okay. be some sort of a temporary tattoo. But I also like the decoder rings that they used to do, where yes. like you'd move it and it would change color. So I would say mm -hmm. either some sort of a decoder ring, because I think those are super cool, or um, temporary tattoos. I also used to love, I got from the movie Congo, Taco Bell did a watch years ago that I used to wear all uh -huh. the time. That was like a Congo watch. Um, terrible movie. I just saw it recently. Um, Interesting. Yeah. That's good. So that, yeah, there's a little disappointing on the cereal, but that, but still, if there's a temporary tattoo inside a box of like Soma O's, that means like I'm healthy, but I like still like to party or whatever. But that, that's, it can and be, that's sort of me too. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, that is sort of me. So it could be have 79 vitamins and minerals, that's perfect. Or 79 healthy ingredients for all of you health freaks out there, you know. I also, too, I think milk on cereal grosses me out. So, like, it has to be this is something we're an anti milk cereal. Right. Okay. I, I don't, okay. I don't like making my food wet. I don't like, I also don't like milk and coffee. I feel like it's like, it's your, it's, it's an apology for bad coffee. If you have to add something to it, mm -hmm. I'm a black coffee person. Mm -hmm. It's like, if that, you like, like, adding, like putting a one steak sauce on a really good steak, like that sort of yeah. thing. Well, it's like, think of it this way. If you were to add like milk to Pepsi, you wouldn't just call it Pepsi anymore. It would be right. like, and it's like people add milk to coffee and still have the, they have the balls to call it coffee <laughs> when there's milk in it. But it would, like I said, if it was Pepsi, you wouldn't call it right. Pepsi, it would be something else. And I, this right. obviously has upset me. Interesting. Okay. I see that. Yes. You said the balls. That's the how dare you moment you just That had. was a how dare you moment. If there yeah, was someone here doing you. it right now, my finger would be very waggy. Yes. Waggy. That was only, this is only half as waggy as it would get. It would be, it would you look like it very, was going You have a very waggly finger. I also really. have thumbs like this. That that's so you really would get a hitchhike ride before right. anybody else. I also can't do this with both hands. 
like these two fingers move together so like i hold this down it pops right up like oh my mother's like that with the opposite hand so weird i know it's the way to prove that i'm the true heir to the uh throne of denmark right <laughs> so. right um all right. all right your your turn what are the most practical things that could be done to help slow down the issue of addiction in this country um okay well I think being proactive and not ever going there in the first place is one thing for sure. Um, I think by, you know, I don't know if it looks like strengthening the family unit. I don't know if that's necessarily the answer, but like the idea, when I think of my own personal experiences, I think of um, being a latchkey and having this time where I was left to my own devices was really a curious kid kind of a troubled kid product of divorce, you know, and then really just couldn't wait, just could not wait to like get my hands on drugs. I just couldn't wait for, to me, it seemed like so exciting and edgy and things like that. At that point, it wasn't even really like an escape. It wasn't really even struggling that bad. I just really was curious to try these things at a really young age. So <clears throat> I don't know if that comes from, you know, let's say if my parents stayed married and we didn't have that latchkey issue, I just would have had more supervision. You know, I would have had I would have had more eyes on me, <clears throat> would have been, <clears throat> excuse me, held accountable a little bit more. Um, and then I also think for those people that are, are struggling with addiction, I mean, I wrote my entire thesis on um, <clears throat> overcoming addiction by participating in the arts, especially if you haven't already, by connecting people into these uh, placemaking initiatives, which are all over Indianapolis. Um, and they go into underserved neighborhoods where addiction is prevalent. And they set up arts programming right there by connecting people to artistic programming. You've got the change of the people, places, and the things. And those are the triggers for addiction. Going back to the same place, going around with the same people, doing the same thing that you've always right. done. You can replace all of that thing. Simply, it doesn't have to be in there. Simply by trying something to go fucking start rock climbing, go join a canoe club or something like that finding a new thing to do with your time where you also meet a new support system that is a way to maintain sobriety for it's sure like replacement therapy to some degree i mean it's, it's exactly like, what it is yeah it's just, it's replacing replacing bad habits with good habits because that's what they always say about bad habits is you can't just stop cold turkey you have to replace the bad habit with something right new Something and that's good. where I think that's especially good for people who, you know, AA, I think is a great program, but my experience, it doesn't, it doesn't work for everybody, but it's a similar um, thought process where you're like, I need to just, I need to disrupt my schedule. I need to know mm -hmm. that I'm going to be around people like this at this time and be doing something. Mm -hmm. It gives you something to get you from day to day or hour to hour and like, yeah. you know, it's like a 10 post of your week. So it's you're exactly right. And it also takes like awareness, like you're, you like you have to be aware of what your triggers are too, right? You have to be aware of like, okay, every day at five o'clock is the time where I normally would make a martini. I need to go on a run. I need to get on the elliptical trainer, something like that, developing insight. But I do think like starting young, strength, whether whether your family is a, is a split family or you have a single mom or you've got both parents or whatever your family unit looks like, I do think that like, um, being very mindful of what your kids are doing, you know, or, or, or trying to have them like engaged in maybe after school program or something like that, just keeping your kids busy um, without being like a helicopter parent. But I, I feel like that's where things fall apart. Sometimes when the family unit falls apart, the parents are busy, they want to give you attention, but they just can't. So they just kind of leave you to your own devices. And before you right. know it, you're on YouTube, you know, you're, look, you're looking at stuff, mixing with people who also their parents don't give a shit and they're, you know, smoking weed or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, All right, my turn. I, yes. 
All right. Who is your favorite president in history or could be most interesting president? Favorite president. Um, yeah. All the way back to George Washington. God, it's a good question. I, uh, I gotta say Kennedy's the one that comes to mind again, you know, part of it might be like, maybe is being like someone from Boston. I think mm -hmm. that's sort of like, if you look at the time in history, it's sort of when America lost its innocence, you know, the Kennedy assassination, mm -hmm. Vietnam and all that. And in some mm -hmm. ways, his, his presidency and his place in history bridges, you know, old America with newer America. I think yeah. it's, it changed what people could think of as somebody in leadership for better or for worse. You know, so I'd yeah, say you're, you're right about that. That's interesting because he was young. He was Roman Catholic. He uh, was, you know, had it, I think the young part is really was is like really energizing for America when they have somebody that seems young and um, vibrant and has like fresh ideas and things like that. Plus, he has an interesting personal life. Plus, John F. Kennedy, when I read about him, um, he was on like he was in the Navy on a sinking ship and like single handedly swam like 10 soldiers from the sinking ship to shore. Like he yeah. saved all of these people by swimming them to shore. And they all have these like heroic stories. And I think about reading these people. These are like top tier human beings we're talking about of like what they have achieved in their life. Like I remember reading about um, who was the guy that did like the special investigation on Trump Mulder. Was that what was not? Mulder, oh, yeah. Um, Robert Mueller. Well, Robert Mueller, I was reading about the dude's history. This dude has like all these like top tier experiences of like CIA, like naval captain, like all of these things. And my husband and I were just talking about like, how is it that you get to this level of achievement that is like this top tier of like human beings and stuff? And it's just, it's fascinating to me. But my favorite president is Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, Teddy no, Roosevelt. A good one. Roth Riders. I wanted to yes. bring, roll the DMX song. You know yes. what I mean? The Rough Riders, the heat. He was badass. He um, was giving a speech and he decided to just go off the rails. And I, I do this too. Anytime I have to give a speech, I just write a speech, put it aside and go off the rails. He folded up the speech, put it in his pocket right here. He was shot in the middle of his speech. The, the, the thing stopped it, but he kept rolling. He was still oh dying. He kept the speech going and he didn't care. And then he ended up getting reelected and he was just a badass. And he would like, the Teddy Roosevelt quotes from history are the funniest. Yeah. Well, it's like, let's look at like Barack Obama quotes about hope and dignity. And Teddy Roosevelt's like, I will bite you. I'll kick you. I'll kick you in the balls. I'm like, yeah. yes. yes, yes this is Respectfully yours, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. And then I went, my best uh, Halloween costume uh, was two years ago when I went as Teddy Roosevelt um, as for Halloween and as Rough Riders. And I got to MC a like costume contest as Teddy Roosevelt and use all my Teddy Roosevelt knowledge, showcase that I created the opportunity for myself to be able to unload all that onto this unaware manifest. 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 Yeah, I created created the opportunity. I was like, oh, well, yeah. this is now my time to do my Teddy Roosevelt shtick. So. All right, so this one comes from something that I think I saw you say on your stories at one point. And I made note of it. Um, what does the term prairie justice mean to you? Oh, prairie justice, prairie, prairie justice. That means like that is kind of like it would be sort of like martial law or something oh, okay. like that. Like, so it's kind of like you prairie justice means like you get up a, a like a posse and you go out with guns and you have your own brand of justice, right? Prairie justice, that's what it means. They call so, that mob justice. I, 
mob justice. Yeah, you have prairie justice is what That's that is true. in Midwest. We don't have the mafia. So prairie justice is like, I'm going to get on an ATV four-wheeler with my rifle. I'm going to go down to the trailer park and I'm going to regulate that sort of thing. But yeah. when I was thinking I about- I like how your prairie involves ATVs in a trailer park. It does. Yeah, I feel like we're getting, we're getting more to the specifics of whatever you were talking about when you yes. posted that. Prairie, because there is literally right outside of my hometown is Prairie Ton. Prairie Ton. And that is like, an S curve called dead man's curve. There's all these trailer parks on there. That is where, I mean, I have seen Prairie justice, like people move out to the sticks because they live in a way that they can't live inside city limits yeah. or, and they want, they want privacy, you know, they want, they want privacy uh, to kind of live, govern themselves as they see fit. There's not a lot of credentialed people out there. So what it is, I'm making it sound bad, but what it is, is it, it falls out of the realm of clinical to something very intimate because you are in somebody's home. Oh, they they, they yep. live there, right? So it's just more like an intimate thing. Um, and you got to handle stuff a little bit differently because the clinical stuff can be lost on these people sometimes. But Prairie Justice, I got to use that at work. And they had they were scratching their head just like you were. They're like, what's Prairie Justice? And I was like, well, if you don't know what it is, then you don't need to worry about it. Because right. Prairie Justice is meant to be nebulous anyway. Just hope you never have to know. <laughs> You never have to know what prairie. Yeah, you see somebody on an ATV with a shotgun, you know you're about to be have some prairie justice on you. So, yeah. prairie justice kind of sounds like um, I'm picturing like a like a female WWE wrestler who like wrestles really early on in the card, and she comes out like dressed up, like fully costume, like doesn't get to have her own personality. She, you're prairie justice, and you're gonna be you're gonna wear the hat, and you're gonna like ride a horse, and right. that's gonna be it, All right? Right. No, I could see, I could totally see that. I used to do this shtick where I, when I would compete in these karaoke contests, because you could go and you could win 50 bucks a night, right? And I would just turn the party out, but I would dress essentially like a prairie Mormon, like in like the prairie Mormon dress and just not say anything to anybody the whole time at the bar and just sit quietly and act like I was really nervous and then just get up there and break out like uh, uh, by nature hip hop parade yeah and people would just be like oh you know like going crazy and stuff because like they did not see that coming and that was like the part of my the bit yeah yeah like theatrics yeah so that's awesome i know it all right you're up my i'm up okay so if you could go back if you could travel back in time to any period of history which period of history would you travel back to um, I would say early days of hip hop is probably where I'd go. Like, you know, Bronx in like the eighties and seventies is the first thing that comes to mind for me. I'm not like a big, like there ain't a whole lot back there in terms of history in general. Like I'm much more interested in what's coming forward than was what's going back. Like there isn't a whole lot I really need to see that already happened. Like, like you don't need to go back to the pyramids or something like that. No, to... I don't need to like it. I think what you would find, I, what I imagine would happen if you went back in time is you'd find how often that we actually got things wrong and i right. think it would be pretty depressing about like if you showed up these places like well there's nothing the way the way they described it and i just think that humans are so bad in this age now we're seeing even with all the information that we have and all the ways that we have to capture things you know the written word and the audio word and video we still get things wrong mm -hmm. all the time like yeah I, I think you're right i think people would be sorely disappointing to go back and see things weren't as like awesome as the historians tell it you know right or, and it's like i think like i mean i, I wouldn't be surprised if we went back and found out the dinosaurs like made out of legos or something like i don't know and it's like <laughs> to me that that actually makes it more likely that i want to go back but i just like i i think i'd want to go back and be a part I, i'd want to go back to a chance where i could be a part of something like artistic that i missed out on so what comes mm -hmm. to mind is hip-hop like andy warhol factory is another one that comes to mind Mm -hmm. um so i think probably like the like in that like range of like the late 70s to 80s new york is probably 
but right. I also like wouldn't want to necessarily live there. I I, I don't want to like. I only want the good parts. I don't want the bad. <laughs> right. I don't want the bad stuff. And I wonder if those people in those times, like Andy Warhol and the and the people that were part of the hip hop revolution, then if they knew how impactful it was going to be, like what the legacy would be. You know, if there's any way to ever know that, it's hard to say like what what your legacy will be of all of the things that you've done after you die that you're still going to be remembered. I mean, everybody knows who Andy Warhol is. You know, right. did he know did he know that when he passed away that it would continue on in this way i mean you think it, about like the guy from sublime like i was talking mm -hmm. today to my girlfriend about there's this, this this sublime tribute band called bad fish has been around here forever i'm like i bet they played more shows than sublime did at this point and it's like mm -hmm. it's like that dude's got no idea i mean he passed away right before they became famous you know? right right i love sublime yeah sublime was like there was like a whole vibe when i was probably like a senior in high school sublime was oh, really popular too. And there was a group of, of there was like a group of, of guys that hung out with that kind of were like that that life. They were trying to emulate Sublime's whole vibe and stuff. And I was really attracted to that because Sublime was fucking cool. You know, it was yeah. like just they were one of those groups everybody could agree on back then. There was so I yeah. found that it was like them and like Tom Petty and like there was like three or four things that if everybody in the in our bigger social circle could all agree on. And then there's like a lot of shit people. Right. That's when Sublime said I really got into reggae music too because I felt like reggae is is like to me was like rhythm and blues and guitar and like hip hop all mixed into one. Cause you got like guitar and then you got like a dance rhythm and things like that. You got kind of got all this stuff, but then also African-Americans were the ones that were primarily in the reggae I was listening to. So yeah. I really, I liked that a lot. I felt like that was, had a lot to offer like everybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let me see. What are some of the most upcyclable items for people who are new to the concept of upcycle? I think upcyclable items would be um, definitely, okay, you know, do you ever know when you go to like, let's say you go to a festival and there's like a big canvas that says like St. Joseph's fish fry, like yes. five to 10. You just see, they have these, right? They, the, they can only use them once because they have a date and a time on them, but right. they're made out of like this kind of plasticky type of canvas. They're expensive. That, like the signage is expensive. The sign, signage is expensive. But the thing is, people are happy to give those things away because they can't use them again. At least right. they think they can't use them again. I have a huge collection of those. Businesses are always willing to give those things away because they don't conceptualize how they're going to use them again. That is something that can be used for so many things, whether it's garments or bags or anything like that. It even for artwork, well. even for painters. You know, you totally, hang that, yeah. hang that up. You can do a big graffiti yeah. piece on something like that. Yeah, it's exactly. It has the it has the grommets in the corners to be able to hang it. That, that's a really good thing to do. Also, that's a great bicycle tip. inner tubes. Uh, anytime you go to, you can go to a bike shop. They have a big box of the inner tubes. I guarantee any bike shop you go to, they have them. And you can just ask them, can I have these? Because they're just going to throw them away. That sort of thing, you can be made into all kinds of stuff. So that those are two two good ones for beginners. But if let's say you don't have access to those things and there's just things around around your house, um, you can always make stuff out of Amazon boxes, Amazon packaging, those sorts of things. Um, cardboard is, is all over the place. And uh, even those bubble wrap containers, the bubble, like the kind of pockets that things come in like you open yep. up you have like a book in the bubble you can use that as like a, a stamp to make texture on paintings you know that sort of thing you can use these things kind of as tools to create texture um and to create um you know like a pattern things like that um cardboard same thing we did cardboard art when we went camping this past weekend and um we ended up tearing the first layer of the cardboard off so you get that like ripple in between yep. and made these really cool kind of like sunset looking mountainscapes and stuff by tearing the different layers of the cardboard off those are some things that you could use yeah. i actually saw you mentioned cardboard because 
I um, recently bought um, some records from Bikini Kill, you know, Bikini Kill. Uh -huh. And from, and like they, the records came in this little thing that I, whoever there does it wrote, thank you, love these Bikini Kill records. And I was thinking about doing a Bikini Kill piece on this that sort of like establishes that in the middle and do like sort of a tribute to them on it. Cause I, I like to try to reuse stuff too, especially if it's yeah. like perfectly 12 by 12. It's like a really good, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, your drawings are so awesome. I like seeing drawings and like, I remember somebody did all these really awesome Beetlejuice drawings that were just inside a book. Like I just took open, open like a book here and just started doing drawings inside the book. I just thought that was a really neat thing to like see. Um, and then I went to my son's art show that I'm just really impressed by the art faculty in Indianapolis to see what these kids are making. Cause they're making like really cool stuff. I never made anything like that. They have this big, thing called arts alive in indianapolis for people that are in our township and um the they opened up the dictionary to like a word that was meaningful to them and then did the drawing or the painting on top of the page and then of the word they did like That's a stylized cool. graffiti of the word on the dictionary page and that was really cool stuff um, like that looks really cool when you frame it and this is one piece of advice to give to people that you wouldn't be you'd be amazed at what looks like art just by putting it in a frame and like there are things like even like a postcard, like you, you like the, the, the act of putting a frame around something adds something to it in a way that you kind of have to do it to kind of feel it. And I don't know if I'm really articulating that right. right. But like um, there is something about just putting something in a frame that automatically can raise something to the level of art and then, you know, right. what you can do with it and stuff like you could do like like even if you took like old ticket stubs, stuff like that, that like mm -hmm. there is there are ways to preserve like these things that you kind of just put, you know, you have a drawer full of ticket stubs. There's stuff you can do with that to make it something more artistic. and, and have Yeah, absolutely. That The frame is like is like the thing that you said that is it, that preserves it, but it also like honors it in terms yes, it turns it into is something that is that is meant to be that i remember so in the art therapy um program at heron when i was in graduate school the biggest thing we had to do was uh week after week we had to do a journal prompt um and we had to respond via art we had one piece of art That's that we made cool. continue to add right and the questions would be insightful like who are you what does it mean to suffer you know what what are you struggling with you know and so it would go all these places and stuff and so um i ended up ma you know making my thing but the the catch of it was at the end you had to then trade your piece of art with another person, that person had to take it home for a week and add to it without destroying it or taking away from it, right? So what it is is a metaphor as like an art therapist. Am I able to take my client's artwork and, um, and embellish or not embellish, but am I able to support it? And am I able to add to it without destroying it, right? right. So I remember the girl that I got her piece of art. She'd done like this swirling thing of all her emotions, just kind of painting. She was kind of new to art, everybody. And so for hers, what I did was um, I just poked, I cut out a singular hole in the center. I created a three-dimensional like thing in the back of, I took a photo of her that was a silhouette of her. And so when you looked into the circle, you could see her in like a meadow and it was just this little tiny thing, but then I put it into like a golden frame. And the professor thought that that was such a, a delicate, um, effective way to support this person because she needed a lot of support, right? She needed this support piece. But I remember like the other people in the group, they're like, I took your art and I put it in the shower with me. I drove around downtown with it. I cut it up and wove it into a basket and here it is. And people would be like, that was all fucked now you know that sort of thing so that whole you seeing the frame thing just brought that memory back of having this 
having to like honor somebody's art, add to it um, and support it. And that's kind of what the frame does. It like honors and supports, you know. It's funny too, because what you're describing kind of reminds me of this concept that I think of is how do you, how do I make space for someone else while still making space for me? Because that's sort of what that, that exercise yeah, is about. Yes, that's what, that's what it is. And that's part of like working, working in tandem with a person on like a collaborative art piece or, you know, that, that sort of thing of like, what, how can I honor what they've made? How can I um, add to it without taking away? How can I share spaces? You're exactly right. And it gets me to actually one thing. I think one of the, and I wouldn't say it's the worst piece of advice, but one of the most oversaid pieces of advice in my life is treat people the way you'd want to be treated. When I think right. it's so easy to say, treat people, treat people the way that they want to be treated. I think that's a big, that's a big difference. And I think when you change your mindset about that, and obviously some people want to be treated in an unrealistic way, but like, mm -hmm. you know, on a general basis, think more about how the other person wants to be treated versus how you would want to be treated you know right no that's that's brilliant right because that, that's an extra a great way to look at it. and i just had a conversation with a client on uh on friday where they're you know he is a person that is highly intelligent um but is thrown in with people that are cognitively delayed and feels like he's not treated he's treated he's lumped in with them he's treated like a child because they're treated in this way or whatever you know and and that that saying that really puts that into perspective that no not everybody treats somebody how they want to be treated but also like making it known how you want to be treated not everybody right. can articulate their needs you know some people will will accept being treated because i can be treated much more tough than this person can be treated or i i want right. to be treated with much more dignity and this person doesn't give a shit you know right and it's also too it's about you're approaching another person from a position of empathy versus the position of thinking about yourself and i yeah. think that's one of the, the other good things about it too is that you're you're opening you're you're doing more of your own work to open yourself up more to them than you are thinking about it's almost like the, the difference between listening and waiting to talk to some degree oh yes right you know? that's interesting did you think of that yourself yeah it's this is uh, what i think about when i can't sleep at night is stuff like that yeah no that's a real i'm going to use that for sure that's a really good right. way to think about it cuz i'm always trying to get other people my clients particularly to think about other people, especially the ones that share a living space with others. Like you, you live with people, think, consider the person sitting next to you, like cover your mouth when you sneeze or just something as small as that, or something as right. big as like, you know, it's like, just think outside of your head for a moment. Think how, how would put yourself in their shoes essentially. Right. I just think about too, that experiment. I forget the name of it. The one where they showed that you're, that somebody is very likely to push a button that makes somebody hurt in a different room if they can't see them like that, that whole thing. And I think there's something about like one of the biggest problems we have on a very high level is that we don't treat each other like, like, with empathy we don't we don't put ourselves in other shoes other shoes effectively we don't actually make the effort to do that in the end most of what we think about other people is filtered through our own view of the world and i think that's right. something that no matter who you are is is i don't know worth questioning to some degree i wonder what the link between like i've seen people with if they don't have the cognitive capacity or their like yeah i mean their cognitive ability gets in the way with their ability to feel empathy for others you know, because yes. yep. it could be more of a complex uh, type of brain function, you know, of having, of being able to experience empathy. Cause I don't know that it's necessarily instinctual. Um, right. but I, I think to really some degree, like, like when you, the term wag the dog, I think sociopaths are the tail that wags the dog in our society in general. And I think that's one of the more dangerous things where it's like you have, it's like, it should be the whole dog is, is, is most of us that are living fairly decent lives, but the sociopaths and the strained narcissists are the tail that's trying to wag the rest of the dog. And I think that's okay. a, a dang, that's just my, the way I think of it. So. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. That, that's an interesting thing. I think, um, 
I think that it can be learned um, by helping people develop insight. But if you don't have the capacity to learn, um, then it could be a struggle for you. But also, alternatively, you could say, um, even if somebody's cognitive decline, if they see something that's really sad on television and they also feel with, you know, they experience that that um, biological response of empathy. Um, maybe that's the thing. But yeah, that, that's an interesting concept. I'm, I'm really glad you said that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how we got on that. Was that my question or your question? I don't remember. Here, let me see. I need to get back to my questions. All right, here we go. Okay, here's my questions. All right, so that was, I can't remember what we talked about. So that, that was a good one. Um, okay. Uh, what's your favorite music video of all time? Oh, favorite music video. See, I didn't have MTV until I was like 20, 20, like about 20 years old. So I, I missed, um, God, what pops into my head? Um, it might be today by Smashing Pumpkins. That might be my favorite. Um, the ice cream truck imagery. I think that probably is the one that when I think music video, probably the first thing that pops in my head. I'll go. With I'm going to have to watch that one because I can't remember that. Right. It was like um, Billy Corgan driving around like an ice cream truck. If I remember. Yeah, correctly. that sounds good. I think I like the music video. Um, by aha take on me where they That's, break yeah. the comic strip and there's like the motorcycles and he's like pounding against the walls and he turns it in and he's like a human or whatever i like that one a lot that's a great um, yeah i also like the rex and effects rump shaker video where the lady is playing a saxophone in the ocean wearing a bikini because it's yes. like what like how why who gave that woman a saxophone how is she just in the waves playing a saxophone <laughs> yeah. you know pharrell helped write that song I do know that, but that I, learned that, I learned it through the evolution of hip hop, watching that. that oh, yes. It's a great time. Yep. Yep. They watched, they wrote lots of stuff and they were like, well, like 19 or something when they were writing those songs. Yeah. Super wild. cool. Yeah. yeah, it is wild. Yeah. Um, right, if turn. you were a touring musician, what would be on your rider? Like, what would be, what would you want backstage for you? What, what would I want backstage? If like, what, I was like your rider, like the things that you, that you'd require that the, um, the venue have ready for you. Like your, your, your thing of, of M&Ms without the, all the. Is that, is that what it's called? A, a rider? Yeah, it's is called a rider. Yeah. A rider. Okay. So. I don't know I why, but. I definitely would want to have Coke Zero on stock. Maybe a Mr. Fog, even though I'm cutting back, I've got nicotine patches now. I definitely would want to have a large bed with like i mean if we're going like i'm a touring rock star and i can be like high maintenance with like nice sheets nice pillows i want it to be quiet i'd want to have a tv so i can watch my murder shows um that sort of thing yeah so that would that would be basically recreating what i have in my house all the time so i can be just as comfortable there as i am at home here's a warning i somebody i haven't haven't had cigarettes in almost probably 15 i'm going on 20 years now uh -huh. don't fall asleep with the nicotine patch on you will have some strange dreams oh no i do every night i love it though i oh. love it i love it yeah I, it warned me right on the box they're like take this off if you start having i don't have nightmares but i have bizarre ass shit yeah. and i'm just like every morning i wake up the the, per the only part that sucks is nobody wants to hear another person's dream no they nobody don't it's, it's... They don't. Nobody wants to listen to my bizarre dreams. You're the no. only person that ever cared to ask me about my dream. I have crazy dreams. And the thing is, they are all people that I see all the time. And then you walk up to me and you're like, I had a dream about you last night. And they're like, it's fucking weird. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop talking about my crazy nicotine patch dream because nobody wants to hear about it. Though it's funny, the um from our last episode, the clip that I used for the promo was you talking about your peach mashed potato dream. So I yeah. actually, I asked, I care. I want to hear. I asked about it, so. Yeah, fire antelope. Well, I yeah, have, oh, the, I have the, the um the uh fire the antelope fire mist. 
and in look, fire mist. I had a um, dream last night, essentially, that one of my clients, um, who this is, he had the best response the other day in group. I said, um, "What do you what? Tell me something fun about you." And he said, "He said money, weed, and power, like that is what he said." That was, and everybody was like, "Yes, yes!" Like everybody loved it. They're like, "That's what I've been wanting to say this whole time," and, I, and I'm I'm so glad you finally spoke up. You know, it's like I, that's what I want to say. And I'm just like, "Well, I don't don't hold back." You know, yes. if, if new guy over here can come in and say money, weed, and power is what he likes, then fucking speak up. You know, so um, a weird I order. I think you go money, yeah. power, weed. Weed, weed, money, power. Because and then he said weed and weed and money are the same thing, and money is power or whatever is his is his logic. And this was a lucid moment out of many um, unlucid moments, right? It just. Uh. But let me tell you something neat about this. This is a caveat. So there's something called the expressive therapies continuum, where we it's a theory about matching the diagnosis with the appropriate medium, right? We don't yep. give people with anxiety watercolor because they freak out. We give them fucking ball of wire or something. This guy who is um undiagnosed but clearly schizophrenic um he when he's given drawing and paint um he the, is not he cannot articulate his thoughts we did molding of clay and he was totally lucid and clear in what he was saying the way that he was doing this i mean it was just really interesting i couldn't help but think what's the connection between clay making and schizophrenia having this medium that is like controllable but also has a sensory experience and stuff it just rooted him more in reality um, when he was building something practical, because I just asked him to make a pot rather than delving into something abstract like a drawing. He does his doodles and things. So he's yeah. doing something practical and became more um, articulate. Most people who claim they don't have a creative bone in their body have just haven't found their particular creative outlet. I think I think almost everybody, if you sort of tried enough things, you'd find something that your brain clicks with. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what happened to me when I was a patient in art therapy. I saw the art therapist. He kept trying. He would not give up, whether it was fucking juggling fruit or making sock puppets. He tried something new every single time. And I have a couple resistant people and they're like, I just don't like art. And they just like try, they do the minimal and stuff. So I keep trying to, to reach them, investing my own resources and stuff, because I'm bound and determined to get find something that every person likes, you know, yeah. so it can be done. Yeah. So my question um, to yours. Oh, it's, I think it's my question now. We are going slow this time. Yes. Well, there, we have lots of, lots of. Yeah, lots of stuff right. stuff. So let's see. Oh, okay. If you had kids, what would you name them? Oh, I remember as a kid, I'd say that I wanted to have a son named Clayton who was going to be a jazz drummer. I have no idea where that came <laughs> from. I think Clay may have come from Less Than Zero, which is like my favorite book as a kid. But in that book, I wouldn't really want my kid to be much like Clay if I'm Less Than Zero. Clayton, um, what, what's your last name? Johnson. So the Clayton Johnson Five, like yeah, jazz. Clay, yeah, the Clay Johnson's Five. Uh, yeah. Um, so that was probably I, there was never really a moment in my life where it seemed like kids were like even anywhere nearby close enough for me to even go down that path. But so that was the only time in my life. But I always wanted. To, I always said that I have a line in one of my old songs is, is that "Danger is my unborn child's middle name." Based okay. on my way of saying that if I had a kid, the middle name would be Danger. And so I mm -hmm. guess it would be Clayton Danger Johnson, C.D. Johnson. I like that. Clayton Danger, C.D. Johnson. I like so that's a good it's, one. There was the other thing, too, was my friend had a joke, too, that when you're a kid, that your name was your um your kid's name was supposed to be the first beer you ever had. And so his kid's name would have been Schlitz Malone. Wow. And mine would have been Guinness Johnson because the first beer I ever had was a Guinness. 
Guinness Johnson. I like that. I, yeah. I wonder what my first Guinness view Johnson is. and Schlitz Malone sounds like a um I don't know that they're they're some sort of a tag team. I got to figure out what. They yeah, do. totally. Like, I would go. I would like go out with either one of those guys. Like yeah. when I wasn't married, I'd be like, "This is my boyfriend, Schlitz Malone." It sounds like a superstar yeah. name. This is his boyfriend, Guinness Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I love that. Um, I if I had if I was to have a son, uh, another son, his name would be Rudolph. We'd call him Rudy. Nice. Not after Rudolph, what's his fucking nuts or whatever, but like you know. But after Rudy. the reindeer, like Rudolph. the movie, like the movie Reindeer yeah. Games, where Ben Affleck's character's name is Rudolph. Is Rudolph? Is Rudolph? Oh, is his name Rudolph? Oh, okay, yeah. that's right. I've seen that movie. That's a, it's a bizarre one. Okay, not a good, not a good movie. I just saw it recently. Mm-hmm. Not, um, not a good one. What's the mo- who's the most famous person you've ever been on a plane with? If you can think of anyone, I'll most let you think because well, that might be a thinker. I was on a plane once. If you know who Greg Giraldo is, he's a stand-up comedian who unfortunately passed you. away. He I died spent the, like speedball, like, yeah, something like that. I was on a plane coming back from Seattle, and I kept looking I'm like that looks just like Greg Giraldo. It's really him. And when he goes to stand up, he's wearing a T-shirt that's like Portland Comedy Festival. I'm like, yeah, that's him. <laughs> like, so that's wild. No, he was funny. Yeah, he was really a funny, funny dude. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been on a plane with anybody famous i remember my most memorable plane ride well i've had a couple i had this is funny so i was in i was on a overlay i was heading to uh, los angeles i was in dallas uh in the overlay there we were, we were stuck on the plane i was in between a kid going back to australia and i was in between a man who was just from like Butlick, arkansas who was on his way to the philippines to pick up his new wife because he won five thousand dollars on a nickel slot and he told me all about it and stuff and he's like i gotta go out there and live with him for two weeks and my kids is gonna have a new mammy you know and that's what he said he said i know it's i know it's destined to be because i never went on the nickel slots i hit it big on the nickel slot i got me a new wife I'm going to the philippines to pick her up be there be back i need weeks. to know wh- what happened with that i wish i knew i wish i knew yeah oh i wish God. i knew I know. And then the, then the next time on the way back, I was next to a play-by-play hockey announcer, could have been famous, maybe in the world of hockey. We started talking about this stuff on Craigslist called Missed Connections. You know, that is right. Yes. Yep. Missed Connections. We're talking about Missed Connections, right? And like, you know, the histrionic person in me thinking that people are more in love with me than they really are. Always searching Missed Connections for people reaching out for Katie Newton because they just want more. They want more of that. I've even reached out to people. And unsuccessfully, they've been like, dude, no, it's not you. I'm not I wish I you. could. I, I'll think about later what that says about you. <laughs> that, that, I feel like that's like something that's a real window into you. That like... So it's history. It's a total like part, like it's not my personality is not disordered in that way. But I'm prone to, I, especially when I was younger and more or less stable, I was prone to histrionics where I think. Let me say more I, or less stable. <laughs> I was less, oh, you were I more less, or less stable. Less stable okay. back then. I'm more stable now. Less stable then. I I would think that relationships were more intimate than they really are. And that's what that's a, a perfect, that's yeah. one of the DSM criteria for histrionic personality disorder. Also attention seeking and things like that. But I would check these connections and I'd be like, this has got to be about like TJ from specimen management. I know he like is in love with me. And I'd call and I'd be like, it hates Katie. You know, we I know we worked there like this isn't, I'm not talking about you. I just be like, damn. That's so anyway, we started talking about misconnections on the airplane. And he says, well, there's, you know, I love misconnections. She said, we actually did this little thing where there was a guy that always sat in seat 1A and he always saw the lady in like 2B and he, and he really wanted to ask her out on a date. And so he like contacted the, the hockey announcer and was saying like, you know, Hey, I put out a, a misconnection for this lady. Cause I know she always sees me. I always see her. We always make eye contact. We're friends and friendly, but you know, she's never asked me out and I've never had the balls to ask her out. And so they like, 
did it on like the jumbotron they're like misconnections craigslist so here we go we got the guy in 1a and we got the lady oh over God. here and she's just like horrified you know it's like when they do the kiss me cam and the yeah. person next to you like that kind of like that so that was the the misconnection story that was a real memorable one and me and that guy the play-by-play -play hockey announcer we became friends on myspace and then ended up hanging out and time we travel we go and hang out together and stuff very cool yeah all right i think you're up is it my question? Okay. Um, if you could change your name to any name, what would it be? Well, my fake name is James A. Gorman. That's the name that I use for like, for what? if I, that was the first name, the name of my first fake ID was James A. Gorman. And mm -hmm. even now, like my, I have an email address that I use to just to send ideas to that. I just keep all my ideas and the name on that is James A. Gorman. So that is the, the fake mm -hmm. name that I use all the time. I think it sounds, cause it's like a good fake name. You have to be really ready for it. You can't like have to fumble for it. And that's been in my head for a long time. So it sometimes comes out of my mouth, like, um, quicker than uh because my old i used to use cm punk who's a pro wrestler i think i mentioned oh. that in my post this year that was my old fake name i'd used so whenever so then i knew something didn't someone didn't really didn't know me when it was came to dress like cm punk but then he became famous and i had people calling me like are you the real cm punk and i'm like this is blown up in my face right no, no. james what's the a stand for in james a gorman um it changes every time so i don't know yeah. it's um i love that james james a gorman yeah, sounds a. like gorman. a like a personal injury attorney or something like that yeah it does it does yeah, yeah. but it's, it's just a very boring name but i've always i can name james i like that name so yeah james, i don't, I, hate, I don't like jimmy at all but i like james james is good I, if i had any name it would be ramona mcgillicuddy i like, I like that, that name a lot like ramona from the ramona quimby books mcgillicuddy like lucy who's lucy mcgillicuddy yeah lucy's from i love lucy right oh is her last name is mcgillicuddy i think that was her maiden name was mcgillicuddy I like that. That's like a super strong Irish last name. I like think that was her maiden name on the show. I think that was her okay. fictional maiden name. I think. Okay, it's a good one. Yeah, it's. A, I just I've did a big deep dive on Wikipedia name. about about um I Love Lucy recently and how much um Fred and Ethel hated each other. <laughs> really, Real interesting. Yeah. I haven't seen too many I Love Lucys, but that that's a good a good Great name. Show. Holds up. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what is your hometown name known for? Terre Haute, Indiana is that is it is known for where Larry Bird uh, went to school, right? Favorite we basketball talked, player of all time. Yeah. Talk about Larry Bird, but also that he is where the that is, um, where the Holman family's from, and they are the ones that founded the Indy 500. That's where Rose Holman Institute of Technology um, is, which is one of the number one engineering schools in the nation. And then Indiana State University um, is those are two things that I would say that is famous. Also. Clapper Girl Baking Powder. That's the Holman's own that. If you like to bake stuff, that's where the factory is. All right. All right. So let's see. Um, what is your favorite documentary? Oh, God. The first one that comes to mind, I haven't seen it in years, is Grizzly Man. That's oh, one. Yes. I saw Jeez. that in a very weird time in my life. And the guy's name is Timothy. And they keep saying mm -hmm. about how Timothy got eaten by bears. And I remember it getting mm -hmm. really in my head and being like, what the mm -hmm. That one, the one the, you see the scratch behind me that I'm pointing to, that's a uh -huh. documentary that really changed my life by this guy, Doug Prey. And it's about scratch DJs. Uh -huh. I got the opportunity to actually meet him shooting footage at a DJ Qbert show in the at the L Ray, and he was a wicked nice guy. And that uh -huh. documentary I've shown to so many people, it's really, really awesome. It's about the history yeah. of 
scratch DJing and it's about hip hop in general. And it's, they have everybody in it and it's just, I still, Oh, the one that's really inspired me the most though, is uh-huh. the documentary comedian that Seinfeld did when he retired all of his old standup material after the show was over and after uh-huh. the sitcom was over and he started doing a tour and there's a bunch and he started like writing new material. And he made a documentary about it, but it's one of those documentaries that I, especially in like hip hop circles, every once in a while I'll hear a rapper drop a line from it. And I'm like, Oh, you're someone else who saw that. And it really made a difference. Cause there's like mm-hmm. three or four points in that documentary where him or someone else says something that's so poignant that for a creative person that it's, it's really like important to hear. So I'd recommend that to almost mm-hmm. anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, I will warn you though, the, the, the documentary ends with him basically talking to Bill Cosby and being like, you're the greatest ever so that the ending doesn't age very well but i mean i guess you can't really take away from what bill Cosby did from a comedy perspective so. right right interesting so that i like that i really appreciate it when you can pull out like a one like poignant statement and you can use that as like a nugget of wisdom for the rest of your life to like uh bring out in times of you know enlightenment or whatever so i like that that's yeah. interesting there's a lot of a lot of documentaries out these days so it's, it's yeah, good to have documentaries what was your read on Grizzly Man? You think that he should have no business being out there with those damn bears? Oh God, no. He should not. He should not. No, it was a miracle that guy lasted 13 seconds, let alone yeah. 13 years. He was a flag. He's like, come here, baby. Come here, baby. Come and he here. was allegedly <laughs> second to play Woody on Cheers behind that. That was a fact that always blew my mind. Is that allegedly what? he it was down to him and Woody Harrelson. And I feel like I need to research that again because they they do go into it in the documentary, but I'm a huge Cheers fan. So like and I, I like the histor- I like the historical stuff. No, stuff that, like that, that's so. crazy. I mean, like the Grizzly Man was kind of kooky and dumb, like Woody's character kind of yeah. was, but like thank God, you know, that didn't happen. Yeah. Jeez, that's that's nuts. Well, interesting. Okay. Uh, um, what brand would you never wear? Lululemon. That is I, a expensive yoga people brand. I'm wearing it right now. Shut up. Are you serious? What in the world? Where'd you get those from? Did you buy them? Yeah, these actually, I got discount pretty cheap, but I remember I used to live at the largest mall in New England. We had a condo attached to it, me and my former uh-huh. fiance, and she used to get me gift cards to Lululemon. It was like one of those things that get you a gift that really, I think you'd look nice in this, so we don't like what you wear, so we're going to do that. So I have a bunch of, and to their credit, and I give Abercrombie the same thing, because I still have clothes of Abercrombie from high school, uh-huh. the clothes hold up. They're expensive, but they do hold up. So they do. But here, here's why I'd never wear them. So here, I, then I just gave, I just gave this today in yoga. What I really like about yoga and what I really like about running and like calisthenics is you don't need any gear to participate. That having to have gear is an obstacle or is a barrier for people to participate. I say that about rapping too. Well, there you go. Like to have like a microphone or like whatever you, you need. Don't need right? any of that. All you need is your voice. You know. Oh, you need your voice, right? And so the people I I teach at a little tiny homegrown yoga studio that's struggling to even stay open. Then I teach you like a big corporate one, right? All the the corporate one, all the ladies come in, they're wearing these super expensive outfits, they have super expensive mats. And it's like, you don't have to have that stuff to participate in this. And like, I'm here to like speak that gospel of like, this is yoga is is a time honored thing that covers all of the pillars of fitness. You don't have to have these things. You can do it alone. You can literally just walk out into the grass and do it. You don't have to go to even a place to do it, you know? So that's why I don't ever wear that stuff. Plus it's not really like size friendly for like curvy people. They don't have a whole lot of like bigger sizes and the shit's turbo expensive. 
Yeah. See, the one reason, the reason I don't wear it as much when I actually do yoga, but the reason I like it because of all my clothing, shorts tend to take the biggest beating. So I'd be, I'm more likely to want to spend a little extra money for quality when it comes to shorts, because I feel like those are my, the clothes that I go through the fastest. It's like, right. Like, like there's some things I'm more, I'd rather spend a little extra on and some things I'd rather cut corners on. So right, but you could get like some LL bean or like some, and I do love LL bean too. Get yeah. Some, yeah. Cabela's get some fishing shorts or something. There you go. My dog's crying at the door. All right. Uh, I think it's, um, oh, it's my turn then. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Do you believe, oh no, the next one is a uh, favorite revolutionary. Revolutionary war person? Revolutionary, that revolutionized oh, anything. Person ever revolutionized anything. Um, I think, God, it's so tough. I'm always very fascinated by the evolution of the keyboard. Like people mm -hmm. like Moog um, in just mm -hmm. the way that like, um, like I'm reading a book now about um, the history of Pac-Man. And just oh, okay. it's, it's like a 350 page book and I'm going to try to get the author on the podcast. So hopefully, you know, it actually happens. So we'll see awesome. with one of them. And um, I'm very fascinated in the time in history when we really went from like analog to digital. And this sort of goes up to with the history with the hip hop thing where it's like hip hop was invented 50 years ago, 1973. Pac like video games Pong first came out in 1972. So I'm fascinated by things that happened when we were really just moving into this digital the space of manipulating these things we understood television is this now we want to manipulate it and turn it into a game we understand music is this as a record now we want to manipulate it and make it use it into an instrument so it's like people around that era like like um dj cool herc you know moog like the guys mm -hmm. who created like like the early days of atari that stuff fascinates the hell out of me and that's something I, i'd love to the same question about you said before, while I'm in New York checking out early days of hip hop, I'd love to come up to New England and check out some of the, in California, check out some of the early days of like Atari and just, yeah. I'm not even a big video game guy, but that stuff fascinates the hell out of me. Right. That's cool. That's a good, that's a really good answer to think about because technology is like one of the biggest revolutions that like we, that we have seen, you know what I mean? And it's something that has happened relatively quickly if you compare to revolutions of like war or of policy or of things like that like tech technological revolution um has happened fast and has unfolded in front of us right so that's that's really interesting to think about let me um, see i'm get back to my questions what was your favorite of all the books that you were forced to read as a kid forced to read as a kid like ones um, that you were assigned at school that you yes i was i was assigned i was assigned books in school so um I think I was forced to read a bunch of Steinbeck books um, as as a prerequisite to get to graduate the alternative school early. I had to read a bunch of Steinbeck books and um, write a report on them. And so I tried to like watch the movies, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I get away with that. Um, so I remember reading Grapes of Wrath and the end part where she nurses the homeless man with like her breast milk that to me was like so shocking and stuff at the end of that that was one and then um the pearl which is essentially about a pearl that uh um lead a great pearl that this fishing village is looking for and it leads to destruction of every everybody's trying to then killing each other robbing each other doing all these things to amass the wealth of this giant pearl and the powers of this pearl and stuff and ends up getting hooked back into the sea after it destroys everything I which mean, actually they both end up being really great books all right. So you're, let's see, up next. Uh, do you believe in any conspiracy theories? 
Um, see, I'm a big person that goes, well, let's remind people that a conspiracy, you only have to have two people involved for it to be a conspiracy. So I do believe that it's like, there's tons of conspiracies because that technically fall under the definition of a conspiracy theory, because it's really the depth, the bar is very low to actually get in that. Right. Having said that, I do believe that, you know, there's stuff on aliens that isn't reported and things like that's the one where I think I can most quickly point to. I don't believe things like 9-11 were like an inside job. I think I don't believe stuff where it's like, okay, well, it's been 20 years. How many people like whenever I have have someone who goes into that stuff with me, I'm like, all right, think of it this way. How many people had to be involved for that to happen? Like how many people had to know about it? And there's been no whistleblower. There's been no. And it's like, I know you can point to jet fuel temperature of yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like also how many times has buildings actually like what was the what are those calculations based upon like not the thousands of times this happened before and stuff like that so right right I think so I have a I have a friend who who has deep spiraled deep into that you know around the time when COVID came around I've got a lot of people that went into the COVID thing it's conspiracy and then then went into others and it's like what is the benefit of believing in the conspiracy theories to just say i was right all along you know like what is the benefit that's of what that? i think it is i think it's people that feel powerless that they want an opportunity to be able to jump start their way to being smart it's like they feel like if they're right they have to jump ahead of all the people who are actually like you know okay. improving themselves and then they get to be at the top of that i think yeah and that it's true and the people that i have found that are into conspiracy theories they're not really thriving in other places in their life yeah. you know they're not really like and the people that have the time to devote to all of these things are like, no, I'm, I'm doing something with my life because I'm pro- proving the injustice of the world to these evil sources and things like that. I do have one person, though. His name's Lewis. I hope you follow, follow him on Instagram. If you don't, then this is funny. We're talking about this. He's like real paranoid about Illuminati stuff or whatever. I mean, like he's like one of my best friends. He's like the 7015. He's an Atlanta based hip hop artist or whatever. But anytime I posted a picture of like this Masonic temple coin somebody gave me and he's like oh hell no he's like no he's like i don't know he just like bugged out and stuff because he really thinks the freemasons are like the illuminati so anytime Uh, there's a lot of freemasons in indiana anytime my my grandfather was a freemason so yeah yeah. i mean like they look totally normal dudes to me but he's he's super paranoid about that stuff it's just kind of like dude you got too much time on your hands bro to start making making more people are so bad at keeping secrets like really in general it's like a lot of these conspiracies revolve around a lot of people keeping a secret and people are so bad at keeping secrets they really are have you seen that that air that like first aaron airman first class that leaked the secrets about ukraine and just on his discord to seem cool you know that's just the thing people they get information like that they they cannot keep quiet about it and that's just that is the nature of it it really if you don't want a secret to be told don't tell anybody because it will be told yep all right um if you had 10 extra hours a week how would you spend them Musing, lounging around, fiddle faddling, um, you know, that sort of lot, what is it, dawdling that, yeah. you know, just kind of like to goof off. But honestly, let's say if there was actually 10 extra hours that was just added to like everybody's week or whatever, there would probably be more, more working, you know, I'm really like dedicated to my job right now because it's fun. Um, but also, yeah, I would spend more time chilling out and I would hopefully I could dedicate more time to my family. You know, we, we're just spending a lot more time together now that, you know, graduate school has done some of the art projects have, have, uh, I put some of that stuff on the back burner. So, you know, that but probably snoozing a lot, like an indoor house cat. I'd be laying yeah. around in the window, eating food, loving Get on some my Garfield time. Yeah. Garfield time. Totally. Yeah. All right. So let's see next one. Um, so what is your, 
least favorite place to visit? Uh, I think Florida at this point. And mm -hmm. it was funny. I had someone offer me like what would have likely been free tickets to the Stanley Cup finals. Like, oh, like the, like a week or a few weeks ago. And I didn't, it, not even for a second that I consider it. I'm like, no, I'm not. And they, they, this is, they were, there was the Panthers and they, they live in, they play in Florida. So okay. it, like, it would have been, and I was just like, nope, I'm not going to Florida. Like I just, and not only for all like the political reasons or whatever of like also being a non-binary person, I feel like walking around with this on my hands is gonna, right. like, someone will be a dick. And that's, I, I just, it's just like, I don't want to support with my, with my dollars going on down there. And also, mm -hmm. there's a funny thing about Florida. Whenever my mom goes there, she has an allergic reaction to just the air. <laughs> and when I was at Disney there once, I literally got off the trolley to get on Disney. And one of my eyes just started gushing with water. And like, mm -hmm. and it was from all the flowers out front. By the time I got to the bathroom inside, it had stopped. So there's, there's also something in the air down there that for people in my family mm -hmm. doesn't, it's, it's unpredictable. So. Really? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I always, we called it, Florida is the Midwesterners, California is what we always call that. Cause it's like the, the, the poor man's California. So it's yeah. over here, but everybody in that's a hot destination spot. At least it used to be for people in Indiana to take that's their family. We, we call there. New Hampshire, um, North Florida because it's North, sort of like, Northern it, Florida. It, yes. Cause it's that's kind what of redneck. A little like, yeah. That's interesting. Um, oh, what, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. What's your least favorite place to go to like in your town? Oh, like, okay. Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, you're good. You could have answered it anyway, but just to go deeper, what's the least in favorite my town? To to? Um, yeah, like Walmart or something like that. Uh, I would say I barely go anywhere. I would say I hate filling up my gas. The, getting mm -hmm. gas is the hardest thing because there, there's only one gas station that's within like several within even even a bunch of miles from us really that's that's less than like a like a 15 minute mm -hmm. drive away and it's mm -hmm. like one of those gas stations that's like just hanging on like the um the the card reader doesn't always work it has a convenience store that's only full of like dusty like coconut snowballs from like the 80s you're just like oh yeah is, is barely making it and i i hate having to go and get gas so Yuck. I don't like getting gas either. I, I don't like going to Walmart. The I mean, least favorite place to ever have to visit is the social security office. I hope you never have to go there okay. in your lifetime because it is uh, depressing. I bet. Um, what's an opportunity you consider moving across the world for? Moving across the world. I mean, I really like being around my family. So an opportunity to move across the world would be, um, of some place I could take my family where everything is provided and to have some sort of like submersive cultural experience or maybe some sort of submersive artistic experience, something like that. But it would, it would have to be where like my family and I are like set up for life. Like, for example, like I have a, a cousin who her husband was a uh, art professor at Virginia Commonwealth and they were given an opportunity to live in Doha like over in United Arab Emirates mm -hmm. and the deal is like they've lived there a really long time and he's an, he teaches art there like an American kind of university but the whole family had to go they had to be like set up like they're set over there they're connected with other Americans that live over there and they have everything they need and it's really worked out for them and to make a move like that it would really have to be supportive of like my family, but the opportunity would be something, something in the arts. Um, and then, you know, maybe some sort of submersive art therapy experience where like it could be international or it could be working with a popular. You're on mute. Sorry. It just muted Sorry. for a second. Somebody called me. You still hear me? Yep. I'm here now. 
Okay. Yeah. So something, something like that. The if, given if the circumstances were right, I would hope it would be an art therapy type of experience, or that it would be a, an art experience. Fashion, maybe, it may be fashion, but not so much more than more so than the arts. Okay. So let's see. Um, what type of fashion do you like to see women wearing? Oh, I see women wearing. Um, I like I I'm always uh partial to like the fashion like the like hip hop fashion from like in like dance fashion from the early two thousands like uh -huh. um like rave fashion back then like sort of like um clothes that are baggy in some points and tight in others like like something someone might wear to a rave in the early two thousands or wear like a hip hop show and stuff like that like mm -hmm. like stuff that's functional for like dance and you know tight in the right places and loosen in other places like something that's functional but still like fashionable i guess okay like, i got um, you kind of like that, of... like baggy pants and like a tank top or something or like a yeah, kind of like big like earrings or so i think of like salt and pepper or like tlc yeah, kind yeah. Of like and i like a little thought involved in like matching and things like that like i want it to be like you didn't try too hard but you tried a little bit like you know that like you, you've got something that's a nice match match of form and function Right. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Okay. Um, do you think the popularity that Taylor Swift is currently experiencing is on par with other superstars from previous eras? Or do you think she has transcended that? And I ask because from I have noticed lately, and I don't know her music really at all, but I've noticed the way people talk about her, especially like in my work circles and people taking their kids and stuff like that, that it seems like her level of penetration is probably the wrong word, but like <laughs> it seems like bigger than even other bigger superstars in a way. I was sort of fascinated by it. I don't know. You know, I, I'm I'm not a fan of Taylor Swift at all. I'm not a fan. Like I just saw a clip for her new like documentary about how she's she was kind of whining about how she had to fit the mold of what everybody else wanted her to be. And it was just so welcome it was to, so welcome to this planet. <laughs> traumatic and stuff like that. I'm just like, bitch, this is not trauma. Like, you know, it's like it, it just was she's very unrelatable to me. I know lots of people like her. They even have like Taylor Swift song only yoga at my yoga studio. It's like, and it's the most popular class on the schedule. Everybody wants to come in for the Taylor Swift. They all kind of look like is there any other artists like them? I mean, is that to my point that it's transcended a whole new level? Because it's like, I mean, there was I it was never like a Madonna only yoga i mean maybe somewhere but like it seems no, like no there, there i mean maybe maybe in madonna's prime it wouldn't have been a yoga class maybe madonna's madonna house like <laughs> the thing, yeah madonna's house right but, but madonna was like the thing you probably could have an all madonna type of activity or something like that but i don't know because i don't pay close enough attention to her she definitely does get uh is getting a lot of seems like young people you know people in their 20s early 30s like her a lot and stuff like that but she bugs the bejesus out of me but um, here's a, here's a bonus Madonna question, actually. Can you name a Madonna single since the song Music that came out in, I think, 2020 and 20, 2000? Can you name a single she's released in, in the past 20 no, years? No, no, I don't think I can. I, I couldn't can't either this morning because that came on the radio and I was talking to my girlfriend about it. I'm like, I can't name a single Madonna song that's come out since this. No, I don't think I don't think I can. So let me see if I can get my phone plugged in. I don't I thought I charged it enough, but let's see. All right. I have a plug right here. All right. All right, here we go. Plug her in. Got a voicemail from a mysterious number during her thing. I wonder what it is. Most of mine are people trying to scam me on car insurance. Or yeah, I know. I know. I hate that stuff. All right. So next one we have. Um, what's your favorite board game? I'm not a big board game person. I I'm so non-competitive that I lose interest. We played Dexter Clue recently, a like clue based in the, in the 
show Dexter. And I think people were frustrated with me and just how little I took it seriously. So <laughs> I would say maybe yeah. Trivial Pursuit, because that's the one I'm big into trivia. So that's probably the one that I sort of yeah. like. Yeah, I say Trivial Pursuit. That's a good, yeah, Trivial Pursuit. You can kind of showcase your not feel real like a smarty pants in that yeah. game. Yeah. All you have to do is move the pie around and be like, let me just drop some knowledge on y'all real quick like right, that. Right. So, so, yeah, that um, reminds me of the role playing game story I told you that we had to cut out of the last yeah. interview about how disinterested I was in that game. Somebody trying to explain game rules to me is like, I just rather like watch paint dry. It's like, please stop. I yeah. can't take it or, or do something else. But we won't talk about mm -hmm. that. Um, mm -hmm. If you were a pro wrestler or a boxer, what would your entrance music be? Oh gosh, that's you know I really like Rough Riders by DMX, but and it I would take on like a whole Teddy Roosevelt vibe though. It would be like I'm gonna drop history and also hip hop on you from DMX at the same time. It would be Rough Riders like that, and then I'd have like a posse, like a crew, and we'd do Prairie Justice. That would be my like wrestling style. It would be Prairie Justice because it would be like I'm outside the realm to what the WWE is gonna allow. Like I'm gonna come out and bring Prairie Justice because that's what it's all about. Is like they're breaking rules, right, and stuff. And so it'd be kind of like a hillbilly vibe or whatever. You don't see me coming. I look like an innocent prairie person, but then here comes the prairie justice. Here comes the prairie justice. And then it's like, you know, an elbow or something like that. Though so I've said this before. I have I have three that I go through. It's Kick Them All They're Down by The Offspring. Okay. Um, Never Gonna Come Back Down by BT, which I, probably isn't as well known. And Smallpox Champion by Fugazi. Those are my three. So. Oh, you have I to think never. Yeah, I think Kick Them All They're Down by The Offspring is probably the one I'd most likely. Okay. Play, so. Okay. I like that. Right. See, you would never hear a Taylor Swift song as an entrance to a wrestling match. Probably not. No, no, she, she wouldn't allow it. I'm sure. Now, when that happens, that is transcendence right there. If she can, if go. she can cross over into the world of WWE, monster truck rallies, and you hear a Taylor Swift song, then fine. I, I concede that you are all the things. Hey, it worked for Aretha Franklin, Liberace, um, Cindy Lauper. Liberace, Liberace, Liberace was, was at WrestleMania. He was, at, he was one of the first. I think it was at the first WrestleMania. With, with Muhammad Ali, I think they're both in the ring at the same well, time. He, he's like glamour, you know. He he has the glamour of that sort of thing, you know. So, yes. and he was, I'm mean, kind of like rock and roll in his own way. Taylor Swift to me is just like milk toast, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. So. Okay. All right, is it my turn? Yeah. All right. Um, what is your favorite lunch meat? Uh, I don't eat meat. Co, what is your favorite cheese? I don't really so I'm mostly vegan. Um I will say I do eat fish though, which is gonna sound very contradictory. But so uh -huh. I guess tuna would be the closest thing to a lunch meat. And I I never I for some reason like um I'm kind of particular about food. I don't like I don't like cold cuts. There's something about them that kind of grosses me out. I don't know why. So it'd be probably okay. tuna and cheese, I would say when I do eat it is either Swiss or provolone. Okay. I think I think American cheese. You can just I'm done with American cheese. Done with the American. Is it called a pescatarian? Is that what you are? I if perhaps so that always sounds like a religious thing, but um, yeah, the yeah, Presbyterian, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, pescatarian. Okay, yeah. your turn. Uh, all right, what was the best bargain you've ever found? Best bargain I ever found. Okay, there's these really cool pair, and you can see them in some of my photos of on um on Instagram. There's this really cool pair of they look like Gene Simmons kiss boots, mint condition, totally rhinestone. The whole thing are covered in rhinestones. They, they'd never been worn. I found them for $8 at Goodwill. Wow. And somehow magically, since they're like a huge platform, they fit anywhere from like, 
I think they're actually like a size 10, but since they're like a platform and they lace all the way up the cap, they'll fit anywhere from like a size six to like a size 10. So everybody's been able to wear them. Some sisterhood the traveling shoes there. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, and everybody loves them. Everybody want, offers to buy them from me and stuff. And so just given that everybody, they fit everybody, they're comfortable enough for any model to walk in, even if you got a club foot or something like that. And everybody, uh, everybody likes them. And that's been the best bargain I've ever got. Cause surely they had to have been expensive because they're really high quality. Um, and somebody was probably just like, I, it would kind of made me sad if I created the story in my head of where they came from. Somebody probably bought them, really wanted to wear them, never felt like confident enough to get their sparkle boots out and then just sadly resigned and sent yeah. them to Goodwill, you know? Yep. Good All one. right. So let's see. So what is your least favorite hot social topic right now? Um, the least, least favorite. favorite. I hate the idea. I, 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 anything to do with the word woke. I'm so over. I'm so mm -hmm. over the attempted mm -hmm. weaponization, attempted, I'd say failed weaponization of the word woke by people who can't even define it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, social Marxism isn't really a thing, Ron DeSantis. Like, it's like, it's like, I saw an article today that it's like defining, it's like saying, oh, Flabarinsky is, uh, you know, that just means when you have a whole lot of Polaroskimo. And it's like, that's essentially what it means to call like, you know, woke social dar or Marxism. It's just, I hate that shit. Right. It's like shit that you use to distract people from actually talking about real problems, anything like that. And I, I really, you know, uh, you know, I hate to say as a non-binary person myself, but like this, this shit, there was something yesterday about how there was um a nine-year-old girl at, competing at like a shot put thing in British Columbia. And she had like, you know, shorter hair and some like 50 year old guy came out of the stands was demanding like proof that she was, you know, a, like a, like not a boy. And they go on like a, yeah. and it's like it's like it's a nine-year-old right. thrown a, and it's like and like it's just like this is where we're at now and it's like so that person right. got got out of bed that day thinking they're going to be some sort of a hero by doing this and it's like shit like that is just and the girl ended up crying and it's like oh good we've all we can all pat ourselves in the back that we've made this nine-year-old girl cry because we've we've told everybody she looks too much like a boy and we've had to put her on and shit like that drives me fucking bananas it makes me tremendously angry actually so mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. That's a good, good question. All right. Um, what is the best way to deal with someone who has blacked out? Yes, this is for, for some practical advice that we've we've all been around people who have who are blackout drunk, and we, there's I think and oftentimes we feel like we have a responsibility, though they're also you know that they're a safety, but also they're not making it the easiest for you. So what is what, what do you say? Do you have any advice on the best way to deal with someone who's blackout? I say I say do not hang out with people that are that are at risk of getting that drunk. Would be my would be my that's for actually me, great my, advice. You know what I mean? Like, why am I, why am I around? I'm in my, I am uh, in my forties. Why would I ever be around somebody that would get that drunk to me? There's people, you know, that I had somebody, I was in the earshot of somebody giving me some, actually, I wasn't even earshot. It was direct feedback of why would you bring this person around me? They are uh, in there. They see a therapist and they're taking medication. And if they had a psychotic break, you know, it could be a problem for me. And it's like, uh, they're in That's treatment. Most of us. They're taking meds. <laughs> And they're they're addressing their issues where compared to somebody who's out here getting fucking drunk every day, smoking big blunts every day, driving around the city, right. you know, it's like, what's the bigger threat here? To, That's an excellent to point, yeah. And to you, you know, so um, so so that sort of thing. So yeah, don't be around them in the first place. And if you are, fucking call nine one one or something like that, because it's just that is just so destructive to me. You know, I had really someone in my life who I don't, I'm, I'm going to try to talk around this. There was someone that was very close to me in my life who would almost never drink, 
but probably once every 18 months they decide they drank and they didn't know how so they uh-huh. always ended up getting blackout drunk and it was like this it was a very strange thing because when you say blackout drunk you think of somebody who does it on a regular basis but this was mm-hmm. the rare thing where it's like oh it took this person 18 months to forget about how miserable that was and almost like clockwork it happened again then it didn't happen right. it was like you were almost just like well how it's like i never know how to deal with it because i'm just like obviously i don't like it but i'm just like i it's like Mm -hmm. well you know we'll talk about this in another 17 months and 29 days right were they like at a bar were they just like sitting around the house drinking it was it was like at a it was always at some situation where like it was an it was an odd situation where it happened to be people were drinking and that was that was Mm -hmm. different from the interactions this person usually would have just right you know it was just i always found it like very you know it was very odd but if I'd ever had a friend that came to me and said, I've been sober 18 months, I want to do my weird annual thing where I get hammered, I'd be like, all right, uh, you can like go sit in my dog room that has like a playpen and you can go get drunk in there and like, I'll make sure you don't die or something. But I and then this, wake up tomorrow. This is someone who isn't just, they're not sober. They just, they, they don't never had an alcohol problem. They just, mm-hmm. they just don't know how to drink because they never drank. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's bizarre. Yeah, that's. I'd have more sympathy for that sort of person of like, you know, somebody who's not like on a full tilt destruction. They're just like, I don't really know what I'm doing here. Bottoms up, guys. You know? So, all right, you're up. All right. So, question list. Where are we at? We just did favorite cheese. No, we did hot, at least favorite hot social topic. Okay. What is your favorite quote or scene from a movie? Quote or scene from a movie. Uh Um, I would say I always go back to stuff like um, Clerks and Kids. It would probably be something like that. Kids is too sad because I think that's a movie yeah. that depressed me as I go back. Very bleak. Very bleak. Yeah. Right. But I've always liked and I can't really nail it down to a particular probably quote. But even like those, like in Clerks where like you have these things. I always liked when you have these moments in literature where you're really taken down in the dirt of everyday life. And then you then they're able to spin something kind of genius, something very like um poignant out of that like even in mm-hmm. clerks when silent bob says you know um you know basically about how you've got a girlfriend that brings you lasagna for lunch every day most women just cheat on you and it's just mm-hmm. like that was essentially mm-hmm. an eye-opening you know thing for for dante to hear mm-hmm. in that moment and it's like i've always liked stuff like that where like you've been brought down to this very like you know base day-to-day level but you find some way to spin poignancy out of it. because i'm one of those people mm-hmm. who like I'm still thinking about, you know, this is sort of like the quote unquote empath in me. It was a word mm-hmm. I think I could a little overused, but I'm still thinking about when I was in my office a few weeks ago for work and I haven't been there in a long time, there was a fly that was in the bathroom in the office. And I was like, it kept banging to the mirror. I'm like, this thing's never going to get out. And it's mm-hmm. like this entire, it's like the fly lives a very short life. And that fly's entire life was spent in that bathroom pretty much. And that still bothers me to this day. So it's like, right. I'm one of those people who like, in the very in the most mundane i'm always looking for something that's the most whatever you know right. and then right. to see that sort of portrayed in a movie i respond to you know interesting that you know i wear you can see this i wear a fly pendant around my neck it's a fly with a diamond on top of it because the fly is uh, persistent right yes. even if it's just banging into the glass over and over again it doesn't have the awareness to know that the flies are persistent they're eternal um they're misunderstood you know, and they represent change, that sort of thing, except for through bugs. And I hate killing bugs. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, sometimes I have some ants, little ants in my house. I really have no other way of getting rid of them, unfortunately. But like, it, it really mm-hmm. bothers me to kill an insect. My husband's not a bug killer either. Uh, I don't really like to squish things myself. Um, but like when I went camping last weekend, there was a black widow spider in my camp person, camp buddy's tent. 
black, like for real black, like a for real one. Yeah. Kill and or be killed is a different, different, whole different ball game for me. <laughs> to a mason jar. And then she got in the car and drove it all the way down to the toilets and released it out there. And that was like, that was really like clutch for you to do that, but it's like still out there somewhere. It's like, you yeah. could have just flushed it. And cause I mean, they will like, it's like neurotoxic venom. You know, but that was, yeah, it was a spider oh, spider yeah. story. I know it. All right. So, oh, my favorite movie scene has got to be from There Will Be Blood when Daniel Plainview talks about drinking your milkshake in the end. It's like, I drink your milkshake, yeah. that sort of thing. He, I'm mesmerized by his acting in that movie. I just love it so much. I can't, I like film it with my phone and then post on Instagram to think somebody else is going to be like, we, I love that. Nobody loves it as much as I do, though, I don't think. But I just yeah. love, love, love that. It's funny that we pick things that are the polar. You pick something that's like pristine, like Academy Award cinema, and I pick something that was recorded in a convenience shop for like thirty grand. It's just no, like the two like, polar ends, but it shows you how right. much there is. Like you know, I'm, I'm somebody right. who like I I I was interact. I was I was interviewed a, a film director friend of mine who's working on some films now with like some kind of big name stars and stuff. And we we're he was always the Spielberg guy in film school, and I was the Clerks guy. And nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. I still like mm -hmm. the thing that's really down in your hands that you can manipulate. You know. Yeah, I mean that. And Clerks looks like Clerks looks Dog like shit. something I would have like lived in. Like kids yeah. looks like something I would have like lived in. Like these are like kids I would have like went to high school with doing things high school kids would have done. It's very very relatable on that level you know so i could definitely see why why you could relate to that and really that resonates with you i mean it resonated with me too kids was a a bleak movie have you seen a uh, gummo gummo is one that i've always avoided i saw clips of it recently because i watched a documentary on harmony you know i always say his name harmony, harmony corinne there you go yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. once again when i saw some of the footage of gummo like I, how do I put so I watched I watched the movie the other day I watched the movie Milk Money which was a movie with um Ed Harris and Melanie Griffith from like the early 90s and there was and it was based it was a very weird movie about a kid who hires Melanie Griffith as a prostitute to show her what it's like when he's naked blah 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 I tried to look up with the dad but there was a scene in that movie where they're eating food in a way that when I was trying to eat a bagel the next day I had to stop eating it because I was so grossed out by it like that's how like and like okay. Gummo has one of like I have this weird thing with food where I can I kind of have sometimes like I've had sort of eating disorders off and on in my life. Mm -hmm. But I have a thing where if something grosses me out that's like food related, I can I get to go into the state where I eat only very basic foods for like two weeks. It's like I'll only eat like pretzels and like and it's like so I have sort of these food related issues. And there was something about a kid eating like spaghetti in the bathtub that felt oh, like yes. it was giving the dirty me dirty bathtub too dirty. Yeah, right. Uh -huh. That was giving me a vibe yep. that I know was going to stick with me in a, in, in a weird mm -hmm. like maybe, uh, you know, neurodiversity urgent way was going to impact my ability to actually eat and then that impacts my mental thing it's like, yes yeah, that and it, uh, there are other things within that movie that would affect your ability to do other things in life you know it, it is fucked up and it's right. it's like kind of like non-sequitur like vignette style of storytelling or whatever it's kind of it's kind of strange but i mean it's but it, it just reminds me a lot because it's it was shot in xenia ohio and that is not yes. far from where my hometown is that's what Terre Haute, indiana looks like is what that town is that's kind of what the poor poor neighborhood of just kind of that a lot of spent a lot of time in uh kids in that show look like kids that i knew you know that sort of thing um so it was uh it reminded me of like some of like darker darker times of hanging out in in like trap houses is what you'd call them now or whatever but just kind of like you know poor poor kids running the street and stuff like that is just it's messed up yeah. but i saw harmony kareen the reason why he was banned from ever coming back to the david letterman show 
he was under the influence and stuff but he actually they caught him backstage robbing somebody's purse uh it was like one of the whoever the other guest was whether it was yeah. you know whatever whoever the other guest was he was stealing out of the other guest person so he's asked never to come back after that yeah that's a, that's a rough one um yeah what are, what band are you a fan of that people wouldn't expect of you what's that what what band or musical act are you a fan of that people wouldn't like wouldn't expect for me it's the carpenter oh, it, that always expect- surprises people i'm a big carpenter oh, i really like like um hank williams senior a lot like oh. the senior of the williams I, I know all the song all of the lyrics to his songs on almost every album i mean they're pretty simple lyrics pretty simple you know like notes and things like that but i really like hank williams senior when my sister so i'll tell you another thing is in terra house sony is so when they used oh. to have like 12 cds for a penny I don't yes. know if you remember that deal. Oh, I would. I used to. I used to scam yeah. that stuff. So I had all these fake aliases and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Use the top. What was the name of your alias? Your Bobby James Gorman. Gorman. That, that was before I had a fake idea. I was like in seventh but, grade yeah. then. So. so 12 CDs for a penny. So my sister worked at Columbia House because she could speak Spanish in high school, of course. And she worked in like the Spanish customer service, but she brought the loads of CDs home. And so I was into Hank Williams Sr. back then. She brought me all these Hank Williams Sr. CDs and you can open up and read all the lyrics and sing yeah. along to the songs and stuff. So I like Hank Williams Sr. a lot. All right, so let's see where I'm at right here. We're at like we're about the halfway point. This is question twenty for both of us. I might, okay. I might oh, ask yeah. for a quick All bathroom right. break after this. Okay, if you could be adopted by a famous family as a child, what famous family would you be adopted by? Oh man, you know what? I I this is gonna sound so corny, but probably like Eminem. Like, especially oh, okay. when I see like, you know, post sobriety, because there's a few things I've always thought was cool about him. A, you never really see his personal life really out there in the press. Mm-hmm. And he has like what seems like a really nice house in Michigan that he sort of just lives there. He has an awesome recording studio in his basement. I assume mm-hmm. most people come to him to work on stuff. And he's raised his three girls into, you know, successful adults and mm-hmm. he's able to do it privately, but still be able to have like the reason I bought the house that I have is because I can have people come to work on music stuff here because I have a nice setup or we can record here. We can work on stuff here. It's like that is my mm-hmm. like heaven. So for uh-huh. him, I think he's sort of one of those people who probably doesn't love leaving the house very much. And he loves just having the house where he can do everything in. So I feel like I'd really thrive like to get up every day and like go down in the basement and just like fuck around in the studio with someone like him and the people that would come over to work with him to me would uh-huh. be an artistic like you know whatever that's fascinating what a good answer yeah and also someone who's committed to his health too because he's somebody who's been sober for you know my dad my dad has been sober about 13 years it always reminds me that he has like that eminem has been sober the same amount of time as him so there's a little bit Mm -hmm. of of stuff there too and it's like i think the way he chooses to live his life now to me is is something in line with what i did that's exemplary. Yeah, you could maybe you could write him and ask him if he can adopt you if he's yeah. willing to take on <laughs> I know. another foster kid. He has a soft spot for foster kids, you know, because yeah. he was one. So, all yep. right, do you need to take a break for a second? Um, let's just do the next. I'll do, I'll ask you my question, and we will because then we'll be okay. right at the middle. But um, okay. When you see someone wearing a fanny pack, what message does that convey to you? Well, it's fine. Look, I have just I have just adopted it as this as a person who was a long time purse carrier carried a purse not only with my makeup but with like my cell phone and my wallet. I carried a purse all through my twenties, maybe even early thirties. I carried a purse. Now I roll with nothing but a wallet. I carry a small business card holder wallet. I look at the fanny pack as 
as I've seen them presented to me as a utilitarian type of thing. Okay. That's how I'm looking at it now. Like you better be carrying something in that fanny pack. Other than that fanny pack, fine. It's fun. They're just being fun and kooky. Like, look at me. I've got a, a fanny pack. I'm bringing back this dorky trend or whatever, but I really don't have anything against fanny packs either way. If you are using them for utilitarian reasons or to be ironic or because you genuinely think that they are hip and cool or whatever. I actually, I'm neutral on that, but I could see how they could be utilitarian because a purse is a bitch. Having something around your waist to keep things in can actually be quite useful. Okay. Agree to disagree. But <laughs> <laughs> the fanny right. pack thing, the reason I brought it up Sorry. was because um that Dex the night we were playing I was playing Dexter Clue with my friends. One of them was telling me how two two of them had a bet with each other a while ago where the loser had to wear a fanny pack for a month and the guy lost. And he did it for a month or whatever. And then he kept doing it only to just sort of like, you know, kind of like almost like reverse it. Like, oh, well, now you have to be seen with me in the fanny or something like that. And then yeah. they were all playing pool one night and someone stole it. And I was like right there with was it the fashion police. Uh -huh. I was like so proud of myself when I quipped back at that. That's but hilarious. Like, yeah. Go yeah. ahead. So that was basically the story is that essentially like, you know, this person, like there was a fanny pack. that he Eventually he lost the bet. Then just tried to tried to turn it into a win by pushing it, and then got all the stuff stolen. So that's a good that's a good fashion story though. Like I okay, I had this thought the other day, and this is this is a while ago, but I remember being at my studio and not having any underwear and not having anything to wear. Like my outfit got ruined by like stuff by like a uh, epoxy or something like that. And so I just essentially had to piece together something and wear out this ridiculous looking thing because I had a place to be. And it yeah. made me think of that scene in Pulp Fiction where they shoot the guy and then both Jules and Vince are wearing these like shirts. Shot like Marvin. <laughs> yeah, they're wearing the uh, the Santa Cruz banana slug t-shirt. And like, I made I made a parody of that shirt. Yeah. So there you go. So it, so then I, I it, it gave me insight of like, don't judge people when they're wearing something fucked up because they might be forced to wear them. This is literally all they have. Like I was forced to wear this crazy looking thing out because I just didn't have the things like the fanny pack guy had to wear the fanny pack and like Vince and Jules had to wear the gym clothes because their stuff was covered in blood. You never know why people are wearing this. So we just don't even judge. Excellent point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I typically to, to that point, like when I'm talking about judging, I'm usually talking about someone that I already know. Like, I, I don't like, I, I do believe in, in public, you don't know what, what, what battles people are fighting and stuff like sure, that. Sure, yeah, they may, they may not have anything, you know, or alternatively, somebody's wearing something absurd and they're having the time of their life, even the bigger time not to judge, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, we have a client, I have a client that comes into group that is always really inappropriately dressed, but she uh, is so jubilant about how she looks and how good she feels about herself these days and things like that, that like, some people are like, aren't you going to redirect her? And I was like, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think I'm, I don't think I'm going to redirect her because she seems so happy with what she's got on and stuff like, you know, um, I don't know. I, I have this conflicting thing in me where I once at once believe everybody should just be themselves and like, you know, whatever, and just do whatever they feel comfortable. But the, I also find like sort of the joy, I find the joy of roasting to some degree. And I, I, I enjoy it as much to myself, but yeah. I feel like, like, mm -hmm. um, like putting, like putting a picture up and having somebody crack jokes, have people crack jokes at it and stuff to me oh, is yeah. like, I oh, yeah. like that act of doing that. And I think there's something mm -hmm. like, valuable to that laughter but i also mm -hmm. don't like i don't take it personally i hope other don't either but it's hard to have a victimless joke to some degree i guess you know? no yeah that's i had somebody somebody once the pretty paranoid person said once to me like behind all joking there's some seriousness or something like that but i love a roast clowning on people i love watching roasts they're so funny yeah. um 
I like but people yeah, who care the, enough to do it to me too. I can take it, you know. Yeah, true. But you got to think about like if you're teaching, let's say this, if you're teaching a life skill to somebody, uh, is it should you step in and tell them what is appropriate dress for an occasion and for like weather? Like I wouldn't let a guy go out in flip flops when it's January in Indiana. Would I let a girl wear a bare midriff and cleavage shirt to a professional thing? Like, yeah, but then he has like, I don't even really care to step in. So I also don't really believe in punching down either. I think punching down is, is sort of cheap. I think that's something. What does, what's punching down? Just like <laughs> punching down is essentially when like, um, say like, um, I'm a midly success. Um, say like, I'm like, we're doing like a roast or something. And I'm like, maybe like not the most successful person there, not the least, but in the middle. And I spend all my time ragging on like the people that are like below me. And then like, oh. done. so essentially like, instead of like, it's like making crack shots at people that are essentially at a lower station than me, rather than punching up, which is okay. like, you know, you know, it's it's less good natured if you're sort of like ripping into somebody who like, oh, well, you can't do this and I can do, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, no, that makes sense for sure. No, no punch, picking no a, down picking punch. a fair fight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So All right, like making so, sure that the, the blow you're throwing is going to land right, I guess, you know. So. Yeah. You know, don't pick on the, you know, the like, yeah. I don't know. When somebody used the term the other day of like, it's like being the prettiest waitress at Denny's or whatever. Like when you, when you are the. I say, I say valedictorian of summer school. Yeah, exactly. So. All right. So let's see. So we already did who would, who would adopt you. That was a great answer about Eminem. Yeah. What is your favorite Olympic sport? I think it's going to be breakdancing because that's that's coming to the is Olympics. Olympic sport now? That's going to be the next, I think, Summer Olympics are including breakdancing. So I'm looking forward to it being that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I would just, I'm looking to the future and just saying that. Okay. So okay. That's like, that, I didn't even know that. That would be my new one. I went to, I went to a birthday party three weekends ago. I posted some pictures about this on Instagram. My friend Sean's 40th birthday. He it was also on the show American Ninja Warrior. He was also oh, on a show, show on Discovery called The Wheel, where they it's the wheel represents all of the lunar cycles. So because they take you, drop you off in like the tundra, the the jungle, the desert. Yeah, it was on Discovery called The Wheel. <laughs> yeah. So he did that show. Wow. And um he and he ended up having to go and they just see if you can survive because he ate like a poisonous mushroom and was like you're gonna die. So he was off the show. But he did American Ninja Warrior because he can do flips and tricks. And so naturally that translates into breakdancing. So his 40th birthday party was at a breakdancing studio in uh, awesome. the north part of Indianapolis. Yeah. And so they also teach um, graffiti art. And then oh, in the bathroom, wow. yeah, in the bathroom, there were all of these pictures of, from New York City. Um, and it was like a diagram of all the different moves that they do and stuff like that. Um, I'll send you a picture of it, actually, because so it was cool. a really cool concept for a birthday party. And they had a dance contest. And then the people that own the breakdancing studio kind of helped the new people learn some moves and stuff. So it was a very successful party. It was great. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Isn't it kind of creepy that we just decided to keep all of our dead people in one part of town and just sort of leave them there? Yeah, that is weird, you know, but I mean, I guess like to have a designated zone for them. As so it's like you're not going on like some sort of fun dig or you're putting building a fence and all of a sudden you hit grandma, yeah. you know, to kind of designate an area is necessary. But I do know like in Switzerland, since it's a smaller place, that they bury the people vertical instead of long ways. Yeah. And then the people would in like New Orleans where they're below sea level, they're like in the caskets above ground. Well, I, I always say I was born a cremation man and I will die a cremation man. Right. I don't know about that. That's what everybody in my family and my friends say. That's what they were like, sprinkle my ashes on this. I don't really like the idea of being burned. I also, but I like the idea. I don't like the idea of being embalmed either, but I like the idea of like being totally like glammed out and then people like 
crying and like beating their fist on the casket saying why why did she have to go she looks so beautiful now all these things like that having that sort of drama at my funeral and I feel like my body and my face has to be there because if I'm just reduced down to a little box it's just going to be like yeah. I'm an like, anti-open no. casket person that's something to me that I just it's <laughs> one of those things that I think that just is very accepted in society that I think is stranger than people um than people I think think about it as I, I I maybe it's just me but I find it to be something that's unsettlingly strange when people act normal I don't know I'm just thinking I, don't know. It's weird. I mean if you think about what it does to embalm somebody they like cut you open and right. fill you with juices and stuff the whole thing is strange but when I was young it became normalized to me as a very young person because I had a lot of great grandparents that were still living so I, they were all open casket all the whole full makeup looking waxy and stuff and it just kind of was like a normal thing to me because that's how I always saw it done but like my grandma passed away last last summer and they just had a closed casket like she was buried next to my grandpa but it wasn't open because they felt like it didn't really look like her and you know maybe maybe that could be one way to do it for those folks who don't want to be charred and spread charmy 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 all right your question okay so Oh, what is your weirdest Olympic sport? Weirdest Olympic sport. Um, uh-huh. Man. Fencing is something that really intrigues me. So I don't know oh, whether I think I love that's, the that's fence. I love that. weirdest. And that's something that there's a fencing place in my town. I think I, I might actually want to do. Um, uh-huh. I think it's pretty bizarre that that like the bobsled, that, that sledding has essentially, and that's to me one of the best ones, but I think it is kind of weird to what degree it, it and I'm sure there's ways that I'm wrong about this, but what qualifies as an as a um an athlete? And I know that the all these people, especially the level of competition, they're doing they have to be athletic to do it. But uh-huh. the sled is I'm sure someone will explain to me why I'm wrong, but it's uh-huh. like it it doesn't feel like an athletic competition on the surface. No, you know? anybody can sit and ride, you know what right. I mean? Like though I'm what... sure it is. It doesn't right. feel like one at the surface level. Right. I think um, all, the, all the winter, not all of them, the winter sports are quite strange. I mean, if you have, I guess you consider their origins is probably a, pretty strange, but I think curling is strange, but especially yeah. the guys that have the little brooms, like be like, that's your Olympic goals. Like I was the broom guy on the left in the curling event or what, you know, like I did the broom thing or whatever. You know what it's sort of like a gold medal. When I, when I was in, ba- when I played basketball in high school, I got cut from the basketball team in high school. They let me be scorekeeper for a year. Me and my friend, and the end of the year, they gave us like the letter, like the, you know, the letter, like the H uh-huh. from Hopkinton uh, for that. And it's like, to me, a curling gold medal feels about as much as that like varsity letter does for my scorekeeping, I guess. Yeah, yes. Like right? left room exactly. guys gold medal is worth as much as my scorekeeping varsity letter, I guess. Right. Yeah. That, no, that's, no that's a good that's a good way to put it. Um oh have you ever seen so there's a uh, there's a, a document a series of documentaries on Netflix. It's called like um it's kind of about like it's called like unsung heroes. Or no it's called the greatest losers or something. It's about all the people that were in sports that yeah. were losers. Have you seen that before? That's been on my list and I haven't watched it yet, but I've been I you that's know, been I've been right, yeah, it yeah. Right. It's there's, there's a bunch of different episodes, right? And it follows like it follow yeah. I, I have to watch that, yeah. Like the one, if there was one who was, she was an African-American gymnast and a figure skater, and she never was treated fairly, partly because, you know, figure skating is a really snob sport. And so it's kind of like Ponya Harding type of deal. So in the end, she, they would like banned her from doing backflips and doing this stuff. And the end, she knew she wasn't going to win anyway. So she just went in there and did all these backflips and like 
toe touches and all this insane shit at the Winter Olympics and stuff. And the oh, whole I gotta thing watch that. That's cool. Oh, it's so good. These inspiring stories of people that were losers, but like they really win in the end in some sort of like moral realm or whatever. So as it, much as I don't cool. like watching sports, I love sports documentaries. It's like a good sports oh, yeah. documentary. Cause it's like, you have to like sports. The problem with me is you got to wait so long for something really interesting to happen. But a sports documentary is like, Oh no, we found something interesting. We're going to show you every angle of it. Like we, exactly. you know, exactly. I love, I love the 30 for 30 ESPN. I, I There's one, I got to watch part two of American Gladiators. I watched part one and I was loving oh, it. Part two American Gladiators. I didn't even know that there was one out there. I've yeah, there's it's a two part one and it's like probably four hours total or three hours total. That's like, American like Gladiators. Like the modern day uh, American, American Gladiators. Yep. So that's amazing. So I've watched one about Christian Leitner. I don't know if you know who that is. Uh, yeah, the, he played for Duke. Yeah. Yeah. Did I watched that one too. Duke. And then um, I've watched the one about Tommy Morrison about twenty times. The boxer that had HIV yep. that claims that he didn't. Tony yeah. Harding. Watch that one for yep. sure. The Ric Flair um, one's pretty uh, heartbreaking too. Ric Flair one, yeah, it is hard. That one's heartbreaking. That's a, a good one. And then, of course, my favorite one, the best one out of all of them, is Reggie Miller versus the Knicks. Yes. It, it is so good because Reggie Miller played for the Pacers in Indianapolis. Yep. And it's so funny when they like juxtaposition the two cutaways of the movie, of the, the documentary, right? Here's the New York Knicks, and it's like this hardcore like metal like metal guitar riffs and stuff and they're just like it's just like this like pounding energy and it's like just dun -dun 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 -dun. and then they cut to the pacers and it's like like this little like country jam and stuff and the guy's like <laughs> it's like a barbershop quartet you know? yeah, yeah barber yes yeah the barbershop quartet here in indiana meanwhile and they're like just there we play by the fundamentals of basketball, you know, and yeah. it's just like seeing those two things juxtaposition. And in the end, Reggie Miller beats the Knicks. He yeah. they didn't win the championship. No one loses the like the Knicks. <laughs> right. Yes. It, it's so good. And I, and I love Reggie Miller. He's all yeah, over the he, place. He is pretty great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then there's a, there's a lot of good ones. There's, there's one too, um, where uh, I think Ice Cube did it about the Raiders. That one's also worth checking oh, out. Oh yeah. That, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nope. Yeah. Right. So, what would your roller derby name be? Maybe Ramona McGillicuddy. My name I always That's wanted it to be. If I could change it, because one that kind of sounds like a badass. You know, Ramona Quimby was a little girl who was always kind of the Urkel of that day of like, did yeah. I do that? You know, that sort of thing. Reminds She's me of the Ramones too. One of my favorite bands of all time. It's like the Ramones and the McGillicuddy sounds like a you know really hardcore Irish girl name. Yeah. Um. All right. Your question. All right. So what, who's your favorite drag queen? Do you know it of any? I don't know that I really know of enough that I can name and I'm really bad with names in general. Um, it's uh, yeah. I unfortunately, I mean, RuPaul is probably okay. the only one. I There's can really so name. many though. If you ever look, if you ever get into it and watch, start watching like just reels, like the high, the, if you ever start wanted to watch that stuff and see how funny it is and how talented they are, watch the snatch game from RuPaul's Drag Race. That's when they have to do celebrity impersonation. And it is fucking hilarious. Like that's when they really have to showcase their comedic timing and their drag artistry skills to be able to impersonate. But it is just brilliant. It is Let so me ask you this, actually, so I can have a better understanding. So obviously drag at the core of it is somebody, you know, wearing clothes of like, you know, that's of a different gender from theirs. And maybe you could even say that it wasn't accurate, but that's sort of what else goes into the persona? Like what else would you expect to be if you were to judge how well somebody's doing drag besides how they're pulling something off physically, what else goes along with that? Well, what I, can tell you, this, this, I can tell you what it is, what the winner of the competition, that's why I've always said that 
RuPaul's Drag Race is like Project Runway. It's like um, The Last Comic Standing. It is like um, also like uh, like some sort of like reality show type, you know, like where yeah. you have to like get along or something, you know, that sort of thing. So and then you you have to have all of these girls. You have to be hilarious. Like the comedic timing has to be good. You have to have a fashion sense. You have to be able to make your own outfits. You have to be able to pick up on like the subtlety of like comedy combining it with with fashion. So the best way I could describe it is like it has to be like Project Runway has to be like last comic standing rolled into one glamorous package and you got to be likable likable and they always use the acronym c-u-n-t for charisma uniqueness nerve and talent you have to have those things you know what so, it goes- I, i'll go for it yeah. oh yeah well i think so and I, then i think the ability to that's where the snatch game challenge really showcases who has all that because it takes comedic timing it takes the artistry of being able to do impersonation and then it also takes that i think we talked about last time of how rupaul really knows about pop culture so you have to have a really well researched and developed character to be able to really synthesize the personality like somebody did like dorothy from the golden girls the other day it was really spot on because she really got on the nuance of what dorothy zabornak is like yeah. that sort of thing so it's kind of like you get you get it you know you okay. you can synthesize the characters and then but then have your own clearly defined vibe of like oh we know jinx monsoon she's like the theater one like from what a great Seattle. name jinx monsoon is I think that's her name jinx monsoon yeah i think you know what i have to say that person is now my favorite drag well, person based entirely on that right. name <laughs> and it's funny that you said that because jinx monsoon she's like the queen of queens like they have the winners right and then all the queens come back and compete in an all winners episode and she's the winner of all winners because she is the most well-rounded queen she can sing she can dance she can act she can make outfits and she can do comedy yeah it's sort of as you were saying that it made me think of remember the movie Cabaret, um, with um, uh, Liza Minnelli and I think Michael York and it's like the person I can't think of the guy's name who played sort of the guy the MC at the cabaret thing, but that sort of seems like what like a drag queen is probably shooting for is the ability to have like the multi talented like you could be like to be a cabaret MC you have to do all of those different things to be able to sing a little bit you have to be able to make some mm-hmm. popular jokes you have to react to the crowd you have to be able to do all that stuff and yes that's, that's exactly what that's exactly what it's like that that be that that sort of well rounded entertainer that's got that has uh, not just like jack of all trades, but kind of like mastery of everything, you know? Yeah. But if you're just a local queen, having having a little bit of that in you for each thing would be, you could be a good drug queen. People underestimate how hard that is. That it's like that how how that how hard it is to sort of be that level of somebody who can control the room because it's like it as it only takes like one little off joke that doesn't land and you might lose half the room for like the next like half an hour it's a really tricky tightrope to to walk no it really is i you know what i i love if i could have any job i would be an mc or talk shows i absolutely love doing that that's one of the reasons i like doing this it's funny go back to that comedian documentary the seinfeld one there's a few points in that where he sort of stumbles a little bit and you get the glimpse of oh this is Seinfeld struggling and you, you sort of get what you just said what I just said where it's like mm-hmm. oh it's very easy to lose a rump you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right which is um, okay. it's sort of like that thing where like you know if you do 10 nine great things and one bad thing people are going to remember that one bad thing and it's like yeah. Like that, that if you if you give a speech for ten minutes and one of it is bad, they're gonna remember that more than the other good nine. I know that's lame, right? That's it goes back to that the first thing we talked about of like remembering the threats, you know, that yep. sort of thing. It's like give, give people some grace. But if you're really skilled, though, you can. Uh, I've always found it's good to like lean into the flub, like lean into the mistake, yes, being like, okay, yes. that one yeah, didn't land, it. you know, moving so you, on. Be the first one to laugh at it. Be the first one to laugh at it. Yeah, get out in front of it. Yep. 
Is that my question? Right, or is... Oh, your question. Yep. Oh, so I'm asking? Yeah, because oh. I asked you a drag queen question. Yes. Oh, yeah. What is your most recent experience of joy? Well, right now, this is joyous. Oh, that's not, I'm yeah, joyous this too. Is, this is joy. This is joyous. If we were talking very most recent, yeah, definitely. And and then the client that just called to wish my husband happy Father's Day. Stuff um, like that means a lot. I go out of my, I'm, I obviously don't mm -hmm. have kids, but I go out of my way on Father's Day and Mother's Day to text like my friends that are fathers and mothers just to wish them. Because I feel like, like it's, I'm thanking, I want to show people that I care. And actually one of my friends is responding right now that I haven't talked to in a while. I'm just from my mm -hmm. happy birthday, my happy Father's Day thing. And it's like, I'm thankful that people are out there raising their kids right because it, it's like it's going to make mm -hmm. all of our lives better, you know. That's you're connected to that future too, you know what I mean? So I I do appreciate getting text messages from my friends on Mother's Day and Father's Day, and and he is the only client that's ever met my husband because of like an emergency situation that my husband had to like step in and help due to no other resources, and so yeah. you know that's really nice he did that. All right, question. What is your favorite pizza? But do you even eat pizza? I do. Um, is it like I, fish gluten free pizza with no cheese? Well, my my girlfriend is is gluten intolerant, so we don't eat as much pizza because it's tough to get good gluten free pizza. But um, I do like pizza. That is where I will eat a little cheese if I if I if I'm gonna have some. I am pro pineapple pizza. I'll put that out there. Um, mm -hmm. I like like um like breaded eggplant either you know, something like breaded eggplant and like um olives and maybe like onions together is good or like maybe pineapple onions okay stuff like so what's that what's your favorite yeah. food as a person with ever i do love I, I do i do love feta cheese on pizza too that's when i really want to yeah. like you know i like feta cheese but what, what's your what do you what's your favorite food as a person with? Well, so i also have severe food allergies where i can't have nuts shellfish um i can't eat apples so as so i tend to eat sort of the same things like i'll eat a lot of smoked salmon eat a lot of avocado toast um that's sort of some of my staples i usually because i sort of have had eating issues over the years i try to separate joy from food whenever possible. Like I try to like make only a few, like I'll have like a little, like something sweet almost every day, like something small, mm -hmm. but I have to be careful around food because it's been a problem for me in both directions, too much and too little at different areas of my life. Like oh, I've had separating like, joy from food. That's an interesting concept, right? Yeah. It's like the, the concept of um, eat to live, don't live to eat. I try to mm -hmm. sort of, you know, cause I just mm -hmm. had problems with it before, you know? So yeah, that makes sense. That's also that eat to live, don't live to eat. That's another thing in the Nation of Islam that they always use. They have all of these cafes around in Indianapolis. One of the biggest Nation of Islam mosques is in Indianapolis, and they have the Eat to Live Cafe. Um, and those are it's like a brand of like they have their own businesses and things around, and they always really talk about the relationship with food because it's more like teaching of how how to live your life on a daily basis than just talking about God or Allah right. for them. It's something that everybody has to deal with the issue of moderation around where it's like, you know, you can go your whole life without having sex. You can go your whole life without having a drink. And it's like, but you all, we all have to eat and we all, there are, are all challenges around that mix of something that is both pleasurable and nourishing. And it's, so it's the one area that I think everybody is, abstinence is not an option you know, right. so right. Um, interesting. Um, what is something small someone in your life could do for you as a surprise that would truly make your day? 
Because I think sometimes I think especially we find when we're in relationships with people, back to the idea of um, treat people how you how they want to be treated rather than how you want to be treated. Sometimes people do little things that don't always land right because maybe they just don't know you the exact right way. But what is something that somebody could do that would really make your day? That would really hit the nail on the head. Clean my car out. That's a good one. I wish someone would do that to me right now, actually. I mean, that would just be so nice, you know, like detail it and stuff. Like sometimes my husband gets fed up and he'll he'll do it for me or clean my room. But yeah, clean my car out would be nice. Organize my art cart at work also as well. Just organize it really well. Get all the pins with the pins, the paints with the paints, the paper with the paper. All right. You've heard it, people. You know what you can do to make your day. Right. All right. We manifested the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're manifesting that. I know. So somebody might step up. You never know. So that would be great. All right. This question is, what's the most reckless thing you've ever done? Oh, man. Most reckless. Uh, you don't, have, do you don't have to go to like criminal uh, or anything. You don't want to, but. Um, God, what? I, when he said no criminal, I immediately didn't. Um, you can. I'm just saying. No, I, I, there's definitely stuff. I mean, not that I really have that checkered of a past. But I've definitely, um, I'm one of those people who, oh, this this is a good one. Um, I remember about five or maybe this is longer ago. I was out on Sebago Lake in Maine, which is, if you don't know Sebago Lake, essentially, if you're out in the middle of it, it's like being in an ocean. And I was out there with a really young childhood friend of mine whose family has had, had owned like a little island out there forever. And I'd never really been on the spago before. We've been drinking beers most of the day. And myself and my brother jump in the water. And immediately, we both knew it was a terrible idea. And mm -hmm. we can see the boat. Immediately, it was just like, oh, my God. Like, this is, it was life-threatening almost immediately. Because we totally underestimated how much, whatever it was, like, you know, how much it was, how much we'd been drinking and stuff like that. And the uh -huh. boat was getting away. So we both had to haul to really try to get back on. And when he got back on, the first thing my brother said to me was, and I remember this a lot, he goes, I thought only stupid people drowned. And like, that's something that I think about a lot where it's like, oh, wow, that would have, that we could have drowned. Like, and I don't know that like our friend would have been in a position to really save us. And right. he, he was also very much more athletic than us, especially at that time. And so he probably wouldn't have thought twice about us doing it. But that to me felt like, oh, wow, life can really change at a very good point. Right. So that to me is something that, you know, isn't going to get me arrested. Yeah, I've always thought that too, of like, yes, if you, if you drown, you must be an idiot. But I mean, no. It's easy. It's, really... it's easy to drown. Yeah. yeah, like I, that's how it's, when I think we, I think I was on vacation, my mom and my sister, and we asked this question and they were like, you know, pretty, pretty mild, reckless things. And I was thinking about the reckless things I've done are almost like too shameful and to even find humor in. I skipped you know through a I mean? few of those too when I was getting yeah. to my answer. I was like this stuff isn't even funny. <laughs> like this stuff is just straight up like shameful. So it's right. like, that's a, that's a conversation for like a therapist or for confessional with Jesus or something. Cause it's like, mm -mm, no. Yeah. All right. Your question. I think you, oh yeah. Um, do you think a truly great movie has ever been written by somebody sitting in a star in a Starbucks on a laptop? Sure. Why not? You know, like, I mean, it, it, you know, it might take more to like get it up and running or something, but yeah, I think, I think it can be possible. I mean, you know, yeah. Right. Uh, I don't know. The answer is yes. All right. Good enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's go to what's your favorite planet? They're a planet. Um, yeah. 
I always like Saturn. I like the flashiness of the rings. If I go to yeah. if I'm drawing planets, which I do a lot because I do a lot of space art, I do like the rings. I think it's um. What are the that... rings made? Are they made out of ice or is that Neptune? There does Neptune have rings? I don't know. I don't really get. It's like uh, I don't know what they're made out of. Gas, atmosphere, rocks. What's your favorite space thing? Like black hole, wormhole. I've always been fascinated by black holes. I have a French poster of the movie, the Disney movie, The Black Hole, at the top of my stairs. I remember that movie as a kid. There's a Disney movie called The Black Hole. It was like one of those live action Disney movies they'd make a lot of in the 70s and 80s. I think um, Robert Forrester's in it, and like it's one of those movies where it's like full of people who you sort of like half recognize, you know. Mm Have you seen the movie? Um, uh, it's called. Is it called High Life? It's got um Robert Pattinson. Is that his name? The guy that plays the Twilight dude, Batman guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So think... it's um it's called uh, High Life, and what it is is it is a sci-fi movie, futuristic sci-fi movie, where they take a bunch of criminals that are young and able-bodied, and they put them onto they instead of instead of sentencing them to death. They put them onto a spaceship and they all go out to try to harness the power of a black hole to give the uh, to give Earth like abundant resources to kind of harness this or whatever. And it is one of my favorite movies, but it kind of takes me to a dark place sometimes because it is very existential. But it's also a lot about taboo, about taboos within like, what are you willing to do? What how will you all the things that are taboo on planet Earth that you'll engage in when you're in space and you're ex, you're going on a suicide mission essentially? That's but it's such a good movie. It is so good. It has a uh, Dre three thousand, not Andre oh. three thousand in it. Smoke gas. Yeah. Um, he's in it. He plays one of the astronauts or whatever. But um, it is it's good. Yep. Um, what's a misconception about Indiana that you think people from outside the state may have? Oh, well, I think given a uh, political climate, Mike Pence is from here. It is a red state, you know, but in Marion County, we live in the capital. The capital is not like that. The capital, and as you see in lots of lots of places, it could be a red state. The capital is like the liberal part. This is where it's very open and free and we have, everybody's welcome here and we just don't have those attitudes. Um, and I don't, and I also don't know if the mayor is Republican or Democrat, whether he is, he still is like liberal, liberal leaning in like what, what we do here and stuff. So there are places, and, and surprisingly, my hometown, Terre Haute, which is hillbilly, but it still has always been a Democrat voting town um, and Democrat voting county, um, where wherever all the other counties surrounding us are red counties. So not every place is uh, is super turbo conservative, and the places worth visiting are would be the ones that are. It's funny. Leaning. I asked this. I did one other round of these seventy nine questions with my man Concept, the astronaut down in San Antonio, and I asked him the same question, and his response was pretty much the same: is that people here aren't as racist as you're led to believe that they are. Yeah. And yeah. it's and he's like basically is like politically, institutionally, yes that's true and you know a lot of places because like on a day-to-day basis it's not the way you think it is and it's like you i think you kind of gave a different version of that same mm-hmm. answer and it's interesting to think mm-hmm. that like that to me is one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about other about about othering people is that it's like it's usually not as bad as you think it is you know yeah no it's right i mean you, i feel like you could find a pocket of people you fit in with where wherever you go i, I bet that would be my hope you know that you could find people to connect with um whether you're left or right or whatever, you know, but yeah, I think, I think that's a misconception. Um, Though the truly vile people are probably even worse than you think they are. That's that's the other side of things. That could be a good takeaway from it too, you know? So, all right. So let's see the next one. Oh, this is my son's. So my, these next two questions came from my son's friend and then 
my son. My son's friend just said, what's your favorite color? My favorite color has always been blue. Um, I like light blue. Like mm -hmm. in general, I like um, I like the combination of light blue and like um, orange and yellow. I kind oh, of I like love that. that. Yeah, I love that color combo. I like like turquoise, kind of like the lights in your room yep. and orange. I like those. those are kind of opposite on the color wheel. Yeah. I call that out. like Tron blue. Like if you ever see the movie Tron, like the blue that's sort of in that, that's sort of like my favorite color. I like that. So here's the second question was, I said, no, you got to go weirder than that. And so my son asked, ask him, what would he do if his mom married an 18 year old man? Oh man. It's funny. I, there, there's, there's this, this a story I, I'd love to tell, but I don't want to get into it at all. Maybe I'll tell you off air that there's, I, I can't even, whatever, but, um, <laughs> What would I do if my, I would probably, I, I think it would depend on specifically what I thought the actual situation was that was going on. Like my first, like, I feel like we're, I'm jumping over the fact that this maybe is like, if it actually, if I believed it was to be a real genuine relationship, I would have to wrap my mind around how that would work. And I, I'd like to think that maybe if that was the case, I'd find some way to accept mm -hmm. it. But I uh -huh. would be pretty quickly looking for whatever angle was involved, like whether what it was about, you know, I don't know whether what my, whether my, what my mom is taking advantage of this of this young person or this young person taking advantage of my mom. It would be mm -hmm. based upon whatever I drew, drew, whatever I figured out was related to that. I'd be reacting to that, whatever. It would be. Yeah. Yes. I know. I was like, that, that was odd that my kid, because at first he asked. What would what would he do if his mom married a seventy two year old man? I was like, well, his parents. My might dad, be like, oh, I believe, is right around seventy. Yeah, so I was like, no, and then he's like, okay, fine, eighteen year old man. I was like, okay, that's a better question. So yeah. yeah, I would definitely be looking at the angle, like who's benefiting from this? Like either you're waiting on her to die to get a life insurance, or you're like abusing him because he's like young and hot or something. But yeah. you know, if abuse is uh, consensual on both ways, then fine, have at it. You know, yep. just yep. don't make me call you dad. Yeah, I know. Um, what's the best museum in driving distance of you? Uh, within driving distance, the best museum, well, it could be the museum. There's a couple, but I'd say there, the Idle Drug Museum is the first place where I ever did a fashion show, the Day of the Dead fashion show. And that is a fashion, that is a museum for indigenous art, um, of indigenous to Indiana and to indigenous people. I feel like I'm not saying that right. That sort of thing. That's a really a neat one. And right around there, there's the Indiana State Museum. Um, and those are um very like earthy historical type of artwork that sort of thing uh landscapes um you know native american pieces things like that but that i say there's some really exciting artwork at newfields which is within driving distance and newfields used to be called the um, indianapolis museum of art the ima and they have this really cool exhibit called loom where you go into the room and all of the art is like projected onto the walls oh, like and you kind of have this like sensory experience and stuff, but you walk in there, these big opening and closing things. But the coolest museum in the whole town is the Indianapolis Children's Museum. It's the biggest children's museum in the nation. And it has these dinosaurs coming out of the building. It has this, I mean, you should look it up. I mean, really, it's the biggest it children's museum cool. in the nation. It is the neatest neatest place they have the coolest stuff they have the dino sphere so when you walk in it is this huge dome and it it kind of replicates what it would be if you were in the world of dinosaurs there's uh like archaeological digs and there's egyptian stuff and there's like it's just the coolest thing ever but i remember this when i went into i was in the dino sphere with my kid when he was like 
one he's like could walk but he's like still a baby or whatever the place is packed right it's like butt to butt bumper to bumper with the strollers everywhere and stuff like that my kid wants to get into this pit where there's a bunch of dinosaur costumes you can put on kids are all put on dinosaur costumes like the one their little face sticks out and stuff yeah and and uh I, i'm overwhelmed with anxiety because there's so many people in there there's kids screaming everywhere there's all these moms everybody's clutching for outfits and stuff like that and i just took the outfit off of him and i was like we're getting out of here i can't take it anymore and he starts crying and all the moms go boo boo, boo. like all these moms angry moms were booing me because i took him out of there and he cried and stuff and i was just like yeah i ran away into the egypt exhibit and hid in one of the pyramids for (laughs) until everything calmed down (laughs) you're hiding this sarcophagus until the ship like peek out me like it's done yet so yes oh my god yeah is that my question or yours i think you just asked about the museum so all right so um oh yeah when you first met me was that was i as you expected um I think um, I I didn't know what to expect. It's funny. Like, I, I think about this a lot with the interviews. When I first started interviewing people that I'd never met before, I felt super nervous about it. And I would be like, well, what's this person going to be like? What if this is impossible to do? What if whatever? And now it didn't. And I'm only in episode like 30 something now. It took that little amount of time for me to go, ah, it'll be fine no matter what. And it's like, so that was to me, one of the benefits of doing this. So for me, I I think by the time I was talking to you, I wasn't too nervous. I'm the thing that I'm always most nervous about when talking to someone I don't know is that they're going to be kind of crazy in a way that I don't know how to deal with. (laughs) Like, or sort of like, I always worry that it's like, oh, I've, I've that, that I've misjudged the way this person presents themselves because I'm I'm usually I have mm-hmm. a pretty good I don't like dealing with people that are just like mm-hmm. off the rails mm-hmm. and that's my always my biggest nerve about anybody is is this person off the rails and am I mm-hmm. am I going to somehow exasperate it or, or have you it? experienced that yet with any of your interview people I have not and I think that w- I think it's because I'm pretty good at like kind of sniffing people out right. there have been people that I've talked to during the process of people that are interested where it's like there have been red flags and I'm just like you know, I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass somebody and I don't want to get in a position where I just have somebody say something that's insane. And I just sit there and don't really confront them because I, this, the point of this isn't for me to do that. And then right. I don't want to be like, well, you didn't say whatever. And I don't want, I don't want right. to record something afterwards and go, that's not going to air. So I try to do, I'm a sort of the, the measure twice cut once type. Okay, that's smart. That's a, that's a smart way to do it. Some people like it when things go off the rails, like some people can handle with that or like they it's like it becomes some sort of shock value shit show but i think like if you really want to respect the like dignity of the people and you don't want to be exploited yeah yeah, that sort of thing but but i saw like when you're when you advertise if you want to be uh interviewed by articulate ox you know here's my information so that opens the gate you know for people to be like i know and it's funny it's Mm -hmm. like it's the people that respond are never who you expect the people you get you get way better guests than you thought you would have and then you get some people you're just like i don't know what like like i'm like you think like the version that you see of yourself is not what i see of you like and i don't i don't know whatever yes yes, you were actually i was i was very impressed um in talking to you just like i don't want to say how like put together you are but like just how like you're a real you you have leadership skills and that was one of the things that i took away from the past thing that i was very impressed with like you're somebody who i feel like has very strong leadership skills and that's mm-hmm. something that a lot of people don't have and it's a very valuable trait and i was like mm-hmm. oh you're somebody who people believe in and that's i think a really awesome thing 
you know. That's good that that was your takeaway because that's, you know, I had a conversation with Lewis, my uh, Illuminati friend, or the one that's afraid of, but he said something like, you know, you deserve all the support that you get because you, you know, you inspire people, or, you know, this sort of conversation in one of his more lucid moments or whatever, that, that meant something to me. So I like that. And I'm glad that that was your takeaway from that. Cause I like to be, I like to be a leader and I like to think I can be a good leader, you know? Are you somebody who, when things go wrong, people look to you in the moment? Like, I this is the way that I have just found. I just found that, and before, and I wasn't always like this. I mean, it took some growth, but that um, I will step in and and manage the situation. Everybody's like panicking, and people and staffing are like going nuts because they're being micromanaged or something. Just step, just step in and start and be diplomatic. Like, how are we going to solve this problem? Like, you said this here, you said that. Here's a compromise. But I don't necessarily have people that come to me. I'd say when they have a problem of course other than clients like in my personal life but I think naturally when there is something that arises like organically that I can step in and solve that my husband's also really good at that as well so I'm sort of like um I remember once I was at a grocery store in in the aisle and the woman right next to me just had a seizure and I was the Mm -hmm. only person who react like I reacted like instantly and like I did and then I once people there I walked away and people were just like I just froze and I'm like I have this thing where in the moment I instinctively I'm really good like that. But like three days mm-hmm. later, for some reason, all the anxiety hits me at once. And I'm just really? like, it, it, it happens to me almost, almost every time. And in the moment mm-hmm. it happens, I'm really good. But it's almost like there's always a wave of like anxiety a few days later that I feel. Interesting. That's, that's a, it's like a, a delayed reaction because whatever your instincts are kicking in at the time and it hits you. But thinking of that now, when I think about, I described the intern who is, um, a very, very, very cautious person. We actually, we were driving a work minivan on the highway where two highways convene. The van runs out of gas. She's the one that has the wherewithal of like, we need to get out of the van. We, cause I was just sitting there semis blasting by the vans, like yeah. rocking and stuff. And she's like, we actually need to get out of the van. And I'm about to swing the door open on the highway. She's like, no, you're going to get yeah, out on the well, passenger side. It's very side. easy to die that way. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to walk to the grassy meadow and we're going to call 911. And she kept it cool, calm and collected because she's always like ready for a disaster. So like she was able to like use those skills and stuff. I just like kind of go through life without that. But I'll tell you when we were camping this past weekend and there was a man, I heard foot, I heard footsteps crunching in the leaves because my head is on the ground because I'm sleeping in the dirt. Outside my tent, I heard I heard human footsteps. Outside the tent, there's a man with night vision goggles on looking for his cat, Smokey, or whatever. And I was like, okay, this is you're you're wearing oh night vision God. goggles at a campground. And I panicked. I was like, what the fuck? You know, I was not calm, cool, and collected at all. I got really upset. Then I heard munching. There was a raccoon eating corn nuts out in front of my tent. They were my corn nuts. I left them on my bed. Then the black widow spider came and I my friend, she kept her cool way more than I did. So this is why I like being inside. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, that's why everybody had a camper except for us. Like, I appreciate the experience, but the daytime activities were great. Nighttime activities, sleeping outside in nature was just a little bit too much. I mean, and who the fuck owns night vision goggles? Buffalo Bill, that's who. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's a singer or artist that you got teased for liking when you were younger? Say it again. What's like a singer or an artist that you got teased for liking when you were younger? Well, I had, and like my older sister, she was always really into like grunge and alternative stuff, things like that. And so we always made fun of her um, for listening to some things that she listened to. But I don't really think that 
I was really made fun of for anything. I remember, do you know who they might be giants are? Yeah. Yeah, right? Okay, love Istanbul, them. Istanbul, not Constantinople. Yeah, yes, I know. I love that. I love them. I love, I love, it's like either turbo nerds or little kids that listen to their music. And I just love both populations and stuff. So We're I fans of Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> yeah, Malcolm in the Middle, right? I saw them at the music mill. And actually, I'll tell you, the closest I ever came to getting into a fist fight with other women at a concert was at a They Might Be Giant show. Of all the shows, the least edgiest of them all, I almost got into a fight with these girls uh, at They Might Be Giants about who was the bigger fan who'd been following them longer or whatever. Oh, my That's God. Right. Funny, yeah. The Gin Blossoms and Toad the Wet Sprocket played like 10 minutes away from me yesterday. We were debating almost going. <laughs> Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that my sister listened to. So that that sort of thing. But I, I can't remember ever being made fun of music that I liked. Because um, I didn't like music that did make it, but that made, was made fun of like New Kids on the Block. I never liked that. I never liked NSYNC or Backstreet Boys or stuff like that, you know. I was just being a fun for rap. I was the only person that liked rap. And it was like, that was like hilarious. Everybody made fun of you for liking rap. That's so, I, that, that's such a strange thing to me. Because rap has always been cool. Right. In is the early nineties in my small town, it was like it was, I had people that consistently you just wish you were black. You just want to be black. I would must what, have been said what that. What were to they me. listening to? Like country music or something? No, or? like Metallica, like Guns oh. N' Roses, like you know, okay. stuff like that. Like, you know. Yeah, the- that's that's really weird. No, rap was always like always the thing. I mean, back to you know, I'm thinking back to like third grade when MC Hammer was out, Vanillaus and stuff like that. Rap is hip hop has just always been like a huge popular thing. Yeah too legit to quit is exactly yeah. and you know i use that phrase every day like look this is too legit to quit you don't never give up you know right. get your whatever and hamster was gangster as a motherfucker in real life mm-hmm. that guy didn't take any shit off anybody <laughs> ask mc search he almost had him killed yes mc now MC Allegedly. Search was from uh was from uh he sang the song mc's pop, pop the weasel yeah pop pop goes the weasel the weasel yeah third base right third base so mc search was the host of this show called miss rap supreme and another show called uh the white rapper show. i remember the white rapper show yep i like i know someone who was approached to be on that show really interesting so i love those shows and those are shows that you can't easily find the reruns of not on youtube or anywhere else miss rap supreme though i really love that show because it was all female rappers and stuff but i just love mc search though I yeah. love, and he'd say, step off. And then he'd throw their sneakers up on the wire and stuff like that. When they got He's got a couple of podcasts. He's also a recovery mm-hmm. guy. He he was severely mm-hmm. addicted to marijuana and he's been sober now for a bunch of years. He mm-hmm. talks about it a little bit on podcasts. So he's a- Yeah, that's really cool. They also had that song called The Gas Face. Yeah, with with um with the ga- with um MF Doom, like he he yeah. he kind of helped give MF Doom, who to me I'm a yeah. huge fan of his start. Like they were like childhood friends. Yeah. Gas Face was like a was a uh, like a diss that like the older boys at my school yeah. would say about ugly girls. They'd say they got the gas face or whatever. Like it was part of them. Yeah. Which was like the the original intent of it was like was when a girl gives it to you like she just looks at you like nah man you smell bad you're getting the gas face. It was like that was like you know right. so oh no they they found a way to switch it be like no you're you're the ugly one not yeah. me you're ugly like gas <laughs> like, all right all right whatever <laughs> you know how quickly we get away we stray yeah, away from a fart face is what yeah, you are essentially you know Definitely. whatever okay is it my turn to ask a question yes okay. all right what netflix scandal are you currently watching or any scandals are you watching um, 
the one stories. that like I saw that I keep telling people about, but no one's interested in actually watching is the is like the Jared Fogel documentary of the subway <laughs> yeah. guy on HBO. Because I it's three episodes. And if you've ever and not that this dude has a lot of like fans out there going like he was framed, but if you ever for a second thought that, that guy wasn't guilty, strap on because it's shocking yeah. he only got 15 years when you hear some of the stuff you have that guy shocking. admitting on tape. Have you seen it? It's funny. Yeah, go no, finish, please finish. Tell me about uh, Jared. It's Bull. it's just um it's wild. It's just that documentary, if you can stomach it, and I'm one of those people who I can't really watch five minutes of like CSI because mm -hmm. the fictionalized version of stuff really, really turns my stomach. But when it's mm -hmm. the actual version of it, I'm just like, yeah, I'm I'm here for it. I wanna I wanna give me the rundown. That one pushed me because that is one creepy. He is, a, he is one sick fucker i'll tell you and indiana's own right isn't he from indiana indiana and here's an interesting so we'll come full circle in our conversation indiana he went to indiana university he was married to a friend of a friend oh. um his wife was married he was one of my friends was friends with her and she was married to him um but my painting teacher at heron school of art and design doug daniel who does all of the portraiture for all of the great deans he does he teaches oil painting right he's this prolific portraiture artist he was the courtroom illustrator for the jared fogel case and he did that because he had a student who got the job and she was too afraid to do it too nervous and so he went in and he did it and he said in the penalty phase it was so hard for him to um capture the like hunched patheticism of jared fogel during this you know thing and having to you know his artistic standards and stuff but i just thought that was so wild to be the courtroom illustrator for the jared fogel case or any any case for that yeah. matter but that, was that sounds that. like someone i would love to interview because it's like i love the idea of like art can kind of weird play i have so many questions mm -hmm. like, I'm like what happens to those it's like it's like could you could you sell that on ebay is that something somebody would mm -hmm. buy and it's just mm -hmm. like there's that and i also want to talk to somebody who designed i went on a google search the other day trying to find somebody who designed like the laser shows they do at planetariums like pink floyd laser shows mm -hmm. and i've oh, yet to no. find a, mm -hmm. a human being that can track down to you for that but the idea of having someone like that and a court or if that dude wants to talk about that, tell him to give me, give, hit me up. But like the he idea of talking like. He probably, he would be interesting. He would be interesting to talk to. He's done some interesting portraits, but there's somebody on Instagram you could follow who is a courtroom illustrator, who's also part of the indie sketch movement here. Avidor Art, A-V-I-D-O-R-A-R-T. He is a, uh, one of, he is a courtroom uh, sketch artist, him and his wife. They're older people that came from New York and they live here for, for some, whatever reason. But they, he does all kinds of kind of satirical sketches on his Instagram, oh, but cool. he's somebody. Yeah, I'll it's, it's cool. It's kind of political, but that'd be an interesting one to look at. But yeah, Doug Daniel, and he was actually from my hometown, from Terre Haute, Indiana, and he just happened to come up here and he teaches at Heron Room at Art School. Yeah. All right. Um, do you have an inner monologue? And I've heard, I've heard some people say they, some people claim they don't have one. I feel, I have one that I feel is going on, like even when I'm sleeping. I How mean, yeah. I mean, is that just like my internal internal voice to myself or whatever? What I guess so. For me, it's like, is there somebody like narrating your life as you're living it? And is that person you? <laughs> like, because that's sort of like. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it like that. I mean, there's always a constant train of thought, you know, but it's not ever like, and then Katie, you know, went into the kitchen and she found herself with hunger pains and needed not like a narration in that way but there it's usually like i'm thinking about something i'm not doing it's usually like i'm not thinking about what i'm doing at the time you know yeah. um, unless i'm really enthralled in in what it is or like in the state of flow or something but yeah uh, there's always always a train of thought going all the time all right 
So that was all my questions. Do you have any more questions? Oh yeah. I actually have like 10 more. Okay. Um, all right. What's the last thing you've done that could be considered art? Um, well, I would say what I did when I went camping, we did that card, we did cardboard art where we had, cause we didn't have anything to paint on, but we had paints. And so we, we considered painting on logs that would absorb the paint a lot. And so we had cardboard. Um, and so we ripped the cardboard and, you know, it has the bumpy layer underneath. Yep. We used the corrugated cardboard or whatever to create like different mountain ranges. And we used a different texture of like the smooth cardboard to like the yeah, kind of textured cardboard, then to like the bumpy parts underneath. Um, and we made mountain ranges and stuff. So I would consider that to be art, not anything that is, uh, you know, super good or anything like that, but it was fun for the time. Yeah. Art for the sake of art. Um, mm -hmm. If you inherited a house with carpeting in the bathroom or wood paneling on the walls, which one would you replace first? Totally the carpet. You know, I can't I understand carpeting in the bathroom. Two dudes and somehow there's pee that doesn't get in the toilet. I mean, I swear, look, not taking any blames, but I think the people with the penis that aren't sitting on the toilet are probably the one getting the pee on the ground. Probably. I'm not taking the blame for that. And I wouldn't be cleaning the carpet either if that was the case. So that's one of those things on the toilet. Yeah, all that I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Whatever. Um, no carpet in the bathroom. How has fashion changed since we last, you know, met three, like two or three months ago? I don't know. I, you know, I've, I've been trying to, I've been trying to find some things because I got promoted at my job to Congratulations. like, Congratulations. thank you. Yeah. Since we talked, I've been promoted. I'll start my new position in the first of July or the first week of July. But, um, so I've been trying to find some like, um, business attire, you know, that sort of thing. But I can tell you where I think is a, is we, a we're stable. both in full Dom Toretto right now. We both feel like we're, we're about to be yeah, part of the have, Fast and the Furious team with like no yes, sleeves and like black matching, uh, matching outfits. Exactly. I like that. So, um, but I have found one thing that's not going anywhere is the spandex blend for business clothes The so you can have stretchy pants. I mean, that is just staying the same regard, regardless of what you're doing. But I have been looking at Wrangler jeans again. Wranglers, like the kind of like country Western wear jeans. Yep. And I was like, I'd really like to have a nice pair of Wranglers, like with the big leather patch. And I got a really cool pair of red, white, and blue striped, like kind of like uh, Uncle Sam looking Wranglers or whatever. I'm really excited to wear those. Coming um, up, 4th of July. Check out our Instagram. That's what I'm saying. I'm a, I am a patriotic person. I got the pants ready to go, you know, that sort of thing. So, but I don't really know. I don't know how fashion's changed. Um, I just know what I was looking for for business stuff. And it sounds like the, the stretch is not going anywhere. And I don't know if the Wranglers have stretch or not, but I'll keep you posted. All right, cool. Lee does. I have Lee um, khakis that have a nice stretch to them. Oh, like. okay. yeah, all so. right. All right. Um, so last time we talked, I asked you a question about professional wrestler. You mentioned Ric Flair and that he was going to be at something that you were going to in a few weeks. Yes. Did you get a chance to meet Ric Flair? You know, he called in sick. He didn't show up for that. It was a that's, good He was yeah. drunk. He was hungover. Right? It was the O'Reilly World of Wheels. And I have this man named Lonnie. Lonnie is uh, he, Lonnie is a person who is like my own personal hype man. He hypes up everything I do. He comes to all my events. He Lonnie has a lot of time to dedicate to things. And so he's always at yoga. He's always at art. He's always at the fashion show. He hypes up everything I do to everybody. And in the moment, he's hyping the moment when the moment's happening. He's hyping. He's like, yeah, we're at yoga. But yeah. You know, he just always does it. He brings the water. He sets up the blocks. Lonnie had hyped up Ric Flair for me for six months because he knows he knows all the things. He's like the trivia guy. He's the yeah. knowledge guy. He's been hyping up Ric Flair six months. 
big day comes. Rick Flair, there's just he sends me a picture of a a handwritten sign that says Rick Flair will not be here. Sorry. Yeah. And like that was it. It was like that's it. All this build up for the King Drip and he's not even here. You well, know? you know what? That's actually the perfect Rick Flair experience because Rick Flair is professionally satisfying and personally disappointing. Like that's okay. sort of the story. Like that, I think that's what like the thirty for thirty about Ric Flair. That's the story that really tells is that the Ric Flair you see on television is amazing. The Ric Flair that in real life is, um, you know, a little sadder. And I think that actually, like, you know, you may have had the real Ric Flair experience. That's it. That if you want an authentic experience, that's what you get. If you want to see him, go to his job. He's not going to come to you. He's not going to be there. Yeah. So, no, right. Um, let me see. What was the most surprising way that your life changed after becoming a parent? Um, well, I just didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't really that prepared or anything like that, but I really realized like that I could really rise to the occasion. I mean, like I kept, kept them alive and healthy and like was able to work a job and also teach yoga and things like that. But just also like, just laying, like laying down with him at nighttime and just like, any time where I felt any type of connection of something I, I needed to give thanks to some sort of God for having this precious, precious person in my life, you know, and like, yeah. I don't, I'm not religious. I don't pray, but I would just say, thank you, God, for giving me this child because he's just, he's so good. I've never had any problems with him. He's, he's in like a high abilities class. And I feel like I had never even taught him how to read. He like knows all these things. He's creative and thoughtful and empathetic and stuff and so just having really being thankful for that sort of thing but I always wanted a family and always wanted to have a child and um just having that sort of I don't know I mean it it changed it I became more responsible you know um yeah. now, I'm, I'm not a parent at all but I obviously but I like to think about there's a Mike Tyson quote where he said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face and I feel like that's the way that like to be a good parent, that's the mm -hmm. sort of advice I think that people should think about because everybody has a plan when it comes to being kids, having mm -hmm. kids. But I feel mm -hmm. like you need to be ready for when your plan goes to shit and you get punched in the face. And I feel like that's yeah. that if you if you hear that quote, like trying to be able to respond to that quote, is I think what could make somebody a good parent as somebody who's never no, had kids. That's, that's a great quote. Everybody's a plan that you get punched in the face. This is interesting too. So I went to the doctor the other day and I'm really close with my doctor. And uh, he was talking to me about how he's like, you know, the I've women patients that come in here and they're they're divorced and then they have a kid and he's like and that's just nobody you know like that just like like lowers your stock when you're a single mom and I'm just like you know what I used to have that mentality that gets the gas face <laughs> that gets the gas face yeah but I said but here's the thing doc is that like there are a lot of men out there that want to have a family yeah there are and when you have a really particularly precious child that's well-behaved and and intelligent and loving like mine that like sweetens the pot for me like if anything he makes me look better at get, like gives me more of a, a package because there's lots of men out there right. who like to be a father they've always wanted a family and they would make excellent father figures and i married somebody who didn't want their own children but one would would consider having a stepkid or being a fun uncle and he's a wonderful stepdad and gets to to parent but was you know to a person that felt like i don't want my genetics in the gene pool but i could be a father to a child I can relate yeah. to that a lot. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, you know, I'm not, I, we don't have kids and my ex, my current girlfriend doesn't have kids, but like, mm -hmm. I can relate to that mentality that I think I would be more likely to want to be a stepfather than, than have my own kids. Yeah. You know, and that's, if yeah. you have stuff in your family that you think genetically could be, could like fuck the gene pool up or something like you don't have to have kids, but it doesn't mean that you don't, you could never have an opportunity to be a father and, and would never want one. Right. Right. 
Um, this is a, a question that I think is is I hopefully be helpful to people. Um, what is something you do to prevent you from bringing your home work with you, bringing your work home with you? That's something that I feel that a lot of people do. I think that there's right. the negative side of it that you're bringing emotions home with you. But I also think the only thing that's less interesting than hearing about somebody's dream is hearing about their day at work. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. You're right I, I about just, that. You know, I know, and I and I have pretty exciting, outrageous work. Like right. example, That's like point. You good stories, ago, I saw a fist fight between a, one client in a bikini, another one in a three piece tuxedo. I, I was going to ask you about that actually. By so a dumpster, you... they're both smoking cigarettes. I mean, she's laying out there like it's a goddamn resort. He wants yeah. to go out there and press where he puts on his three piece to get in this fight. And I'm watching from the window and I'm in my heart. I'm like, yeah. But then I'm like in my professional mind, I'm like, break it up, you know, whatever. But nuts, yeah. even that stuff gets old. But it is, it is very hard, but here's the thing that I, that they taught me, at least that can be helpful sometimes is that to end up the day, like, you know, how Mr. Rogers comes in and changes from his work suit into his lounge suit, right? Yep. To have a physical ritual. When you come into the house, the physical ritual is what breaks the brain synapses from being in work mode into home mode, having a physical ritual, right? And then also having a sensory experience, whether that's taking a shower whether that's using uh, like hand sanitizer that's scented, having a physical ritual and combining it with a sensory experience can help break that from being in work mode and coming back into home mode. Excellent. And so that is the tip. I don't always use it, but when I do use it, it does work, that sort of thing. So right. um, mm -hmm. what reaction did you get from our last interview? Um, well, I did. I got I got some really good ones. So I have a couple of people that are dear friends that are actually super talented artists. And let me see if I can pull up if I can pull up what one of the responses was. Let's look here and see. And I have three more questions after this. Okay, so this is from Ben. So Benaya Cusack, please follow him on Instagram. He is an an artist I've worked with before. Um, we've did we've done fashion shows together. He would be an interesting one to uh Sweet. to interview Check as well. Out. Yeah. Katie, I watched your interview with Articulate Ox. Fantastic. I watched the whole thing. Popcorn emoji soda emoji. <laughs> um, it was very interesting learning about your day job and mental health art therapy and getting to know you better. Heart emoji. You're one of a kind. Bravo to all you do. Work W-E-R-K exclamation point. May the spark of creativity and inspiration always touch you. Indy should be proud to have you here. The art scene here rocks. By the way, I'm a Coke Zero friend. LOL. Every day, <laughs> LOL. Have a wonderful week, Benaya. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Hello, Benaya. Yeah, Thank so you very much for nice. watching. Yeah, that was nice, you know, so, um, and then uh, my Christy Marsh Watson, who unfortunately, she was just hacked by like a Nigerian hacker because they, I saw on her page. I saw like, that join my bitcoining or whatever and yeah. i was like this is bullshit and that she was just devastated because that's like her portfolio you know essentially that's how she's got all her contacts she had to delete it or whatever and everything's just lost and stuff so she she always gives me really good feedback she's also from Terre Haute, so she understands like our kind of hillbilly white trash yeah. place motherland or whatever yeah um who would be oh, your... and then, wait, oh wait the feedback i got from my husband too is like are you watching this again like why like, why are you like how many times have you watch this? Why do you keep watching this? So oh, I have watched right. it quite a few times, but um you can pick up on your like your idiosyncrasies and your movements and things like that when you see yourself because you don't always see yourself that much. So that that is that is one of the funny things because I very rarely go back and listen to the it's all almost from like a time perspective. It's like if I've already lived it, like if I were to go back and listen to all of these episodes, that's like 
you know, 90 hours I've recorded already that this doesn't fit into my life, you know, and, but it's like, when you do, when I do, I definitely learn things about myself pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm saying like, and stuff like that, and uh, a lot less than I was back then. It's, it's, it's useful, you know, it is, I say stuff like that. I noticed that for my last one saying stuff like that's like, stop saying that, you know, that's a, like a verbal bread, verbal, verbal crutch. Yeah. Um, who would be your dream mentor? RuPaul, probably, you know, RuPaul is somebody that I feel like could RuPaul. And then also, um, you know, somebody, maybe Jim, also Jim Beitman. He was one of the first, he was my art therapist who was when I was in rehab years ago. Um, I would love to hear from him now because he kind of took the path of like, being Indiana's first art therapist to being a fully, you know, licensed one to working in addictions, working in private practice. And then he went on to like the scholarly route where he's now a professor at a university, that sort of thing. I would like him to mentor me um, when it comes to art therapy. And then when it comes to like all things fabulous and all things like, of just kind of like how to really be um, the blaze your own trail and do your own thing and like feel confident and look great doing it and all that stuff would be RuPaul you know he, RuPaul has like a master class of like living your best life of being fearless all those things like that that would be and then also Teddy Roosevelt if we can resurrect him from the grave um okay of the three which of these most best represents Indiana Janet Jackson Larry Bird or David Letterman Oh, I would have to say Larry Bird. I mean, like, you know, David Letterman seems a little bit too sophisticated, like in his presentation, Janet Jackson, no. Um, But Larry Bird, to me, represents Indiana. You know, when I think of Larry Bird being just like, kind of like a small town guy that made it big, you know, that sort of thing. I think of Indiana, like a small, if Indiana was a town in the United States, Indiana would be like a small town place and anybody that makes it from indiana is like a real success story because it's not like a place that you think of of like full of like winners and stuff right. you know that sort of thing if, if larry bird was on the was on the indiana state quarter i wouldn't blink <laughs> like i wouldn't think that was yeah. weird at all like yes there's a huge bronze statue of larry bird outside of holman center that is the holman center is the basketball arena for indiana state university there's this awesome big bronze statue of him right out in front with the indiana state uh jersey on and stuff so he probably mm-hmm. hates it you ever see like the kroll show you ever watch the kroll show like the nick kroll show uh-uh. it, was a, it was a sketch show he had a few years ago on comedy central he does a thing where he plays larry bird and some of it and it's it's just amazing well i saw this thing where like somebody does <laughs> it was a, it was a stand-up comedy but where somebody just put a piece of pantyhose over their face and it looked like larry bird they're like look i'm larry bird caught in a screen door or something like that it's just this face it was like larry bird has that kind of very yeah. just, face you know so mm-hmm. yeah he's um yep all right last question what's a piece of art that changed your life in a positive way piece of art that changed my life in a positive way that i made or any art out there i would say either or both mm-hmm. well piece of art that changed my life in a positive way I would say would be the one of the pieces when we talked earlier about when we had to do an, an art journal and we had to keep adding to a piece of um, we had to keep adding to the piece of prompt after prompt, you know, and, and then give the piece of art to a, one of the people in our group to take home and add to that. So the, the second one I did was a full on mannequin head body, everything like that. 
And what it really was supposed to be about was about body image. But as I was smoothing these pieces of collage, and you've probably seen me post pictures of this mannequin on my stories before, smoothing pieces on this woman's form, it really brought up a lot of like sexual trauma and things like that, which was really interesting because you're just, you're touching, you're, you're touching this like perfect female form in a very like, I don't know, intimate way, but I'm also being super thoughtful about the images that I'm selecting and the images that I select kind of take on this connotation of like patriarchy and marriage and like sexual trauma. And that those things came out organically as I was using the, a human form, a female human form as the, you know, medium or as the thing the, that I was putting these, this imagery onto. Right. Really so that was actually really interesting too. And I didn't even know it was going to take on that realm, but that whole sort of thing was really introspective about my own own sexual trauma, my own uh, views about marriage and things like that, and uh, about just you know patriarchal things and what it is to be a, a woman and take it seriously and stuff. That was that was really interesting, and that that has been described to me by other people that it's like looking into the soul of humanity. This this like weird mannequin thing that I made, and I, you've seen it. You can see a picture of my Instagram. That was really helpful, but. Um, as far as like, as art that's really changed my life, I just think seeing like how skillful people are in my community at art making um, and that people like that I can actually meet. Yes. Like if, if you go to like a museum and you think like, I could never meet somebody who can make art this well. But when I see at the, like when we did the Indy 500 show, those artists are just as proficient as an artist in the and the big museum yep. and their art sells for, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. And I know these people and they're like my friends, you know, I can actually meet these people and like pick their brain and get to know them and see what inspires them and stuff. So that sort of thing was really life-changing of just getting to meet people um, and artists that are having access to artists that yeah. make really, really high quality stuff. That's a great point too, because I think a lot of us are first inspired by something we see on television or hear on the radio or watching a movie. And that's mm -hmm. great to get you the ball rolling, but it's usually the artists that actually can enter in your regular daily life that really, I find you get the big, the biggest lessons from and help move you further. Just having those conversations with somebody who is in your community, who actually knows the nuts and bolts of how to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, it's cause it's, it's like, there's learning to be an artist and then there's learning to promote yourself. And it's like the artists that were like, really are fans of in the greater pop culture sphere. Those are people who've succeeded at both of those things, but mm -hmm. they're not, you don't have to focus on both of those things. And you don't have to focus on both at the same time. It's like, if you're trying mm -hmm. to look at how do I become the next Jay-Z, you're trying to like, learn how to be an artist and promote yourself at the same time. And I think to some degree, especially in the beginning, you should be focusing on learning how to be the artist and focusing on the people in your community that can that help you form a group and help you start realizing what it's like to get your hands dirty and do this stuff. No, I totally agree with that. And that's, that's my lived experience. And also like, look, learn how to be good first. And then the, the work can kind of speak for itself. People will pump you up, you know, people will right. believe in you when they see that you're really dedicated and you're making something that is either high quality or something that's new and fresh or something that's super engaging in the community, people will buy into it. And then from then that's when you can build up from there. But yeah, right. I totally agree with that. Like, you know, learn, learn the trade first, the promotion second. And if it's really something spectacular, people will promote it for you because they'll say, this is awesome. Right. And if you, the thing is too, like, if you can't be successful in your own community, 
the chances of you convincing anybody on a larger scale that you're going to be successful is very limited. Like, it's like, I remember there was a thing a few years ago where it's like, why, why would a, like a band, uh, like, a, like a major or even like, even like a, a big min, any, indie label isn't going to sign an artist who, who, unless they can like pretty much sell out consistent shows in their hometown. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but if you can already do that, the you have way less need for a record label to begin with it's like a weird catch 22 where it's like if you're already at that level there's a good chance you can probably take yourself to the next level without the power of that record company but the record company only wants people that are already at that level because it's like it's like there's no secret sauce to be able to like do something for everybody you you, the person already has to be most of the way there i think right right i get it yeah interesting well fair enough well, that's everything. I mean, you have, unless you have any other questions for me or uh, any other things you're dying to know about Soma 79. No, I think you've it's been very enlightening. I learned learned a lot of things about you today. Um, so well. no, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to talk. That was three three hours. Yes, that's the longest episode so far. So hopefully mm-hmm. people made it to the end. I remember the last question that I um that I asked the uh, concept was um what message do you ha- do you have for the people who made it all the way to the end like that was the last question I asked so do you have any special message for the people who have made it all the way to the end of this is there any secret password they can say to you that we'll hand them like a Kit Kat bar or something oh I like that yeah secret miss so here's so the secret word <laughs> secret word for for that would be Dr. Rhinestone if they say that to me then yeah they get they get a special prize and it'll be a really good one so Dr. Right, Rhinestone cool. which is also the name i used to make dinner reservations at fancy restaurants i used to use danzig like like um they'd be like danzig party of two like that because they used to call my brother and i john zig in high school especially because he had like long hair like danzig did and like um we were the john zigs all right because last name is johnson i don't know but and the other thing too in the comments remember uh katie and beaker versus myself and miss piggy in a game of doubles tennis whoever has the best answer of who would win will get a soma 79 prize pack yeah prize pack i know i love that promote it i guess you know what maybe that'll be the clip so also thank you so much thank you very much all right you have a good one we'll have you on again sometime all right okay bye-bye